Monday, November the 29th, 2021. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of That's What G Said Podcast. Hopefully everyone had a nice weekend and we have a lot of content for you to, to get out over the next few days. A couple old wrestling rewatches recorded, a couple uh, episodes of Hawkeye 1 and 2 that we did our deep dives with Tim Kelly. So this week we'll have a, a couple different episodes coming out. Figured we'll start right away on Monday. So on this episode you are going to hear the excitement in my voice as Lincoln Riley to USC a huge hire for the USC men's football team. We are going to talk about that. Lincoln Riley just had the press conference earlier today, his introductory press conference. I am pumped. And folks, we haven't talked a lot about college football on this show over the last couple years. That's going to change now with USC vaulting themselves back into the national spotlight, and they are going to be a much improved program moving forward. We'll talk about USC, we'll talk about Lincoln Riley, and then we'll get into some horse racing for Tuesday and for Wednesday. We're going to talk some parks Tuesday best bets. How about Remington Park? we got a couple best bets over for Remington, and then for Wednesday, we'll hit on a couple best plays from Tampa. Then we get into episode one of Hawkeye with Tim Kelly, our deep dive in episode two of Hawkeye, which already has released. We do, we took care of that one. It's going to be out tomorrow for you. So if you're listening to this late Monday night, by Tuesday, that Hawkeye episode two is going to be out for you. That way next week we'll have uh, episode three and we'll be right on track keeping up. They dropped the first two episodes this week, but we deep dive them. We go so long that honestly the two of them would barely fit onto one Episode, So I decided to split them up just by a day. We finish off with the old wrestling rewatch. We head to Armageddon 2000 WWF with Andrew Champagne, Darren Zocali. We get into a pay-per-view and a main event. The pay-per-view is eh, but the main event is awesome. It's a great match. Six men, hell in a cell. Six of the all-time greatest. At uh, five of the all-time greatest, and Rikishi. And and I don't. And it's that that sounds mean, right? Because it's not like Rikishi is just some nobody. But when you look at the level of the performers in that match with The Rock, Stone Cold, Triple H, The Undertaker, and and then you know Kurt Angle, and then you got Rikishi, and he just sort of doesn't doesn't. You know, vibe quite as well, but they were trying to build him as the big heel there. And by putting him in that match, it wasn't as if he stood out in ring. His in ring work is fine. He does a great job, but he takes the big fall. We'll get into that in the old wrestling rewatch. And this episode is brought to you by Better Than Vegas at BTV Bets. Make sure you head to that website, Better Than Vegas. Check out all of the videos from handicappers and gamblers all around the world. You can create an account and start posting your own videos with analysis and sharing your insights. Create a following over there on Better Than Vegas, and then once you post a few videos, you will automatically be entered into the monthly showdown if you post the most winners, and not a most winners if your ROI is the best you will win $1,000 for nothing. doesn't cost anything to enter that monthly showdown over at betterthan.vegas. Follow on Twitter at BTV Bets. Flip those notifications on. They have giveaways every day. They make a wager. They give it away to one of you out there. And it's there's not millions of people that are following. It's still a new site. So sometimes it's just another 20, 50, 100 other people that it's between you and, uh, and them to, to get an opportunity to win. 100, 200, 300, 400 bucks sometimes, depending on what the uh, the wagers are. So 
better than Vegas. You've probably seen some of the live streams that we do at BTV Bets. We preview every Monday night football game, every Thursday night football game, every Sunday we preview the Sunday slate. Every game this year we've covered there for you. We've previewed for you for free at BTV. Now, got to get into this. Lincoln Riley to USC. So this will definitely be all over the place. I'm just like uh, like some verbal diarrhea at some points because I am I am such a huge fan of USC and I have my my whole life and it's been so sad over the last few years throughout the Clay Helton era to just were give up honestly. Uh, I rooted for USC. I watched the games, but I was so much less invested. I cared so much less over these last two years in particular. I think the last two years, both times that USC brought back Clay Helton, when everybody knew that Clay Helton was in over his head, nice guy, great human being, but just not a head football coach in college football at a huge program. And USC brought him back again, pandemic year, and then they brought him back again this year. And then immediately he's out right away. And it was just a waste. What you did the last few years is we, we felt like as a fan, I, I say we, me, here's how I felt. I felt that USC was just completely content with wasting a few years. And so that made me want to wonder why, why I would want to be really invested, right? This isn't like in the NBA or in other sports where you tank and then you get a great lottery pick the next year. At least you root, you understand why your teams are doing it, but it just felt like USC had, had packed it in. Think about what the last decade or so has been like uh, for USC, a team that was incredible for a while and everybody was hating because they were winning so much, right? They were pomp and circumstance and Pete Carroll's winning 11 games, 12 games, 11 games, 11 games, 11 games, 12 games. And and then 2009 happens, 2010, you get the sanctions and they they struggled. You know, Pete Carroll leaves, you get Lane Kiffin coming in. He goes 8 and 5. Then Lane Kiffin has the really good 2011 where he goes 10 and 2, but comes back the next year and goes 7 and 6, and then he ends up actually getting fired in 2013 where you have Kiffin, Orgeron, and Clay Helton all actually coach games for them. You have USC get rid of uh not make the decision not to go with Ed. They bring in Sark, then what happens with Sark where Sark makes it a year and a half and then they bring back Helton again and they make the decision after that to go with Helton. And this is a team who didn't lose more than two games from 2002 to 2008. And since the 2011 season with Lane Kiffin, they've lost at least two games in uh, in every single year. Uh, they've lost at least three games, excuse me, in every year. 2012, they were 7-6. and six. 2013, they were 10-4 and four overall. 2014 with Sark, 9-4. and four. 2015, 8-6. and six. And we're talking about top-level recruiting classes. Now, they did have sanctions, and in some of, a lot of these years, they were missing the scholarships, right? They didn't have the type of depth. But that was something that you could see in, in certain games and certain times, that was not something that I thought was apparent. It was more that the players that were being brought in were not being developed. They were not improving. And the team was sloppy, penalties, mistakes, turnovers. It happened uh, repeatedly over and over and over again. And with Clay Helton, um, over the last three years, USC, uh, you know, and you know, before 
Clay Helton uh, this year was, excuse me, this year wasn't is all Clay Helton, but over the last three years, you, you give Clay Helton really the credit for what happened this year because he prepped this team and we knew it was a waste. They're 22 and 20 over the last four seasons, 22 and 20. They've had three different athletic directors over the last decade with Hayden, with Swan, with Bone, recruiting sanctions, Pete Carroll leaving, Lane, Sark, going to go with Edo. No, but you bring in Helton. This feels so different for USC right now. A USC program that, let's not joke, they had, last year, they had the number seven ranked team, or they had the number seven ranked recruiting class in 2021. Number two in the Pac-12. And this year, because of all the uncertainty, because nobody knew who this the head coach was going to be, how do you recruit, who's recruiting? You know where USC is? As of the time I'm recording this, and that's going to flip very quickly because USC is going to get a lot of commitments now. There are a couple top players already who have basically flipped and said they're going to leave Oklahoma now and come to USC and follow uh, Riley. USC was number 67 ranked on 247 Sports, ninth in the Pac-12. On Rivals.com, they were number 76, and that was the site where last year they were ranked number 7 nationally and number 2 in the Pac-12. USC somehow was able to bring in Lincoln Riley and the reports of the deal, uh, over a hundred million dollars, um, over you know spent over on the his home, purchased in Oklahoma, six million dollar home out here, access to the private jets, basically the biggest deal that that you know you could possibly imagine, something that he had to at least entertain. And then he looks around and, and notices that Oklahoma is going to be heading to the SEC in a few years, and now. Instead of being at the top of your conference every year, you are going to be going into a really difficult conference now where might not be as easy to dominate. You come out here to Southern California, he has recruited incredibly well. And he has a lot of Southern California ties with the recruits. I was talking with, I'm so pumped, talking with all my family and a lot of my friends who are USC fans, and we are really excited right now. Uh, One of my buddies, Pat, was kind of talking back and forth with him. So, so far, USC, uh, Oklahoma had commitments from five-star 2022 running back Relique Brown, five-star 2023 commits Malachi Nelson, Makai Lemon, and a four-star 2023 wide receiver. They're all from Southern California. The quarterback, Malachi Nelson, looks like he's leaning already. Oklahoma running back commit uh, Relique Brown told Tom Van Heron, Lincoln Riley going to USC changes everything for him. News isn't official from USC yet, but looks like Brown will follow Riley to USC. Brown says he thinks this will make a big impact on most other California prospects. So he is going to be swinging things for this uh, this USC football team. And Oklahoma, they'll be okay. Like They're going to recruit fine, and they're going to have still plenty there. But this, this is going to really help a team that, let's face it, USC is a top-level program that has not been been one recently. It doesn't take much, as Lincoln Riley said in his press conference today, it doesn't take much. And you start to look at the schedule for USC next year. You start to look at the way that the Pac-12 is. And, ah, man, it is. Whew. Uh, oh, I, I'm excited. I'm looking forward to going to some games. And I'm just looking forward to being more invested in college football again. It's not that I, I will back and follow any team win or lose right it wasn't that they were losing it's that you felt like the people in charge of the program didn't understand 
how important it was for USC to field a good product in football. They don't have to win the national championship every year. Heck, they don't have to be a college football playoff team every year, but you have to feel like they are a top-tier team that has top-of-the-line coaching, top-of-the-line facilities, top-of-the-line recruits, and they just weren't that the last few years, unfortunately. Uh, They still had some of the players. They still brought in some of the recruits, but they weren't developed. The coaching was awful. The penalties, they were undisciplined, and this feels like it's going to change everything. Now... He is Lincoln Riley, 38 years old, the head coach at Oklahoma for five years from 2017 to 2021, four straight Big 12 Conference Championships, three appearances in the college football playoff. He started as a student assistant to Michael Leach at Texas Tech. Then he went to East Carolina. He was the offensive coordinator and the quarterback's coach there. He also was the assistant head coach in 2014. Went to Oklahoma in 2015. He was the offensive coordinator, quarterback coach for two years there. We've had four decommitments from Oklahoma on Sunday, two more on Monday. Derek Moore and lineman Demetrius Hunter both announced they were decommitting. And Lincoln Riley seemed really, really excited in the press conference. This all came together quickly for a young guy who's now going to be out here in California, and he is going to be looked at as the savior. Now, let's not... let's. I think he's going to be able to very quickly turn this team around, but it's not going to be easy... And it's not as if he's just walking into a team that was great this year, but, but, USC, I don't think you can look at the record they had this year and gauge this team, and I think we're seeing that there are going to be a lot of new, highly recruited players that are coming in, players that may want to transfer. This team in the next year or two is going to get very, very good and very deep and very talented, and... If you look at the USC schedule coming up this year, so Rice, Fresno State, and Notre Dame are their out-of-conference games. Notre Dame is home, so of course that's always going to be a tough game no matter what, but you don't have to travel to Notre Dame. Then in the Pac-12 in 2022, USC plays at Arizona, at Oregon State, at Stanford, at UCLA, and then home for Arizona State, Cal, Colorado, Washington State, they play at Utah. Again, no Oregon. Again, no Washington on that schedule. There is a great opportunity for them to be a very, let's say, even if they're not completely a finished product next year, those are a lot of winnable games for a team this year that when you look in and start digging into their games, they very easily could have won three or four more, even with how bad everything went from that for them. Coach getting fired right off the bat. New coach taking over that's never been a head coach before. Weird quarterback stuff happening. The feels are different. As Lincoln Riley comes in, his five years as a head coach, he's never lost more than two games. Uh, he's, he did lose two in every year. 2017, 18, 19, 20, and 21. 12 and 2, 12 and 2, 12 and 2, 9 and 2, and 10 and 2. And as we mentioned, three times in the college football playoff and four-time champion of the Big 12. He just lost to Oklahoma State the other day. And then right after that, he, within days, is here at USC. And I can understand, if you're a fan at Oklahoma, that you feel like, wow, where did this come from? Kind of came out of nowhere. And it did. It came quickly. There weren't even any rumors about this. And you feel like, uh, now he's leaving and he's going to take some of these recruits. He's taking uh, coaches. He showed up today at the press conference with uh, already three or four coaches from uh, from the staff that he's going to be bringing over. But 
Think about this. Oklahoma played their final game on Saturday. By Sunday, we already knew. He had already told his players what he was going to do, and by Monday, he was already at USC having a press conference to announce it. So what that did is even if if he... I'm not saying he's a good guy, great guy, whatever, any of that. That's irrelevant. But if you're going to leave a job, he did. it wasn't as if he screwed Oklahoma over. He did the best that he could leaving. He left the day after they finished. He gave them plenty of time now with an early signing period coming up, but at least they could go out right away and start looking for a coach. If he would have waited a couple more months and then decided to leave, you would have had all these players who would have already signed or early committed. Uh, you would have had a bunch of, you would have, maybe he waits longer to where you have players that are enrolled that are wanting to transfer. The earlier you can do something like this, the better. It, we all feel slighted when coaches or players that we think are going to be, you know, on the teams we root for or around forever. But I, I don't, you know, and it obviously sounds, you're going to all say, oh, yeah, you're a USC fan, right? Gino, you, what do you care? But no, I understand what it's like. You had a guy who you thought was going to be your guy forever. Felt like he had rumors that he turned down how many other jobs or bigger jobs or pro looks and see he was the man there. But the money he was offered and the opportunity to come out here to USC and maybe able to dominate in a weak Pac-12 versus Oklahoma having to go and play in a tougher it's not like he was scared of the SEC, but just think about it. You're going to get this a huge offer, all this money, and probably be in a situation where in a year or two when you bring your team in, you're going to bring your staff in, you're going to have all this freedom, do whatever you want, and you'll be able to uh, to, to run the show over here. I think that that's at least what he's thinking. So no matter what happens, let's say this is a, a move that ends up being a failure. Let's say Lincoln Riley does not succeed at USC. There was not a better choice to bring in as a head coach right now. I don't think anybody even thought he was a choice or on the table for USC. This was an incredible job. I've given USC a lot of a lot of crap over the last few years. I have for bringing Helton back, for some of the decisions that they were making, for the way things were being handled. But all the uh, all the props here to you know the the whole team, president, athletic director, everyone who helped put this together. Incredible, and again, no matter what happens from here moving forward, this was as there was not a better option than him. Nick Saban and this guy would have been the two people that you would have said, "Oh yeah, in a dream world, we'd love to have them." And you just got him. You just got him. A young guy, thirty-eight years old. He's excited. He wants to be here. He wants to build. And Lincoln Riley is a Trojan. Fight on. Let's. Get into uh, a little, uh, we're going to get into horse racing in just a moment, but we have a lot happening in the world of sports, so there's a ton of stuff happening in baseball right now. On uh, the episode that comes out tomorrow, we are going to talk baseball, all the transactions. Corey Seager just left. He went to become a Texas Ranger. Good luck, Seags. Max Scherzer headed to the Mets. Lots of money being spent. I think the Rangers spent $500 million between two players right off the bat, so we'll monitor more of the movement, and uh, the next time that we talk, we'll have a, a list, sort of a breakdown of everything that's been going on in the world of, of baseball. And we'll get into some NFL news, more injury stuff, we'll recap some of the things that happened in Week 12, and then we'll jump into Week 13. That'll be a little bit later on where we do our Week 13 uh, game previews. So, baseball, basketball, football, any kind of news, or if you just want help when you're handicapping, Go to drf.com slash sports and you can 
find information for every game, for every matchup, uh, that things that will help lead you to have a strong opinion on, on what you want to make a wager on. And I I don't really know a site that I, I've seen for every single sport that has it, right? You have sites that are baseball centralized or football centralized or basketball centralized. And then you have sort of real basic sites that'll give you just kind of a plain box score. And you get so much more from DRF sports and it's going to really, really help you with all of your handicapping. If you've played the races forever, you know DRF, you've used those past performances, go check out DRF Sports. That information is trusted. You've heard Jack Fitzpatrick come on with us. He'll be on again later this week. He helps us out all the time. Some really good folks over there at DRF Sports. And we now will go and uh, talk a little horse racing. Speaking of DRF, as I mentioned, uh, for DRF Sports, you want to head there now. They'll help you out getting ready for all the uh, the big sporting events. For horse racing, you head to DRF.com and you take a look at those past performances because those are what you need to succeed. For me, it's Formulator. Let's hear about those DRF past performances. <laughs> Horse racing fans, many of us have been using the DRF, the daily racing form, for years, studying the races, keeping up to date on news with all the articles. I remember looking for a copy at the local liquor store or picking one up at the local racetrack, wherever I was going. Now it's even easier and cheaper than ever to use DRF with DRF.com and the newly optimized DRF Mobile. You can get all the tracks that you want to bet and handicap. Past performances that are mobile optimized for on-the-go handicapping on your phone. So you go to DRF.com from your mobile device, no additional cost. Tap the calendar icon on the top left. It opens all of the options for past performances and for the tools that are available. One click to bet now and DRF bets. Get real-time odds and scratches on race day. You can tap on any horse and you get those same DRF past performances that you're familiar with with a larger font for your mobile display. One click to formulator for charts, for replays if you get the formulator version. And even on the classic past performances, you get the home screen with horses, with odds, with buyers. You get a lifetime buyer speed figure graph. You can rotate your phone for the best view. And any horse that you click on, you'll see the running lines. You can easily move from horse to horse. The same data as those traditional classic DRF past performances. You get an interactive format, which is... Very similar to the DRF Classic version that you're used to on the desktop. Every card includes live data updated instantly with those scratches. And so you get the accessibility from desktop to phone, cross-device functionality. You can take your notes and save them from one device to the next and then access your account on any of your devices. On-the-go handicapping and wagering multiple formats to view you got the overview page with recent speed figures current days odds easy access to expert selections and analysis you got the buyer speed figure graph with lifetime buyer speed figures and chart notes for every horse 
and you got those traditional DRF pass performances that are just newly optimized for your mobile phones. They are constantly upgrading, improving, and making everything easier for you to get your handicapping done at DRF.com. Download the Stable Duel app and play for free today. That app is free to download, StableDuel.com. You can uh, just click right there to download, or you go anywhere you get your app, download Stable Duel, and uh, some days there are free games. Then other days, it you know they have bigger games. You pay a dollar to enter, two dollars, five dollars, ten, sometimes a hundred, hundred fifty, and the bigger games sometimes five hundred, even up to a thousand dollars. Every single day, Stable Duel has daily horse racing contests. Joey, my buddy, doing a great job with that uh, that Stable Duel theme song. And uh, you head on over to Stable Duel, check it check it out every morning, see where those uh, those games are for each day. As we head into some handicapping and uh, talking a little Tuesday, Parks Parks is generally on the Stable Duel menu, uh, one of the uh, the Stable Duel tracks you can play. Usually, you'll uh, have the opportunity to uh, to get involved at Tampa too. We'll see some Tampa on Wednesday. So I've got three best bets for Parks. I got a couple plays for Remington for Tuesday, and then we're gonna hit to Wednesday for Tampa. Figured uh, always want to give you a few racing best bets and some midweek tracks, and it's fun to take a look at a couple different tracks that you don't always get to handicap. So let's go to Parks. We're looking at November the 30th, and I'm looking at race number one, optional 16s claimers, seven furlongs on the main track here. There are two that I'm gonna use in a lot of exotics. I'll probably build exactas around the four and the seven. Flat out Phoebe is the four, the seven. Blue paint is probably the one to catch and beat in here. There's not a lot of speed. Maybe the six three potato four goes and blue paint sitting kind of close, but I think blue paint is the one to beat from a forwardly placed position, slightly turning back from the mile to seven furlong. There's just not very much speed. That's my only concern with flat out Phoebe. From an overall as a horse standpoint, I like her. I think she's trending in the right direction. I think she's lightly raced with some upside. She kind of settled towards the rear. She was in sixth inside. She split horses. She was in the two path. She moved really well for a nice second. It was a good sustained rally for the number four flat out Phoebe. I'll be using the four and seven in exotics there. If Phoebe's anything around uh, five or six to one, I'll make a win wager on Phoebe's four seven in all exotics. Shout out to my Nanu. Those were his numbers that he used to play exactas, and uh, I know Nanu's probably up there going to be playing a, a little four seven box there. Although Nanu, I gotta get uh, Nanu is a chalk player. Nanu, the chalkier the better for uh, for uh, Frank Picola, my uh, my grandpa Nanu. So, yep, uh, I'll give you the four seven here with a little more value likely on the four as we move along to race number four. For our second play of uh, of the day on Tuesday over at Parks, ten thousand claimers. We have ten thousand restricted claimers in here. I thought the five flight risk is in a really good spot right now. This is a group that's just not very sharp. There's not a lot of runners in here who are in good recent form. And flight risk is quite the opposite. He's put back-to-back wins together. Prior to that, he was runner-up behind a next-out winner. October the 26th, in his last start, he beat three next-out winners. 
and he's proven locally. He's proven at the trip. He's actually won races at Oaklawn for 30, a starter 25 allowance. So we know he's capable of winning a race like this. It wasn't that it, that he was kind of beating up on softer company, and, and all that softer company has been coming back and running really, really well. The number five, Flight Risk. He is 6-1 to one on the morning line. If we can get anything in the 7-2 to two range, going to make a win wager on the number five, Flight Risk, in race number four at Parks. We move to the seventh race at Parks, and I'm looking in the seventh at the number one in here. These are $7,500 Beaten claimers. So these are three year olds or four year olds and up, which have never won three races. They're going to go a mile and 70 in here. So by the condition, we don't have horses that have won a ton of races and and not and very few of these are even lightly raced we're all we're all looking at horses that are you know 0 for 10 or above. We're looking at horses in the 0 for 20 plus and we're not looking at a lot of horses that have early speed. So in a race like this, I'm looking for the horse who's going to get out front. I think that's the one green growth who exits a five and a half furlong race and now draws the rail. Look at the races two, three, four starts back, going long, got the lead in all of them, but had to go quick in all of those races. Had to go a lot quicker than he will probably have to go in this race, right? Early on, it doesn't look like there is anyone that's got that type of early speed in. By accident, I think stretching out from the five and a half, he might just end up on the front end. I feel like that's a little bit too high of a price on a horse who who could have a couple lengths on this field early on. So if he is anything over six to one, I'm going to bet him the number one green growth in race number seven at Parks on Tuesday. So three plays for Parks for Tuesday there. Shout out to track announcer Chris Griffin, our, a good friend. He's doing a great, great job there. Uh, check out some of the social media stuff they're doing at Parks. Wherever Chris goes, he always beefs up the social media. He always brings uh, a little more to the broadcast. He tries to incorporate handicappers and just give more information for all of you out there to help you out and I'm uh, I'm happy to take a look at some of the races at Parks and uh, and help Chris out. So we'll be firing away on Tuesday at Parks and then over at Remington. Don't get the chance to talk uh, Remington all that much, but just the way that the schedule worked. So go over the next few weeks, there's not a lot in Southern California. Del Mar just ended. There's two weeks of Los Alamitos, and then Santa Anita doesn't start till the day after Christmas. So there there won't be a whole lot of Southern California on this show. So we'll be bouncing around all over the place. We'll end up talking, you know, some of these different racetracks. Some Tampa Gulfstream's going to get going at the end of the week. So we'll talk Gulfstream then. I know Turfway just opened up, and Darren Zocali is really, really into Turfway. So we'll probably bring him on once or twice at least to handicap some of the Turfway stuff. Right now, it's Remington. Let's look at races two, four, and five. So in the second race at Remington, we've got Oklahoma bred Phillies and Mares, three year olds and up. They're going to be going a mile and 70 yards in here. This is a non-two. So the the six long-gone Oki is the one that they'll have to hold off. The four is in really nice form. Pearly, she's won back-to-back and looked really good doing it for the new barn for Gustafson. But I thought the three, Grey Girl, go. If she's over three to one, she's going to be the play for me. So she debuts back in May at Will Rogers in the slop, going five and a half. Eh, kind of third. And then she steps up and she goes a mile and she's very nice. She wins that day impressively. Comes back again and and, win, and finishes a, a good runner-up effort behind a next-out winner at Will Rogers going a mile on May the 25th. 
off from May, the end of May to early August, comes back in August against open, open bread, first level allowance company. That race was just too tough, but honestly, it was mainly like a prep because she came right back in September and she ran really well. She was third, only beaten a neck again at this level, but it was going a mile on the turf. Now we know she can run well on the dirt. We've seen her do it. They they actually thought so much of that effort did Carl Broberg that he put her in a stakes race on October the 15th on the turf. Oh, excuse me, on the dirt, uh, off of the good turf effort. And the third place finisher, Lady Orchid, came back to win next out at this level. The winner, She's All Wolf, is a multiple stakes winner. Dipping in, the second place finisher there is a stakes winner. That was a much tougher group than what Grey Girl Go is in right here, where you have horses like... You know, Pearly stepping up from $75,000 restricted claimers. Give me the three, Gray Girl Go, anything around three to one. I know Diego, uh, I know uh, Cabrera is going to, uh, uh, David Cabrera is going to go wherever Brober goes. So he he leaves from the, the Gustafson runner off of back-to-back wins to head to the, the three, Gray Girl Go. Anything around three to one, we'll make a, a wager on the three in race two at Remington. Let's get to race number four. We've got an open $34,000 allowance, non-two, six and a half furlongs, the distance for two-year-olds, which have never won two. I rarely play horses like this from the rail, but I was extremely impressed with the one shadowless. And I think because we've only seen a race from him, and he was pretty close early on. It wasn't like he was way out of it. He was, you know, he was about three lengths off. So if you're looking at the running line, it's probably a bit deceiving. He settled towards the outside. He was about three off in a close fifth. And he just sort of moved right up into it. He was always traveling well without really being asked. He got right to the to the front end. And and then mid-stretch, he had an early to mid-stretch. He had a challenge, and he put that challenge away and drew off. I was very impressed with that effort. And because he's got enough... I think positional speed, he may be able to use it to get in a good spot from the rail and kind of get out of a, a, a tricky spot. It's never easy, though, and he's going to have to go from 5.5 to 6.5. I just prefer him much more if he was towards the outside, but I do like him a lot in this field. And if he is anything around 3-1, to one, that's that's fair. Again, you don't want to take a really short price on him, though, because of and I, I, he's going to get bad a bit because of the rail. But for some reason, if he doesn't, if he's three to one, seven to two, or something, we're playing Shadowless, the number one in race number four at Remington Park. Race five on Tuesday. This one's going to be our third and final play at Remington for Tuesday. Twenty-five non-two claimers are going to go a mile and an eighth on the main track. The one Thorny Rose will be trying the dirt for the first time, but his dam or her dam, excuse me, she's a three-year-old filly, Thorny Rose, her dam. Brushed by a star was a multiple graded stakes winner on the dirt and one going a mile and an eighth. So dirt, no problem. Dirt distance, no problem. And Thorny Rose adds the blinkers and seems to catch a field that does not have very much speed. She's already shown natural speed on the turf. Now with those blinkers, with the inside draw, the fact that she's stretching out, the game plan has got to be sent. It's got to be let's go open up because there is nobody that quick in here. Flew by you will probably be the closest early. Minnesota Nice has shown a little bit of speed kind of tactically popping up here and there. But the number one, Thorny Rose, who is 4-1 to one morning line, I would treat this horse like a, a an exotic single. If she's anything around 3-1, to one, we'll make a win wager. That is a Tuesday over at Remington Park. We head from Tuesday at Remington 
over to Wednesday. And we're going to talk some Tampa Wednesday. Let's jump into Tampa for Wednesday. Three plays, races four, six, and seven for Tampa Wednesday. Shout out to some of our friends over there. Jason Beam calling the races, does a a fantastic job as a track announcer. Ren Carruthers, who you've heard on this show many times. You've heard it both on this show many times. Ren is the the on-track handicapper who does all the, the live uh, simulcast stuff and she gives you all the selections She helps break down every race and analyze Every race for you We're going to get into race number 4 Maiden $16,000 claimers Mile and a 16th on the turf course here I thought the 4 Tour of the World was interesting Just because this is not A group that's very, it's been very strong On the turf Who really scares you in here Right, I, I wanted to use the the five unique path a little bit. They paid four hundred seventy five thousand for this horse, and and right away was in for forty. So there's there got to be some issues. And if you're playing sort of multi exotics, the five would probably be in the mix a little for me. But the four tour of the world actually comes out of some races at Canterbury and has run some decent to good efforts. That's a lot more than can be said for most in here. The spiritual king Monmouth races, I don't know. I actually think the Canterbury turf races. Some of those turf races are a little bit tougher, to be honest. Um, in particular, the ones that tour the world comes out of. So, to me, this is just a race where I don't think much of really anybody else in here. And I do think Tour the World has some races, at multiple races, that would be good enough to win this. Give me the number four at anything over five to one. Tour the world. If this one's five to one or so, I'll make a win wager. That's the number four in race number four over at Tampa on Wednesday. As we move to race number six, I'm looking. Okay, so this race is obviously it goes through the four the critical way, right? Greatest stakes winner, very, very fast, legitimate, good turf sprinter, and everything. So I think he's the horse to beat. But if this horse is around, uh, you know, 10, 12 to one, ship it red. Is absolutely worth a play. He exits a race at Keelan behind Caratori, who is definitely a stakes winner and is on the level with a horse like the Critical Way and has competed against horses that good. And Chip It Red, right before that, was performing really well over at Canterbury and has done a great job turf sprinting, is pretty versatile, doesn't have to be on the lead, can come from out of it, can pass some horses, but can also press and sit close. Number two, ship it red. Keep an eye on this one in race number six at Tampa. I had this guy marked like an eight to one shot in here. So if he's anything in that range or above, we're going to be playing him to win as we move to race number seven at Tampa. Optional 32 non twos in here. Seven furlongs, the distance. I honestly think that the three, Samoa, is just the best horse in this race by quite a bit. This is a horse who I've paid attention to from early on. She's always flashed ability. And when you dig into her races, if you toss the races on the turf, you toss the races on the slop. Yeah, I know that's being, you know, excusing a lot, but they kind of all came in a row. Winner last time out, coming off the bench, didn't race from the end of October till to, uh, the end of July to October. Comes back on October the 4th, wins at uh, at Delaware at a, at a big price, 11 to 1 in a first level allowance. The race has already come back live, and she had some trouble that day, too, with a slow start. She can be right on the front end. She showed us now she can pass horses, and maybe that's just a getting a little bit older and maturing thing. Toss the two turf tries on June in June and July at Belmont and Saratoga. Right before that, she was in the slop, and then right before that, she was again in the slop. So her first four races of 2021, I think you can make legitimate excuses for. I really do. 
The January race was one that sent her to the bench from January to the end of May. So she, no matter what, she didn't run well there. And then she probably would have needed the race anyways had she not hooked another sloppy racetrack. There are many excuses for why she ran poor three or four races in a row. And if she is anything over like two to one in here, I'm going to play her to win. I think she's an exotic single. Same wa the number three in race number seven there at Tampa on Wednesday. So best of luck over at Tampa on Wednesday. Good luck at Parks and Remington on Tuesday. And hopefully we helped steer you to a few winners. Right now, we're going to steer you on over to CindyCarava.com, full-service realtor Cindy Carava. We had her on the show last week, and she talked uh, all about what she can do as a full-service realtor, buying, selling, leasing, helping connect you with vendors for home improvement, helping put you in touch with lenders that can help with uh, with getting you pre-approved for home loans. She has a Black Friday deal going all the way through December the 31st where she will give you uh, deals. She will take money off of the services she will provide. So if you know you're looking and maybe you're going to wait a couple months, well, take advantage of the deal that you're going to get right now, the Black Friday special, cindycarava.com. Check out the website. All the great information that you need is right there. We head on into and back to the MCU, to that world, the Marvel MCU, that universe. Tim Kelly is back, and we are going to talk Hawkeye, episode one. Spoiler alert, spoiler alert, spoiler alert. We're going to hit on everything that happened in Hawkeye, episode one. We do a little overview, then we deep dive scene by scene. We've got the script. We go through the quotes, everything that goes on in episode one of Hawkeye. I loved it. I loved it. Tim was high on it, and we will tell you why next, right here on That's What She Said. It is time for uh, the next Marvel MCU installment. We are back to TV shows now. We are back to Disney+, Plus, and we are looking at Hawkeye. We actually got the first two episodes of Hawkeye that dropped just a few days ago, earlier, uh, before Thanksgiving this week. So, you know when there's a new movie, there's a new show, there's anything going on in the MCU. Tim Kelly is going to join me here on That's What G Said podcast. And this is a, an interesting show to discuss with Tim. I'm kind of curious. Uh, have not talked at all with Tim about his thoughts on this show. And uh, We're coming off of uh, a recap that we did of Eternals just about a week ago. And that was a very polarizing movie for uh, a lot of people out there, I think. There were plenty of things to enjoy about it, a lot of things that could have critiqued. So I'm uh, I'm interested in Tim's take on Hawkeye. So we've seen two episodes now, Tim. We'll talk a little bit about, you know, in the in the uh, presentation overall, we can talk about things that happened in both episodes. We'll probably separate the the recaps a little bit in case people down the line want to listen to episode 1 separate from episode 2. But what'd you what'd you think overall from the first two episodes that we thought? What's the feel? Like give me sort of uh your uh your you know your your uh first early thoughts of the series. Uh, really happy. Actually, this was a lot of fun. Um, I really, really dug the Shane black kind of action comedy vibe. Uh, I got that vibe from the trailer, so I was expecting it going in and I thought they nailed that tone, uh, you know, through and through, um, love that they have the, the Christmas setting that just always has a nice vibe. And it's also another Shane black ism, uh, that I thought they, they nailed really well. And uh, yeah, I just thought this was a nice, refreshing reset back to the ground level uh, MCU stuff. And I I actually liked it maybe a little bit better than uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier, which I thought was the last kind of attempt 
mm-hmm. uh, at TV at least to do that in the MCU. The similar, the similar style of like, we're not talking about these really phantasmical, out of this world mm-hmm. uh, type ideas. And what's great about this is that you can just kind of sense it from the very beginning. I don't think. You know, the just the build-up for this wasn't like any of the things that we recently saw. Uh, you know, with Eternals, where we're thinking that this is going to be this be- big, you know, new world-building uh, um, best picture movie. Shang Chi is introducing us to this entire new world, and a lot of these ideas. Loki is bringing us into the multiverse. Uh, WandaVision yeah. is like a big, huge thing where you know Wanda has all of these people in this town. Like under her spell and this is like a huge Deal with with a lot going on And now you're kind of back to A guy Hawkeye who wasn't The most popular Avenger To begin with he's never really been One that story's been told up In the forefront but that's what's really Cool about this particular Era of MCU product uh, Projects and, and, and movies and what We've seen is everything is Based around new characters or Characters who weren't really Major major players uh, You know in in a lot of the Early Marvel stuff and a lot of The early world building and I gotta Say Tim it's hard Not to just compare this to some of The most recent things that we've Seen right but I think we're We gotta kind of do that because What did we just talk about Eternals Shang-Chi and mm-hmm. then all the, the TV shows We're introduced In this show now to a, a couple new characters We have we know Clint Barton We know Hawkeye But we don't know Kate Bishop We, we are introduced to Kate We're introduced to Jack DeKens We're introduced to uh, You know some of the Bishop family And you know uh, uh, We get a brief at the end of episode 2 Look at Echo Maya Lopez The thing that stands out to me About this particular series so far And what they've been able to do in this show so much better Than what they did in Eternals And the major I think the major Gripe that you and I had about Eternals is Man after two episodes of this Show I feel like I know Kate Bishop Really well really yeah. well Like I know her motivations I know what Who she is from the from the beginning The scene that we got when she was 10 The little scene with her friends At college the scenes and interactions With her mom just the way that She's pushed the boundaries there you know, I I know her after an hour and maybe 20 minutes or 30 minutes, whatever these two episodes were put together, I think 40, 40 and like 50 minutes. or I feel like I know her so much better than I knew any character that we were just introduced to in the in Eternals movie, which is way yeah. better. And, and it's like I'm so much more invested in her now. Every time she goes into a battle Every time she goes looking for something When she even, you know, kind of her snarky Commentary, what's going on with her and her mom What's going on with her and and Jack Like, everything here, I feel like they've done Such a better job in a short time Introducing us to this new character Than they did with really any of the characters in Eternals It's true, and uh, I don't know Maybe credit to Haley Steinfeld uh, Because I thought she did a great job I thought she nailed it, was super funny Believable in this character And I thought uh, the writers did a good job Creating uh, A believable kind of Feminine superhero uh, That that, uh, that came out of You know, the The attack on New York, it was all inspired By that, and we got that great Kind of origin story for her that trades all the way back to that moment that, you know, the MCU keeps going back to um, that initial attack on New York. 
Um, and, uh, and it was, uh, it was a really incredible scene to, to just uh, be diving into her world there. And then, uh, they just drew her out throughout the episode in a really believable, uh, and interesting kind of way. And again, just credit to, uh, the performance there. I thought she, she nailed it and just did, she had a, just, I, I would say just a charisma that yep. you just wanted to keep watching her on, on screen. Everything about this show so far, it just like you kind of you know what it is. Like you said, we get the tone of it right away. We understand what we're doing here. We're we're with Hawkeye. We're introduced. We're getting introduced to Kate. But this is like a a time a time ticking clock story. You know, where this isn't Hawkeye needs to save the world because let's be honest, it can't always be that way. Everything can't always be the whole world is going to end right here. We got to save it. There have to be things that are lower level stakes, but still are very important to Hawkeye. The most important thing in the world is getting home for his family before Christmas, because this is something that this guy has not done many times throughout his life. He lived a life as this, you know, an assassin and uh, the the you know the Ronin and and then as Hawkeye mm-hmm. and he was on all these missions doing all these things he was never home. He, we hear him in episode one right off the bat, kind of planning out what are we gonna do, what are we gonna, what are all the plans gonna. It's like um the the Christmas bucket list with the family things that we didn't do. I'm gonna cram them all in. Let's do them all. So yeah. I, that's what I really like about this too. It's not it doesn't always have to be. Oh my gosh, this is the end of the world if I don't hear. He even jokes about it a few times with things where he's like, ah, I fought Thanos, you know, and he gives he right. says that when he's doing different things. I just like you said, for refreshing is the right word because and I think the timing of this, they've done a really good job with the I think the timing and, and sort of the way they've laid out some of the the projects because I don't know if it was a coincidence that a lot of people after Eternals now were probably feeling like we were maybe I don't know a little overwhelmed isn't the right word But just ah, maybe they bit off a little more they can chew there And now this feels just so much back like down to earth Yeah and and, I mean it goes back to that thing that we always talk about Of like did it move you Like uh, in some way did it move you Now this didn't like you know change my heart or anything like that I didn't have any kind of revelation uh, But it was nice fun popcorn uh, kind of a move You know know what I mean Yeah it, it was a party, you know, I had a good time watching these episodes uh, and uh, I, I laughed a little bit. It was one of the funnier uh, mm-hmm. MCU products uh, or projects I've seen. We both actually good. said product earlier. That's, you mentioned that's this all the time. Like sometimes you can really feel like uh, that was the that was the place where they were going for the laugh. You know, and and sometimes yeah. it and sometimes it hurts movies or shows where it's like, okay, they were trying a little too hard. But with uh, maybe it's a little bit of Renner too, how he is as an actor. It, it's very subtle with him, um, everything you know, and he yeah. said he, da- he really downplays it. So it's never really like slapsticky that he's hitting you over the head with it. It's a lot of situational stuff, you know, the situation mm-hmm. that he's put in. And I thought immediately we don't see it very much in episode one. They they just interact at the very end. But mm-hmm. in episode two, I thought there's a really good chemistry and a dynamic between oh, yeah. him and uh, and Kate Bishop and just the the you know the she looks up to him and she wants his approval, but he just is done with this and he's got this whole like lethal weapon. I'm too old for this shit thing mm-hmm. going on, you know. Like I'm done. I got to get back to my family. I thought 
the you know the the back and forth between them was really really good and yeah I didn't I don't have a whole lot I'm I'm sure as we get through the scenes and we'll do our our scene by scene you know deep dive and breakthrough there will be some things that we will critique and stuff but just kind of overall I didn't have very many big picture negatives and I come out of these first two episodes a lot more just kind of interested in Hawkeye overall and I think that was a lot a yeah. big part of what this show was supposed to do too is like hey you know this guy wasn't always in the you know in the forefront of everything but he has a story to tell and it is when you take a step back it is a really cool story because this guy doesn't have superpowers he's not mm-hmm. enhanced with some super serum he wasn't in a super suit he was the most regular guy of any of the Avengers and not even rich, not even not, rich, not even rich, n- just skilled, just with one particular yeah. skill, really. And he's a, a good fighter in that. But just, a you know, the archer and just the fact that he can he can shoot and he, you know, you come out of this just, oh, my gosh, this guy's a regular guy. He's going to get yeah. bumps and bruises. He's got to put Neosporin and clean his wounds. And you see him, he's deaf now in one ear. He's got to have a hearing aid because of all the explosions and everything that he's been through. And, you know, it's there's a real human feel to this series, too, in a way that you don't feel in a lot of, you know, superhero movies. Because those superheroes a lot of times feel, hey, uh, shout out to another superhero show earlier this year, Invincible. You know, um, and and it's cool to see someone who's not um, well, in this sense in 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 Hawkeye, which I I really like that. Like I love the scene when they go into the store to get the supplies. She's all pumped. Where yeah. are we going? We're gonna go get some Avenger supplies and stuff. And he's like, "Give me the Neospore and hey, get the rubbing alcohol down there." And she's like, "This is just no, no, really." <laughs> Yeah, they have great chemistry, like you said, and uh, yeah, that's credit also to uh, Jeremy Renner. I mentioned Haley Steinfeld's performance. Jeremy Renner really nails it. Uh, as you mentioned, he's got this kind of grumpy, grizzled veteran kind of like he just doesn't he's not even supposed to be here today. Kind of a vibe the whole time. Uh, and uh, and uh, their chemistry just works uh, like they don't have much of it in the first episode because they just meet at the end. Uh, and it's great the way they set up both their stories. Um, and it almost feels more like it's it's uh, Kate Bishop's story in the first episode. But once you get yes. to the dynamic of the two of them, uh, they're playing off each other and it really works. And the reason it works so well is, yeah, we said the the, the performances, but the, the writing, the way the writing is so based in their characters and their motivations are so relatable. You've got Kate Bishop who who wants to kind of avenge her father. So she's naturally drawn towards being like an Avenger ultimately. And I think that's what they're setting her up for to be a a young Avenger. That's one of the purposes of this show, I think uh, beyond just rehabilitating and giving Hawkeye his due. Um, But then also you've got, like you mentioned, Hawkeye's very relatable uh, familial motivations. Like he just wants to enjoy Christmas with his family and uh, like who who can't relate to that. Exactly. Everybody can understand that. Everybody's had to work one year that something's happened or this or that you've missed it. And the next year going in, you go, okay, we're going to make this one better than last year for whatever Mm -hmm. reason. Like we're going to do this one just the right way. My kids are growing up. We're going to have fun with them. We're going to do it. Uh, You know, and there is, um, it's a, it's a good dance that they're able to do telling this story because it's it's easier telling a story when we know 
part of the players in it, right? Um, just again, comparing to what happened in Eternals, where they're having to introduce us to 12 different people, tell all these new stories. It's nice that in episode one, mm-hmm. they're telling a lot of what happened to Kate, but but we're able to see it and kind of flash back and forth with Hawkeye, who we know, we know his story. Right. We know what he's been through. And so it's uh it's not like all of this over overwhelmingly new exposition that's kind of hitting us in the face. It's like a oh, we kind of jump into Kate, we see what's going on with her, and then we bounce back to Hawkeye for a minute. And even right away where we start, I mean, we start in this very familiar place to the MCU, the Battle of New York. You know, we're starting yeah. in this place that we've seen depicted. Five, six, seven different times through different movies and shows and in different ways and different versions. So I just, I, it, it's funny because, you know, we, like we said last week, if you listened to the Eternals recap and, you know, spoiler alert, it's not like we're really going to get into anything from that, but just the way that we were vibing afterwards, it was like, you know, it was probably one of the more negative recaps we've done, I think, yeah. on anything. And and not even that we hated it, just that we felt like, eh, there were just a lot of things that could have been done differently. Yeah, you know, maybe we'll feel different after we see Eternals two or where we these people show up moving forward. Um, but but this is nice. I got I've got such a good vibe about it. Like I actually, um, kind of forgot. I thought that um it was going to come out on Wednesday night into Thursday, and then I sort of late. Uh, remembered oh it's actually going to come out Tuesday night into Wednesday so I was again Like right. staying up right uh, I stayed up and watched it Like right away really early and it was cool I'm glad I did and so now I think this is going to Kind of be that show for me too where I'm I'm excited like I was with a lot of the TV shows To watch them right away as soon as I can Like late that night if possible right yeah. when they come Out because I'm I'm interested and I'm intrigued And hey we've already seen two of these episodes This is just a short one there's only uh, Six episodes in here um, But there's a lot of things To kind of look forward to that we sort of know are going to happen in this series. We just got a very brief look at a character named Echo, Maya Lopez, yeah. at the end of episode two, who is a death leader uh, and and someone. Uh, she's a leader of the tracksuit mafia. Who okay? Before we get right. into anything more specific, these are such a fun group of like dumb street yeah. level villains. Oh, they're great. They make yeah. you laugh. Like they're not supposed to be the smartest people in the world. They're not supposed mm-hmm. to be this like high level criminal organization. They're kind of just dumb criminals who it, it, they're funny, man. They made me laugh and they're they're yeah. running around in these dude where my car dude where's my car tracksuits, you know? <laughs> yeah, and they they almost heighten the, the tone a, a little bit. They make it almost like a farce, but but not too much. They don't take it too far where it's like not believable or, or too incongruous yep. with the overall tone of the show i think they it plays really fun and funny and uh they have just the right amount of of uh like threateningness to them as well like they they seem like they could yep. still be very dangerous mm-hmm. and if you follow the comics uh a little bit too i i i haven't read the uh the matt fraction uh run there uh but um from what i know i'm sorry matt fraction and david aha uh the the comic series that this um, miniseries is largely based on uh, is very well uh, beloved comic series here. Uh, but um, if you if you read that and you know a little bit about that, the tracksuit mafia does some dangerous things along the way and uh, and may uh, may be a little bit more 
of a threat than we realize long term. So let's get into episode one, and uh, we'll we'll go through scene by scene, uh, like uh, like we do with our our deep dives here. We'll get into probably some of the other things that we missed in sort of the overall scene setting. As uh, episode one begins with 2012 and the Battle of New York, and we're seeing this battle. So we get the the start of the show. We get the normal MCU open, the uh, Marvel title, and then the the 2012. New York title up on the screen As we Can see a look at a Young girl who we will come to know As 10 year old Kate Bishop she's sitting in her Room and her her parents are Arguing she can hear them Through the vents in her room she's eavesdropping A lot of people kids have done this through the years You gotta listen in through the door listening Underneath she's listening through the vents As her parents battle back and forth uh, the mom said I need this needed the signatures and the man's yelling I tell uh, I'm telling you it's not the problem we have to wait a little longer the market's going to turn around and everything will be fine okay we have to sell the penthouse they live in this really nice uh nice apartment in in New York they are right there in the middle of of you know downtown and so they're fighting back and forth Kate's trying to make out what their parents are talking about and the mom says maybe growing up in, in this place you got used to the idea That a solution will just fall out of the sky But it won't uh, we got a daughter to think of and The dad's arguing back I've got it under control Eleanor And as they're arguing they can hear A noise up in their Daughter's room so They kind of think that Kate was Probably listening eavesdropping In on them and so then actually Kate's dad walks up into her Room and uh, and Asks you know Kate you shouldn't eavesdrop And then she actually has a funny line here Then how would I know what you're saying when I'm not there Which just kind of early on Gives you an idea of uh, of Kate's sort of spunk At the age of 10 That she she's just very curious She wants to know what's going on And the, um, I, I didn't mention it in the uh, you know when we were when we were talking But I, I, I love you know As we get out of the scene and into Kate when she grows up and then she's you know in some of the early fight scenes, it's got this like really young Spider-Man um, kind of figuring things out on the streets, kind of like Kick-Ass, yeah. which I love Kick-Ass. Yeah. Tim. that's like one of my like closet favorite early ones. They're, like she's oh, yeah. a little smoother as a fighter because she's trained and stuff, but it's really raw. Some of the scenes they're kind of dark. She's she's not mm-hmm. really all that clean and coordinated. She's still uh, and and that's. There's they they kind of uh, were able to to connect with that um, a little bit with me and in reading and in, in hearing a lot about this there's a lot of really good New York stuff in the beginning right here with Kate when she's young that you can just kind of see through the background and then even more uh, in in the present day where they're in New York moving along through Christmas time they even mentioned Home Alone uh, two as a, a, a movie yeah. they would look at and see some cool spots that they at least wanted to have people run by and uh, and maybe walk into so we get to look at the the intro to Kate's dad and uh, he kind of jokes with her and you can see they have a really good relationship early on as uh, you know she said her dad laughs back. Uh, at, you know, I can't argue with you there. He asks her, "How much did you hear?" She says, "I don't want to move." He says, "Oh, that much, huh? We don't have to." How do you know? Mommy said things don't just fall from the sky. Well, well, yeah, but there's always going to be weather. Uh, some people forget the one thing they can control—the choices they make in the face of it. She asks him, "What would you do in a hurricane?" 
And Pops responds What I would always do Protect you Now go have some lunch with your mom I'll I'll be downstairs He kind of throws a uh, ball at her so Think fast And so uh, pretty quickly he's able to Turn the situation around Good dad stuff right here man This is good stuff from the Pops I, I learned a thing or two here watching this Yeah you can immediately tell that it's like She's a daddy's girl uh, she favors the dad a little bit over the mom and maybe the mom uh, doesn't really want to be so, uh, a mom so much. I, I got that kind of vibe uh, from it. Um, but uh, I also got a little bit of a vibe that the dad was maybe a little weak here, uh, just that he didn't have a, a response uh, to his his daughter. Like when he said, oh, I, don't, I don't know what to say to that, basically. Um, yeah, I got the fact the, the 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 vibe that he was a little bit ineffectual, maybe, and then that would probably bleed out into his relationship with his wife, who's a lot more domineering. Um, and uh, I, I wonder how that uh, how that dynamic uh, worked in the long run, and um, if it was really working out between uh, you know the husband and wife. There, obviously, we we came in on them fighting, so we know they're not uh, seeing eye to eye, at least. Uh, but uh, you know. We we end up, you know, spoiler alert, I'll jump ahead here, losing uh, the father. Uh, maybe the mom has something to do with that. That's something I've been suspicious of uh, kind of early on. Absolutely. So I, yeah. So she does go down. Kate does go down to eat lunch with her mom and her mom's trying to cheer her up. And she says moms can be fun, too. And she even kind of like pops a piece of food up. Like a little carrot or some piece of fruit I think and she eats it and she's kind of laughing And so she she's Perking up her daughter uh, here a little bit Too and she says you know Why don't you she goes, look I made you smile Why don't you go grab the checkers we can liven Things up and Kate agrees So she goes upstairs to get uh, the, the game out of her room And her mom says I'm Going downstairs I'll be Right back so upstairs In her room Kate hears a noise And then we can see in the window behind her explosions outside. She starts looking around, and there is stuff flying by all over the place. This is the Battle of New York in 2012 now happening, and she is in this high-rise apartment right there in like the middle of all of it. She runs downstairs. She's panicking. She's screaming for her mom and her dad. Um, and and now part of her house, like walls of her house, have been blown off. She literally walks up to the end and she can just see everything happening right in front of her as uh, Stark Tower, we see, missing a letter. Uh, Guitari's fl- like flying all over here. And there, there is this big sort of scene of uh, people flying in the air. They're coming at her, I think, some of the Qataris. And she actually gets saved by Hawkeye kind of shooting an arrow. He doesn't even really know he's saving her. He just kind of plucks right. He just kind of plucks whoever out of the sky He's taking him out yeah yeah, And that ends up saving her She actually sees Hawkeye do his awesome Little jump Twisting dive that he's known yeah. for And The one thing that I, I noticed Especially on this, the rewatch Watching this on the second time back was How long she's standing there Before her mom comes It's right. like two minutes I'm not, I went and timed it She's literally standing wow. there watching all of this stuff go on for two minutes after screaming for her mom. And she ran what downstairs. Happened? Where is her mom? What is she doing? And we don't see her dad again, like you said. So that was something that was very, very noticeable. And and we, you know, we both picked up on that. Her mom, Eleanor, 
I mean, something's going on here because she was yelling yeah. right off the bat and she wasn't there. Come on. If if something like this happens, Tim, what's the first thing you're doing? You're going looking for your kid. Right. Where yeah. like, you're, you're going to go help them. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So you got to wonder. I mean, you could assume if you give her the benefit of the doubt that maybe she was incapacitated in some way, you know, some piece of debris fell, blocked her, uh, you know, and, that, and it just took her that long. But, yeah, you got to think, like, maybe she used that time and the, the distraction of the attack to maybe do something about the husband. Maybe she somehow even knows knew something about the attack, which would make her uh, a very important figure uh, in the MCU uh, that we just don't really know about. Uh, how could you possibly know about the the invasion before it happened? That that would be very interesting to to find out. Um, but yeah, you just you don't wait two minutes. You don't just sit around waiting for two minutes while your your, your kid is somewhere in the house and and aliens are attacking around you. Um, but this was an awesome awesome sequence i gotta say uh the the cg here and the the way it all played out the way they tied in that iconic moment of of hawkeye jumping off the ledge uh but you see it from a different angle that and that was a great moment that uh is from the comics as well as uh the uh the 2012 avengers movie um but there was no drop off from the the movie level to what we saw on this TV show here. That's what I really liked about this. Didn't seem uh, lower level quality no, or like less all. less money put into it because it was yeah. a TV show, and you immediately understand. Okay, Kate, like why Kate likes Hawkeye? Why she mm-hmm. feels tied to this guy? This guy saved her life. She saw this go down. She was a ten year old girl in in these moments of her life where she's. She's uh, so uh, young and, and, and so impressionable. She sees this guy who looks like the coolest thing in the world. He's just yeah. jump, does this amazing jump move too. Like just from a from like a an aesthetic standpoint, that is like yeah. a, one of the cooler moves too, right? Oh yeah, and she has the perfect vantage on it, and he's he's kicking a little ass before he does the jump too. So like they pulled off the um, the action choreography. Uh, for the whole thing, you know, like it, it really looked impressive to me. I was just in it. And then if you take it back a little bit, uh, just the way the attack unfolded and the way you realize as a viewer what you're watching uh, when you're watching it is is I thought was really well done. They sort of did the whole Jurassic Park. You kind of feel it and hear it before you see any of it happen. Um, uh, I was, I'm immediately thinking of Jurassic Park when the the T-Rex is coming and you're seeing the ripples in the water and you're just feeling the sound, uh, Mm -hmm. the, 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 the sound of the attack happening. And you just kind of realize, oh, we're here. We're at the, the, the battle of, of New York. And we get this great alternative vantage there. Uh, it's, it just played out really beautifully. And, um, there was a, there was suspense in it and, it was a worthwhile endeavor to see this ground level. And it was one of the things that was probably a, uh, a big uh, complaint and criticism of Avengers uh, and a lot of the comic book movies of the time, is, uh, uh, especially that you weren't seeing enough of that, of that ground uh, level reaction of like, what, what are the human beings experiencing this attack going through? Um, maybe Avengers didn't show quite enough of that. Uh, but but now we really get to experience that on, on in a way that felt visceral and it felt like a like a worthwhile uh, endeavor to kind of go back to that moment and and, uh, and experience. 
So Eleanor picks up her daughter Kate And she gets out of there So we have to get out of here And Kate asks is daddy okay And she screams for her dad Mom doesn't say anything back to her But we immediately cut to Kate and Eleanor at a funeral And they're both crying And Kate looks at her mom and asks What if they come back I think meaning just the the bad guys You know the people who killed their dad Everything that was happening in the city She says they won't Mom says they won't come back Because the heroes showed them what would happen And even though this is scary I'm still the luckiest woman in the world Because I have the greatest little girl in the world She's consoling her daughter And I just think all along Even here like watching this back again like she doesn't seem that sad I don't know mm-hmm. you know she's trying to be strong For her daughter maybe you can say But she doesn't seem just broken up Like you would if you just lost right. Your husband and the love of your life And the father of your child I think I mean maybe we're reading into it a little Because we're looking for that turn but damn It does right. feel like there's something there with her It's suspicious it really is And I love the, the line That she says too um, You know about the heroes. Uh, showing them what would happen if they do come back, uh, because that also serves to to again just kind of uh, it serves as this formative moment for mm-hmm. Kate Bishop to kind of point her in the direction of being that hero I'm and that. and putting putting it in her mind that that's that's the dynamic. That's how it works. Like we can stop them. And she believes it from an early age. And she saw it with her own eyes from that perfect vantage point that a normal person can you know, uh, achieve that level of greatness where they're, you know, defending earth <laughs> against this like mighty foe, you know, on the, on such a grand scale. And she believes that wholeheartedly. And then that just goes into this great, um, you know, opening credit sequence where you get all these animations that, you know, play that out over her youth and you get to see her training and, and, and achieving these athletic skills. Uh, she's fencing and she's a, a gymnast and you and you imagine that she's uh, like this Olympic level athlete in all these uh, various disciplines that are going to allow her to achieve that level of of um, of proficiency as a, a hero. And it all of that comes together to make it believable and make her character something that you would buy. And let's be honest, there's no such thing as that. Like we'll we'll never see a character like that in real life. No girl is going to go kick a bunch of tracksuit mafia guys asses like, uh, you know, it just doesn't happen. But they do a great job in this story Mm -hmm. of just putting those like little logic beats there in a believable way to create a believable character that we can just buy into. It works, you know, whether or not it would work in real life. And that's that's what I really like about this. They took the time and they thought it through. And they drew out some really uh, fun characters, and it's it's grounded in a in a in a kind of reality that that we can all kind of uh, accept. She tells her her mother says, um, "I need to protect us, and whatever you need, I'm here for you." And she says, "I need a bow and arrow." Kate, back to her mom. She wants to be a hero. She just saw Hawkeye, and that is her motivation. That is her inspiration. As uh, we get the opening. Credits and the opening intro for this show, which I think is really cool. It's yeah. a really cool look. It's got this very graphic novel feel to it, where you're getting like exact animation that you you mm-hmm. you, you kind of feel like it comes right out of the comic. And we're actually getting and specifically the Matt Fraction 
uh, run of the comics too. Like Ex- that, it, it looks just like that Hawkeye series. And what's nice is that we're actually getting like a view of Kate growing up through the intro. Like a lot of the years that we didn't see between ten and then when we flash to present day, as we see her learning. How to you know how to use the bow and arrow We see her learning archery we see her Winning all of these awards we see her learning Karate we see her winning Medals and awards we see her doing Gymnastics and learning so now Like you said No one's gonna go oh okay yeah this girl Could you know beat up a whole group Of tracksuit guys but It at least makes you go Okay well she's someone who has been Trained now for 10 years of her life In multiple things They even make sure you see the trophies And the medals she's won They make sure she mentions it She's very proud of her accomplishments And she tells people hey this is I won this and I'm the best some people say I'm the best archer That there is Uh, Some of those people you well maybe But hey they do say that you know So um, like you said it's not It doesn't take a lot it just takes mm-hmm. a few little things here and there for you to go. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, that that makes sense. Okay, she could do that. And uh, now we're now we're in present day, and we. Wait, see... oh, sorry, real go quick. Ahead. Compare that to Aquafina's arc in uh, Shang Chi, where she's she's an archer there, but they they show her training one time, and then she she makes the big shot at the end. Now, obviously, it's like luck and destinies in there, but it just feels a lot more empty. When you that's don't have comparison. those those logic beats there, it just feels a lot more like ah yeah that's you know the writers just did that I guess and you just go along with it. But in in this case, it it feels earned. It does. It's a great comparison too. As uh, we flash now to present day, and we're seeing Stone Tower. Obadiah, gotta be right. But this would be kind of funny <laughs> right. because isn't he maybe disgraced? You would wonder if they would. Still want to have a tower named after him But it uh, it's a college And we see Kate trying to pick a lock So she's older now And it doesn't work So she actually has to like scale this building Where she kind of climbs most of this building And she ends up on the roof And she gets a call from one of her friends And as she's talking with her friends She's moving along through this bag that she has With arrows and and tennis balls And uh, she's basically trying to win a bet with her friends Like some college friends Like it's like a drunk prank sort of a thing Where she's trying to tell Like everybody knows that she's really good at archery And and she's very skilled And she, you know, she's like I bet I can hit the bell I bet I can make the bell ring I bet the thing goes back and forth You know, they're just like, no, that's not the way it works Yeah, that's the way the bell works This bell tower in their college So she climbs up to the roof And she she puts a tennis ball on the end of this arrow Just to make sure that nothing too crazy happens And she shoots it And she pings it right on Perfect, she hits it but like nothing happens It just sort of like bounces right back off the arrow Off the, the bell and her two friends are like Oh that was disappointing like That was <laughs> that, that wasn't what we were like drinking And like thinking it was going to be so exciting So she's okay hold on Let me let me fix, let me fix this I, I know what to do So she tweaks the arrow a little bit So it actually is coming through the tennis ball And then she shoots it with like a higher uh, arc So that way it comes down over She nails it so the arrow Comes around on the bell cord And is just tugging repeatedly On this bell And she is just 
freaking proud of herself, TK, man. She is beaming. Yeah. She's got her chest puffed out. Her friends are pretty pumped, too. It's it's kind of cool. It's a late at night, and now this bell out of nowhere is just ringing like hell, and, and it won't stop. And then all of a sudden, the bell kind of hits like a little too far. It's It's going back and forth, and then the cord pulls down, and then all of a sudden, the there's a little bit of a crack. And she's, oh, it's okay, it's just a crack And then the whole top of the tower starts crumbling And this tower, she just destroyed this whole thing And it's causing a huge scene Security ends up, you know, running right up on her As she's on the roof here And and as they're standing there You can see behind her more and more of the building falling apart And just kind of cracking and crushing I thought it was a pretty funny scene there So we get our first intro of... Uh, a little bit older, we're going to find out 22-year-old Kate Bishop. And what would you think of this first scene where we meet the present-day Kate? It was fun, just continuing that theme. I, I, you know what? I felt almost every scene was fun, and this set that tone uh, in, a, in a really great way. Obviously, the opening sequence was, was heavier. Uh, but the, uh, from here on out, we get a lot of, of, of just fun, fun, fun. And uh, I thought the comedy landed. I, that's what you want. That's what you're looking for uh, in, in these things. And if the comedy's not landing, you're just disconnected from the story and you're, you're pulled out of it. Uh, but um, I thought the CG was good. Uh, I thought that it, it gave you a good sense of like who the character was, that she was kind of rebellious. Uh, like she's an overachiever, but also she's not like some goody two shoes. Uh, she's she's got like a, a an edge to her, and she's fun. She's fun and funny. Um, uh, yeah, it was just a, a like a good overall scene that that really I think set the tone really well. So uh, Kate is now obviously in trouble here. As uh, it, this was yeah, this was a lot of fun. Like you said, fun is the word that I just mm-hmm. keep thinking more and more when we when we're going to talk about this as. Uh, and all Marvel should be fun, right? Absolutely. I feel like it has to be. That's one of the core elements of what makes a, a Marvel movie is it has to be fun. It can't be this like weary and jury thing. It can have moments of of weight and heaviness to it. Uh, but ultimately, you're going for a fun ride. So we are now back in New York and we hear Christmas music playing all over. We actually see signs for Rogers the musical. This was great. Yes. I can't believe we've we actually been this long before we mentioned this. And uh <laughs> and the, so we see the signs outside of this theater and the show is being performed and just wow. Um we get all of the like Avengers being the and and, and the, the Battle of New York and all the things that have happened to them. Being play being acted out in a play that Clint Hawkeye is watching with his family, and it is just really offensive stuff. You know, they're singing and dancing about like after all these people are are dead, a lot of them are gone. Um, what seems to really impact Clint is seeing Natasha up there. He even gets pissed off because Ant Man's up there. He's like that that guy's not there. Like he's not even there in the battle. And the, the the chorus, like what they're singing, um, help us win, save us all from the state we're in. Things look dark, but this can't be the end. There's a future that I know with the strength that you'll bring us will rise again. Avengers unite, because we've got to hear you say, I could do this all day. That's the that's like the 
the catchphrase of the song Caps, uh, Caps catchphrase um, Save us from the state we're in The Hulk is incredible Smashing things up while Iron Man takes to the sky Captain America is strong and Thor is a god And Lord knows they're easy on the eyes Black Widow's a knockout <laughs> Who can knock you out And when Ant-Man flies you won't hear a sound And Clint is like Just so bothered by this That his daughter can kind of tell She even kind of asks Dad? And kind of blurry sound And she says dad did you turn off your hearing aid? And he kind of Turns turns it back up But no honey I I mean I know what happens I was there You know who (laughs) wasn't there? That guy Ant-Man and he he points over To someone playing so this was really funny, TK. I read that yeah. they, they were inspired a lot by Hamilton. Some of the, uh, I think yeah. the writers said that they, when they were driving to work every day, that they would see these Hamilton signs, and they were like, "Okay, we yeah. gotta, we gotta do something with this." And so, this is, this has become something that so many people have been excited about. And, and you know what? Like, this is something that, like, I just didn't feel in Eternals very much. Like there wasn't, there wasn't even like the one scene or part. I mean, we're talking about Falcon and the Winter Soldier. We're talking about the Zemo cut, right? Um, we're talking right. about like Loki. There were just like things like the scene, the the jet ski. Everybody wanted to see Owen Wilson on the jet ski. There were just like things yeah. in each of these shows that everybody was, everybody was excited about Agatha, and they knew the stuff like there. And I don't know if there was that. Thing with Eternals that much Shang-Chi there was there was some stuff coming out of The bus scene was fun and we talked about this and that But like yeah I don't know This is just one of those things that People want to see a full release Of this now of Rogers the musical Like on Disney plus it's just like a Standalone (laughs) like show That I guarantee you is going to be done At some point uh, I think it would be cool maybe if there was extra Footage there that they could cut together to Just um, make it seem like like 10 15 minute special like they did With something right like it just that, Yeah that'd be fun I mean if they already Have the footage I, I think they should uh, Recut it that'd be that'd be fantastic Maybe they already have plans for it But man this was uh, instant uh, Meme worthy stuff right Here I I, I thought it was um, One of the most Standout like original Laugh out loud moments uh, it's a really interesting time for musicals right now. It's like very big in the in the zeitgeist. Uh, we're speaking a, a day after uh, Stephen Sondheim uh, passed away. Uh, so that's something that's out there. Rest in peace. Like I, one of the greatest to ever do it. Uh, you know, writing for um, uh, um, um, so many, so many. Proli- he was just one of the most prolific writers in in this. Uh, in musical theater. So like, that's kind of crazy that he just now passed away. He was just featured also in uh, a great film from uh, one of our Spider-Men, Andrew Garfield, uh, directed by Lin-Manuel Miranda, Tick, Tick, Boom. Just saw that on Netflix. Fantastic film, by the way. Uh, and Stephen Sondheim played a, a big character in there. We also had In the Heights released in the past year. Um, obviously, Hamilton's huge in the zeitgeist, just won a bunch of Emmys for the release on Disney Plus last year. Uh, so it's it's a big time for for musicals, and I thought that including this just felt like another realistic addition that created um, a realistic world, uh, and it was it was hilarious. I mean, it it, it was a send up to uh, musicals. Uh, it was definitely a parody. Uh, it wasn't a good musical or example of like why you should go see musicals, uh, but it did parody it very well. It was it it did all the bad things. 
mm-hmm. that musicals can do uh, very well and shine yep. kind of a light, a, a comedic light on those things. Taking like a really serious thing and making it cringeworthy, mm-hmm. you know, like that was that was what you're getting here. And just in the lyrics and the background too, like Black Widow will conquer the Kitari. Then get sh- then get shawarma when we're done. Just how we <laughs> just how we are to fight them. Uh, and I can do this all day. I right? can do this all day. Was that was the was line that really line. got me? <laughs> and then <laughs> I think it, it finishes with like I think there at some point they say we could I could do this all night. Just <laughs> funny funny stuff here as uh, Clint is really bothered by this, but. Uh, there's a cool little moment. I do like a lot of throughout the uh, the show where you, you kind of get the sense of like, oh, yeah, this dude like walks by all these people on the streets, you know, like he people see him all over the place uh, and, and they know him and some people recognize yeah. him. It's not like as if it's, you know, Cap walking down the street, but people know who this guy is. He was, you know, heavily involved in some major, major events um, as of late. Yeah. So. This little girl kind of smiles and waves at him He kind of just nods back But he gets up out of his seat And he goes to the bathroom And when he goes to stand At the urinal he looks down And he don't worry folks I'm not going to get pornographic or anything He looks down and he sees a a writing On the top of the urinal that says Thanos was right How about that Tim (laughs) Raises a lot of questions Uh, actually uh, I I, want to know like what does the average person know about the details of the snap? Like, yeah. uh, that's that's really fascinating to me. Like, how that information got disseminated. Like, documentaries within the world. Like, what were the, like? What was the Oprah special like? Like, did mm-hmm. the Avengers go on like an Oprah or Doctor Phil or whatever and because and tell their very, stories? Very like revered here now. You know, yeah. this is so where we are now. And this is a good point too. We are the farthest into current day that we've been in, in Marvel in the MCU. Mm-hmm. This is present day now. I guess the farthest that we've been in anything is, you know, low key going into the future, the end of the timeline. But as far as like a specific time, we haven't been to anything that's that's beyond where we are right now. Um, which is uh which is kind of cool. So we then see Clint uh <laughs> Get just run up on at the tur- at the urinal by some dude who wants to take a selfie with him while he's taking a piss. It's like, <laughs> come on, man, the guy's taking yeah. a piss. Like, let him take, let him just let him give him a minute. And Clint even says, um, not really the appropriate time. So he kind of <laughs> goes over and washes his hands. And the dude, just random dude, follows right behind him. He's like looking <laughs> in the mirror. He's like, now's a better time, right? Like, just uh, shaking. <laughs> it was like, come on, man. Um, uh, Like those are the kind of uh, Comedy stuff where that's funny That's a funny thing because that's Mm -hmm. kind of A real thing that you see like Celebrities that happens to them all the time When they're like in the bathroom or in the the most Inopportune time and like They're coming out of their flight in the airport They got their kids and bags or whatever And someone's asking them for an autograph and they're like Come on can you just like give me a second Can you look at the situation here But somebody sees someone they know and they want that Autograph or they want that selfie and it's like That's the only thing they're thinking of right Yeah now's his chance You know yeah couldn't wait till he gets out of there No Uh, Like you said though that was it was really Funny it was well done it was just a small Moment but uh and it wasn't Even like a whole lot of dialogue in there it was just Kind of uh played for laughs But it also gave you another sense of Kind of 
the loneliness um, that, that Clint is feeling at this point, the kind of uh, disconnect from the, the public that he's feeling. He's in, he's in a weird kind of a state. He's not quite comfortable. So Clint actually walks outside um, and he's out front of the, the theater. And the, move, the show is still going on. The play is still going on. But his daughter actually walks out and asks, Dad, are you okay? He says, yeah, yeah. And, uh, he said, I just wanted to come out for some uh, some fresh air. And she she understands. Uh, Dad, we don't have to watch the show. you know. And he says, I know everyone misses her, but uh, the daughter, Lila, says she was your best friend. She can tell that seeing Nat on stage probably bothered him like it would for anyone. It would be hard to see any of your friends or family members or someone that you love portrayed in a movie or a show or anything. It would, it would get you emotional, even if it was well done. And this is like, oh, bad, bad stuff here. So the uh, the rest of the family actually comes outside too. The kids must have looked around the the. So it's uh, Lila is the daughter, and the the other two kids. Uh, Nathaniel is the youngest son. Cooper is the oldest son. Um, so they come out. Must have realized that you know looked look next to them. Dad's not there. Sis isn't there. Where are they? Let's go look. They come outside. They're kind of talking a little bit about the play. Uh, the whole, you know, the Hulk part was good. Yeah, I like the I like the Hulk, and <laughs> and they're just kind of like it, even this like it kind of just feels sort of real, you know, like the, like a lot of yeah. the banter and stuff between them. It doesn't really feel forced and cringy. Even the stuff at the table we'll get to in a minute, like where they get mm-hmm. and some of the stuff is a little corny looking, but you kind of understand where they're coming from. Like this is a family of kids who haven't had a lot of time with their dad. Yeah, this is and I thought like, the kids. Yeah. The kids did a great job too. Uh, they were really natural actors, uh, especially the the daughter. Um, she looked like she might have been uh, daughter of either Joe or Anthony Russo. I wasn't one hundred percent sure, but that just stuck out to me. I, did, I I haven't looked that up. I'm not sure if I'm correct on that. But at a, at any rate, uh, I thought they all did a really good job. They had a, a natural chemistry, like like we mentioned earlier that you know Hawkeye has. Um, with Kate Bishop in this series, uh, he has that chemistry with his family. Like you said, it's very natural. Uh, they're just uh, the 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 dialogue just kind of they bounce off each other in a very natural way. And even just like little details, like the the kids not really feeling the 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 play, uh, that felt authentic to me. And yeah. I thought they struck a really good tone with that. Yeah, who the kids wouldn't want to be in there watching that stuff. Right. They would, that would get boring in a minute. They would be there if their dad was forcing them to be there, not sort of the other way around. And yeah. Uh, they, yeah, they're like, let's get out of here. They decide to leave. In fact, the kid says, "Dad, why is everyone singing and dancing about everything?" <laughs> yeah, I like and that he, line. He, just, uh, I, he starts to laugh. I don't know, son, but it's Christmas. <laughs> We're in New York. Let's get out of here. So. They've got, uh, you know, every, it looks awesome. Christmas in New York, yeah. as you, you see, as they're walking around, you hear the music everywhere playing. Mm-hmm. You see decorations all over the place. And they uh, they go to sit down uh, for dinner. And as they walk off, they say, let's let's show mom what, what they're missing, what she's missing. So, yeah, cool, like cool scene with the family here. We just got a sense of how some of this stuff is impacting Hawkeye missing some of the, his friends, some Nat in particular, who he'd been around. But uh, we flash over to Kate, who is just arriving now in the city, and she's on the phone with her mom. Eleanor says, "Honey, I missed you. Are you in the city? Yeah. 
Um, I was going to stop my mom at place to come see you. Her mom asks her, no, will you come here first? Jack's over. I want to talk to you about something. So she's okay. And Kate goes to see her mom. She arrives at the, uh, at the place, says hello to the doorman. And she walks in and she sees her mom. They greet each other. Her mom's dressed up very nice. Yeah. Look like she's about to go out somewhere. And in fact, that's what Kate says. Wow, mom, you look amazing. Uh, what are we all fancy for? There's a charity auction. Kate goes, ugh. And, and Ella, her mom goes, I know, right? All those poor people and nonprofits relying on the more fortunate. <laughs> Jeez, that's not what I meant, mom. But uh, Eleanor says, as much as I love having you home for the holidays, I'm not thrilled about uh, that I'm about to replace an irreplaceable clock tower. So it took a minute, but they get to the the clock tower that uh, that Kate just destroyed. And they have a little back and forth. The dean, uh, it was a bell tower, uh, you know, she joked or she kind of snarks. The mom says, yeah, the dean said it had a bell and a clock. And the overachiever that you are, you managed to destroy them both. She asks, mom, what can I do to make it better? So her mom lets her know, okay, I'll uh, cancel your credit cards. We're going to have a much longer talk about this tower without joking. I know you, this was an Im- important line, I thought, that she says next. I know young people think they're invincible and rich yeah. people think they're invincible and you've always been both. Mm-hmm. So give you a little bit of an idea too of Kate, how she, maybe she does things that a lot of other people may not try to do because maybe she does think that she's going to get bailed out or maybe she's always sort yeah. of had a, a pretty good support system to where, I mean, she gets expelled from this school how many other families would have been responding like the way this mom was? You know, I sure as hell think there would have been a lot of families that would have driven their ass and picked her right up from that school and driven her home and been like, yeah. young lady, even at 22, 23 or whatever, like we paid for this school. We paid for your stuff. Her mom doesn't even seem all that. I mean, she seems a little mad. She brings it up, but I don't know. There's just something with her mom and all the scenes that seem and not in like a bad actor way. In just a like disingenuous and like maybe she's hiding yeah. something. Like there's like I, I don't know, yeah. you know, there's just something more there. There's like a detachment that I notice, like uh almost like in a sociopathic kind of sense, uh that I'm uh, that I s- suspect is there. Um and uh I thought it was interesting, you know, she said that they're rich. You get the impression that they're very rich. They're they're not just rich, they're wealthy. Um that clock tower, I'm not sure that made a dent. Uh, to be honest, that's probably why she's not reacting right. so much to it because they're that rich. Um, and uh, I, I like that. Line. I'm glad you pointed out this line specifically because it stood out to me. It, it was just a, it's a well-written line, but it also it is well-written because it, it's so telling. Um, it's so telling about uh, not only what how Kate Bishop sees herself, but, um, you know, about her naivete and the, the stuff that she doesn't know about herself that her mom kind of uh, can see through and, and let uh, let us, the viewers, in on at this point. Uh, so uh, it's just a great, great line. Uh, and it, it's 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 a it's a good line in general, too. Like the idea that um, young people think they're invincible and rich people uh, think they're invincible. Like and they have that in common together, like just it, it, out, you take that line outside of this story and it, it kind of does apply just in general. I've, I've never heard that before, but it's it's something I'll probably carry with me. Yeah. So uh, her mom tells her, uh, continues on. So take it from someone who has not been rich uh, 
and young, <laughs> you will get hurt. Please don't go out looking for it. Uh, she says, you get that from your father, you know. Why don't you start making it up to me by putting on that red dress in your bedroom and coming with me tonight? And Kate says, uh, well, um, on another note, I got a new one for the case. And she's kind of excited to show um, her mom uh, a new medal that she won from the U.S. Open Martial Art Championships. Her mom compliments her. You're amazing. I still remember when you got your black belt at 15. So, again, just a little tidbit of exposition, but it gives us an idea that, okay, she is really talented. This is a girl who Mm -hmm. we got. We didn't need to see a whole scene about it, but we got the the information that, okay, she was a a very, very talented martial artist. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's great. It doesn't feel like they're being like ham fisted with the way they're dropping no. this exposition. They're just peppering it in naturally, mm-hmm. uh, and that, along with that great title sequence, is is all you need to, uh, like we kind of mentioned before, just just fill us in and create uh, a kind of realistic scenario where we can buy her being this vigilante that's actually successful. So. Kate's mom kind of jokes about how they may have to retire some of the old ones to make room for some of the new ones. And Kate says, I like those. Mom says, I do too. But Kate notices a, a lot of swords around. She says, in fact, what's with all the swords, mom? She says, hun, there have been a few changes while you were away this semester. And then boom, ta-da, here comes Jack Dukens. He pops out with a rose in his mouth. This uh, Lothario here who is just uh, kind of a schmoozer and he the the thing about Jack is like immediately you're like, oh, this is the bad guy. Right. But it's so like they're they're hitting you over the head with it so much that you kind of think that he may not be like maybe he is. Right. Um, Because it's just like, man, they're just really making us think this is the bad guy. And um, what is a little bit interesting about the dynamic um, versus the dynamic in the comic in the comics, it's actually Kate's dad that mm-hmm. um, is still around. Her mom dies. So she's actually right. still with her dad. That's that's the one difference that they flip. It's not they do that in a lot of these shows that they're taking from the comics. They kind of they don't want to have it be like exactly verbatim because they they mm-hmm. like tricking you a little bit. They like messing around with you. And they're probably just interpretations that they wanted to take and go a different way on, which is which is cool. That's what um, a, a lot of these these things have had. Um, right. But we get a. It, 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 I think it's important you mentioned that too in the in the comics. I I think it's the case that the dad is not uh, necessarily a straight laced uh, good guy. I think he might end up being a bad guy uh, in the comics, if I'm not mistaken. So even more right. evidence, I think that if they have this role reversal, that the mom might be up to something. And another point too, while we're talking about it, we didn't see the dad die. We mm-hmm. saw one. We saw a funeral. We saw the mom mention that the dad was dead. We didn't see anybody. We didn't see him get shot up or get killed up or in a scene. So just something to mention. A lot of times when we don't see people die on screen, it's because they are going to come back at some point or we're going to see that at least what happened at some point. So if the mom did something, if she kills him, do we see that scene later on in the in the series? Do we? Maybe he's still alive. Does he come back? Have they been hiding something? Remember, they were fighting about money right off the bat. So it already mm-hmm. sounded like something shady maybe was happening or going on. And um, and the and mom owns a security company, too. Yes. Like, that's yes. that's a dangerous person, a person yes. who owns a security company. So yes. you got to wonder. 
So Jack pops up. Ta-da! He's got the rose in his mouth, and uh, she she says, "Jack, oh, uh, what an unexpected surprise!" And she says, "All surprises are unexpected." He says, "That can't be right, can it?" <laughs> and she, <laughs> it, it's just great. It's like she and uh, he he hands her a rose, and she's like, "Ooh, that was in your mouth." And he's like, oh, so it was. He's just like 0 for 2, 0 for 3 here right off the bat with Kate. He's just like striking out right off the bat. Um, Eleanor and Jack are are running late for the auction that they're going to go to. So they have to get out of there. Mom says, hey, Kate, get ready. We'll see you there. We got to go. And uh, and they leave. So uh, we got introduced to Jack. We find out that Jack and Eleanor are romantically involved. And we see, you know, grown up Kate here with her uh, with her mom and their little interaction between the two of them as we click, uh, we flash back over to Clint with his family at dinner. Now, the wife isn't there. Laura is not, which I'm bummed because uh, Linda Cardellini is awesome. But we, we do see yeah. her on the phone and she is just someone who you can have a blast looking through her IMDb. She's one of those that's just like popped up in every cool movie or show through the years yep. where she's had a cameo in so many different things. Um, and and uh, Freaks she's, and Geeks, of course. You oh, gotta Freaks mention Geeks Freaks and Geeks. Absolutely. And, and Grandma's Boy. And then you know, you, you'll find her in TV shows that you probably didn't realize she was in. You know, she, she'll pop up in things, I think, like Saved by the Bell or Entourage or like early stuff that you probably didn't realize. You're like, oh my gosh, she was in an episode of that or like 902 and you know, like early, early stuff before she got big, which is always mm-hmm. great. I love, I love seeing that. And uh, so she ER, out ER was a big one for her. Yeah. Too. Yeah. Um, so uh, she's great. She, uh, her yeah. and uh, Carla Gugino are ones that I love because you just kind of see them in all yeah. these different things when they're young and then they pop up later. You're like, oh, cool. And she just comes off like yeah. such a cool, even. The, Everything that the interactions with her and and Clint, like she's so such a cool wife. She knows everything that's going mm-hmm. on when they're talking about the tracksuit mafia and stuff in a little bit. Like she knows them. She knows things. And yeah. she doesn't seem mad that he's in a little bit too, that he's not with the kids and that he might be late. And all she says is, oh, hey, what was your promise? Like, yeah, you're going to keep your promise. And she's just like so supportive. She feels like yeah. such, a, such a rock here for him. And um they're uh they're having fun they're talking with mom while they're at dinner and uh clint uh the kids are having this cool they talk with her in a minute the first they're they're having this uh just fun like fun little um clint is obviously wanting to spoil his family they're out in new york he's trying to make up for lost time here for a lot of missed christmases so they're mm-hmm. at a nice place hey what you guys want more food you want more crabs Let, let's get another round of crabs and the <laughs> kids are like dad we've had enough but the young kids like yeah i'll take three more crabs dad <laughs> give me a more. i'll eat whatever you want and they're joking about how he's gonna throw up if he eats too much and they're all gonna cl- this is just like real family stuff you know yeah. like hey you know the young one when he eats too much he's gonna puke i'm i'm telling you dad <laughs> i'm not gonna be sleeping next to him when he throws up like this is uh this is like straight out of a scene out of like Home Alone or something, and yeah, like uh, the beginning of Home Alone. Yeah, which is yeah, underrated. Exactly. I think it is great. Yeah. It is great. So uh, very, very real in all these interactions with the family here, and uh, the young, young, uh, the older son Cooper says, "Dad, you ordered food for like thirty people," and <laughs> um, and he says, "You know what? 
You know it's right down the street The Christmas tree the biggest one you'll see in the life uh, In your life it's enormous You guys want to go see it So they get ready they're about to go And that's when mom calls And they talk with uh, with Laura for just a minute They all say hello And uh, they joke about how the play was not good They left halfway through And Clint even jokes uh, You know it'd be easier if you were here I'd be less likely to strangle these kids like, hey, Dad! What do you mean? You know, it's just—it's good. It, it's really good stuff. As uh, he says, "Nah, we're having a really good time. We miss you." And she's, "I can't wait to see you guys tomorrow." So this is their last night in New York. It's supposed to be their last night in New York as a family. Mm-hmm. They all say bye, and uh, Clint, you know, look, talks with his family. Hey, we're six days away from Christmas. Let's start. Let's make the bucket list. What are we going to do over this next week? Let's, you know, we don't got school. We don't have anything, anything going on. What is everything you want to do? And they come up with a, a pretty good list of stuff, right? You get the uh, the the youngest one, Nate. He wants to make the gingerbread house. You get the uh, the girl. She wants to do the Lila, the Christmas movie marathon. The older one wants to have ugly Christmas sweaters. So these are cool, like legitimate, real things that you think your kids would say. I do all these things every Christmas, uh, you know, myself for the most part. So this was uh, this was good. And then we find as they're they're finishing up with dinner here, Clint and uh, the family. They all he asks. He says, "You know what? Uh, hold hold hands." And they're all like rolling their eyes. We don't want to hold hands. He says, "Hold your brother's hand." I love you guys. It's going to be the best Christmas ever. And that is a little corny, but it is, like I said, it's something to think about where if your dad or your family and your parents haven't been around very much, you want to spend more time with them. It's not like someone who's been with their family and they're they're annoyed by their parents at this time, right? They're probably genuinely happy to be spending these time these like these really cool holiday moments with their dad who ha- they haven't. Oh yeah. I mean, think about if your dad uh, was an Avenger. <laughs> that changes the dynamic, I, I, I think, in general. Even if you're a, like a kid who's, you know, re- rebelling against your parents a little bit, and that, at that stage where you think your your dad's not cool, you, you just have to come to terms with the idea, the, the fact that your dad is cool. He's an Avenger. He's like that's very rarefied air. Uh, so any kid's going to recognize that and uh, have a, a degree of hero worship there. So that's realistic. I think that the kids, uh, you know, have a veneration for the, for their father. I, I think, you know, in general, kids have that uh, for the most part uh, for, for, for all their parents. Um, but especially so when you got that parental figure who's away all the time and you can only imagine how much time uh Somebody in his position would would have been away from his 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 uh, kids and his family, uh, with you know the stakes of of you know with the world, the universe being at stake. Essentially, um, we probably only scratched the surface of the work that the Avengers have done in this world, and you know b- behind the scenes, outside of the main stories that we saw uh, in the films. Uh, so he's probably been through quite a bit, and his his kids are certainly uh happy to to be spending time with them so the dinner finishes up with the waiter coming back to the table and letting him know that dinner was on the house and clint was like no you don't no you don't have to do that's not necessary and he said it is necessary you saved our city so just to give you an idea of you know where clint stacks up People remember him. They uh, they appreciate everything that he's done. He's one of the few people that's still around that they can thank. 
that um mm. and, and and they are so it's still a little bit weird for him you can see all of this like recognition is weird for him even when he talks to Kate about it in episode 2 he doesn't he's not a high profile type guy he doesn't want to be out right. there selling things he's not going to be in commercials and and uh, you know market be marketing for different brands that's just not who he is he's just really a regular guy who wants to have you know, be back spending time with his family, and he kind of keeps getting reminded of the life that he wants to not forget, but just move on from. As he literally has scars all over from from yeah. uh, his past battles. As we get to the charity auction, and Kate is wearing a black tux, not the red dress her mom asked her to wear. Rebellious Kate, even when she's just. She just busted up that tower, man. She's got to try to be playing it good here. And she's like, nope, mom, I ain't wearing the dress that you asked. I'm going to wear the tux. Um, And a man right off the bat mistakes her for a waiter, comes up and asks her, excuse me, would you? And she says, sorry, I'm not a waitress. He says, oh, you're the little bishop girl. And it's his Armand Duquence who introduces himself. He talks about how he used to know her when she was younger. He says... You know, it's unfair. I never looked that good in a tuxedo in my life, but I'd appreciate it if you wore something more ladylike for the wedding. So he spoils the surprise Mm -hmm. that uh, Jack and Eleanor are engaged. And this actually kind of gets Kate a little bit flustered. What what wedding? Yeah. He so. Oh, yeah. Oh, you didn't know Eleanor and Jack. Oh, those secretive little lovebirds. And uh, then uh, a waiter comes up. And Armand grabs some champagne And he says believe me I've done everything in my power To talk him out of it So he's bad mouthing her mom To her Which is very strange That's not something you yeah. see somebody be doing Like immediately you, you, You're generally pretty close right. with someone If you're going to be blasting their, their mom Right them to, to yeah. them And uh, Kate You know Oh uh, You know it, it Seems like he won the jackpot And aren't um, He's not a fan of, of his mom I said you think so so does he but I'm not so sure And so I thought this was interesting And it, and it does This is one of those uh, Was Thanos a good guy or a bad guy Questions in that <laughs> Is this guy a good guy or a bad guy Because if if Kate's mom Is a bad person then maybe he's a good mm-hmm. guy in that sense, but right here, right off the bat, yeah. he sort of comes off like he's a bad guy, and we see him involved in this black market auction and everything. And so he is, uh, he's he's interesting in, in here, right off the bat. I thought that uh, you know this is definitely something that you wouldn't normally see somebody coming right up and being like, oh yeah, I don't want I don't want them to get married. Yeah. Oh, I mean, it's definitely like a huge social faux pas that he that he uh, even brought it up in the first place and spoiled the whole thing. I mean that's that, that would be a shock to Kate to to have that that experience and she's in public too so she has to kind of restrain herself a little bit she can't make a scene um but uh it was uh, I think an example here of them trying to mislead us again I think we kind of touched on that earlier and you you mentioned it here that maybe you know maybe he's actually a good guy uh if if uh the mom is a is uh, the villain uh, here, this guy might be a bad, uh, uh, a good guy that we're led to believe initially is, is up to no good. And that might be true uh, of his nephew as well. I think uh, I, I, I suspect that they're kind of leading us to believe that he's a bad guy where maybe he's going to 
ultimately uh, end up on our side somehow or on Kate Bishop's side, that is. So Armand, uh, we see uh, another Armand, a younger Armand, who we find out that he is Armand the seventh. And uh, this is Armand the third is uh, this this little kid is just like this rich little prick. He's just like, come on, I want to get out of here. I'm bored. You know, and he's just Armand, don't you talk to me that way. He's talking to his, you know, his grandson or great grandson here as um, he uh, they end up walking off. And Kate goes over to ask her mom immediately. You're engaged. And Jack is right there, too. And Jack kind of laughs. Oh, I guess the the beans are out of the bag. And uh, I thought just the Jack and the beans thing, I thought was kind of funny. Just that he said, beans, <laughs> you know, I was like, oh, that's yeah. weird. Um, so Eleanor asked, uh, can we have a moment? And so Jack goes so they can talk. She says, babe, I'm sorry you found out this way. Um, Kate says, mom, doesn't this seem kind of fast? Yeah, it's fast. But, you know, it's nice being swept up in the romance of it. Isn't there even a part of you that could be happy for me? Kate kind of puts on a face for her mom. Yes, of course. And, uh. She says, I'm going to go get some air, mom. So she walks outside. When she goes outside, it's just a brief moment, but she ends up seeing a dog. It's kind of quickly. And she says to the dog, heck of a party, huh? And the dog just kind of barks and then and then runs off. And that's all we see of the dog for uh, for a moment. But Kate walks back inside and she sees her mom and Armand the third, uh, Jack's father, arguing in the next room. And, uh, you know, he's just, uh, I should have known that little empires of yours was going to be built on a lie. She says, buy myself from the ground up. Whatever you think you saw is not true. He says, don't insult my intelligence. And she says, you're insulting us both. I uh, know what I saw. You're all in there just going back and forth. And so Kate's trying to overhear and uh, she's trying to, to eavesdrop here. And they, Armand and Eleanor continue to argue and they, you know, go their separate ways and said, see you at Christmas dinner. And Kate walks up to her mom and says, what, what was that about? Was he threatening you? And Eleanor's, I don't have no idea. But every time she always like deflects, you know, with mm-hmm. Eleanor, she's like, she doesn't ever really get into anything. She'll kind of like one quick response and then to the next. I don't know what that was about. Why are you lurking out here? She mm-hmm. kind of spins it right back on her instead of getting yeah. into a little bit more. And, and Kate was like, I, I was just outside. Like, we'll come back to the party. So this was, yeah, again, like depending on what what you think of of Eleanor and what you think of Armand, this was very interesting because we know that in in these few moments that we've seen Armand, he's not a fan of Eleanor. Yeah, yeah. And and just, uh, you know, I'm looking at the transcripts here as, as we're going through it again, it, just reading it uh, again, it seems even more likely, I think, that uh that Eleanor is just up to something here that that Armand has stumbled upon some nefarious activities that Eleanor's up to. He brings it to her attention. And then I think, you know, I'm going to jump ahead a little bit here. Spoiler alert. Uh, then when Armand winds up dead in a later scene, I think that uh, it's likely that Eleanor's covering something up here. I think that it has to do with that. And it may, maybe it has nothing to do with Jack. Um, you know, defending her, I think it might have to do more so with Eleanor uh, covering up whatever she's up to. So Kate ends up following Armand through this long hallway, through the kitchen. And when she grabs a platter and she poses as a waiter 
and follows another waiter into a wine cellar that's set up for this auction. And this is not the charity auction that they're there for. This is a black market, like closed doors uh, auction. And Jack shows up to sit down next to Armand, and the auctioneer starts. Ladies and gentlemen, please be seated, and we will begin. And uh, Armand leans over and starts talking to Jack. I've reached my breaking point with your fiance. Things are about to get very ugly. Jack says, hey, why don't we leave Eleanor alone, you old goat? And the uh, auctioneer kind of continues on. First item of the evening, we will be traveling back in time. We're going to start the beginning, the bidding with a magnificent skull. Two million. Do I hear two million? And he, he's going through uh, the, the bidding as uh, Kate is like kind of. Creeping around behind she's trying to Find out anything she can about what's going On here nosy as can be And another Waiter like looks over he's excuse Me uh you know I was supposed to be The only one working here And (laughs) and and she goes "Uh, Well Gary sent me To work here she had overheard The name Gary when she was Walking through the kitchen Gary Being one of the like the managers so She's really smart this is another thing You find out with her She's smart, she's perceptive She picks things up very quickly She's a fast learner And so she tells this other waiter Oh yeah, hey, uh, yeah, Gary sent me here So if you want to bother Gary But you're doing great and So she walks, <laughs> off, and she walks off And the, other, the waiter's like, what the hell's going on? And, and he <laughs> walks away In the background we hear the auctioneer Continuing on, I got 2 million 7 right here Going on 2 million 7, sold for 2.7 million And I remind you that this is for home display only and the the last thing he says is, and you have no idea where you got it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and everybody starts laughing, which is just great um, to finish up the the uh, the first item as Gary actually shows up. He sees Kate here. Uh, but I thought the the vibe and the look of this wine cellar was really cool. You know, just kind of this yeah. uh, the place that they've got set up for the, this shady little auction here and some of the characters in this auction and the auctioneer, the whole vibe and the whole uh, aura of it while Kate's kind of hiding. She's kind of creeping around, but she's trying to not draw attention to herself. I, I like the whole feel and vibe of this uh, where they are in here. Yeah, it's like this upscale criminal underground kind of thing going on there uh, where it seemed like it was like all the rich, wealthy, elite criminals were, were all there to, to bid on, you know, these forbidden items, uh, which uh, I thought really, it it, uh, it strikes the imagination a, a little bit. You wonder what, what other items they're, they're bidding on there. If, uh, uh, these items like Ronan's suit uh, is one of them. Uh, and, and who are the people in, in this, uh, in this auction that are bidding? We don't really get to meet a whole lot of them, but you, you got to wonder, uh, what an auction like this, what type of person that would attract. Um, but at the end of the day, it also, it doesn't seem too nefarious. You know, it seems like it's one of those things where it could be just like, yeah, it's, it's, it's an underbelly, but it's, I, I don't necessarily bitch, I think that mean. all these like people rich, are killers, murderers. Yes. Like, these are kind of might, richy people that have a lot of money yeah. to, to spend. Yeah, that are breaking some rules. Like evil, evil, you know, they're yeah, like, maybe I feel like, they want to go on a ride along and see something happen, but they don't, they don't want to get involved in it. You know, like, as right. soon as, like yeah. that's um, yeah, that, that was a good, that's a good point. Cause they don't seem like they're the ones getting their hands dirty. Even Jack, he doesn't come off that way. They're trying to make you seem mm-hmm. like, like he is that with the sword stuff, you know, that's mm-hmm. kind of hitting you over the head with it, but he doesn't come off that way. Um, Gary yeah. does walk over though. 
And he like <laughs> comes to Kate. And he's like, who told you to come down here? And she says, Gary. He goes, I'm Gary. And she's <laughs> like, great. you don't even know my name. That's the problem. <laughs> this isn't going to work out. I quit. And she walks off and he goes, no, wait, you can't quit. Hold on. And he's like, follows. <laughs> he doesn't even. It, it's just human nature, right? Is it, That's like something yeah. that would happen. Yeah, I, I really love the way she plays things off. I mean, it's a, it's an extension of, you know, how she handled it with the waiter initially. She she just kind of like rolls with it, acts like she's supposed to be there. Uh, and then you just, you know, just does like a, a normal human thing that you wouldn't expect in that situation. She doesn't acknowledge like the accusation at hand. She just kind of like steamrolls through it. And like, I love this moment that uh, happens in episode two, actually, where she kind of does the same thing. She's trying to buzz herself into a building and she, she she gets somebody on the other line she's just like hey pizza uh yeah yeah she just kind of like mutters through some stuff un- until she gets the buzzer uh i just think it's really uh an, an interesting funny character choice and it makes her seem really um like just smarter than the average bear the average joe on, on the on the street here that she's just kind of a step ahead of of everyone really and she can think on her feet too she's doing it on the fly so uh, Gary goes looking for her and the the next item is up for bid. So she she's trying to find out what's happening. She she can see that in in this room behind her, too, there's some other shady stuff going on. It looks like maybe something's being stolen or guys, a couple guys setting up to maybe bring in the next item. She can't kind of she can't really figure out what's happening. As the auctioneer says, up next we have a very special piece An artifact recovered from the wreckage of the Avengers compound You may call recall the Ronin Decimated the criminal underworld of the city Almost completely annihilating the status and power Of the head of organized crime Which is interesting, because that's uh, I, I, who, who are we talking about? Who is the head of organized crime? Who he was uh, referencing The Ronin brought a brutal form of justice to his victims And his identity continues to remain a mystery to this very day. Now you can own this one-of-a-kind retractable sword. We'll start the bidding at 200000 200000 do I hear? 200000 Bitter, bitter, do I hear? 250000 250000 do I hear? 300000 300000 looking for 350000 And so uh, Arm, Arnon, uh, Armand bids right off the bat. Um, and then Jack actually raises his hand at three hundred grand, And Arnon sends to him. You don't have three hundred grand. He says, "No, but I'm gonna inherit it one day, won't I?" He kind of like gives him an elbow, like a smile, like I can kill you for it, though, can't I? And and um, so Kate's just kind of moving around. She's trying to investigate more as this uh, item continues. For it's up to four hundred forty, four hundred fifty, four hundred fifty, four hundred seventy-five, ladies and gentlemen, up to four hundred seventy-five. That's where uh, uh, Armand bids again, as it goes to him for four hundred seventy-five. It is sold, and as they get set for the next item They're mentioning item number 309 The companion piece The Ronin suit Boom Big explosion The wall to this room has just been busted through Everyone's kind of knocked all over the place That sword falls on the floor And amidst the chaos Jack actually walks over And grabs the sword And leaves We see that it's the tracksuit mafia who busted through here. These awesome, awesome, stupid low-level criminals, TK, uh, and they bust in here. So uh, a lot happening. They come in. Jack grabs the sword. 
He's out after Armand had paid for the sword And then the Ronin suit Which was going to be the next item up for grabs It never even, the bidding never starts there So there's a lot of things going on here Yeah, it's a great scene And I, I love this sword too I like the way it retracts uh, I think that that's uh, going to play out really cool. I, 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 w- I want to see that uh, sword in action throughout the series. Um, and th- this uh, the tracksuit mafia busting in here creates this perfect opportunity for this Ronin suit to kind of fall into someone else's hands here. And uh, and we see that the the suit and the and the sword uh, kind of part ways. Um, we get Jack taking the sword, and uh, we get uh, Kate grabbing the suit. Uh, which I, I think is, uh, makes for an interesting uh, turn in the story. And it's a, a smart way, I think, to draw Hawkeye into Kate's world the way that they do it. Mm-hmm. Um, ultimately, they, they use, you know, um, video on the street, like cell phone footage. That's, that's like a common thing that's happening in the MCU uh, now across the, their various uh, properties is that that will somehow play into the story uh, and it, it kind of connects the two. This cell phone uh, footage that we see in the upcoming scene of you know Kate leaving with that suit. Uh, when Hawkeye sees that, he's like, "Well, I, I got to figure out what's going on here. I got to get this suit back." And now their paths are going to cross. So uh, really cool, really well done. Um, I like how the uh, the tracksuit mafia burst in there. They have this like chaotic. Uh, threatening kind of energy that's also really funny and uh, yeah they're, they're one of my favorite parts of the series so far they really are as they start screaming yeah. we've got 90 seconds to find the watch they're yelling everything else is secondary let's go bro you, you know that you know it's them because you hear the bros <laughs> everything is bro right. let's go bro let's go bro spread out let's go find the watch and kate sees the ronin suit so she goes and puts it on uh Two, two multiple reasons, right? One, she's just a huge fan. Two, it's a good, it's a good way to keep her hidden. It just keeps her disguised with the with the suit on and the and the mask there, as the, right. the tracksuit mafia. Come on, where is it? We're running out of time. Let's go. Grab my hand. They're looking for the uh, the watch, and actually, Armand says to one of them, "Do you know who I am?" You know, like a some like a rich person would say to a you know a criminal, and uh, <laughs> Kate. Actually saves Armon. Uh, there's a moment where there's a guy that's about to shoot Armon, and she kicks away the gun from him. She comes flying, sort of from off screen on screen, and then there's a moment where she comes face to face with Jack, but only Kate's eyes are you know, are visible because of the the what she's wearing, the mask. But it it almost right. looks like Jack knows it's her, and I wonder. Yeah. It seems I like I got that guy. vibe. Yeah, it definitely seemed like that. And that, that plays into kind of what Jack does throughout um, the series so far is he's he's downplaying what he knows. He's kind of playing dumb at almost every turn. Yep, yep. That's a great point. He's never giving much away. Uh, keeps everything very close to the vest, does Jack. As uh, Eleanor, she's trying to call Kate. She's trying to figure out where her daughter is. She, you know, now the rest of the, uh, the rest of the event of the people that are in the the main part of the charity auction, they all get evacuated. And as, as she's trying to call uh, Kate, we flash back to the wine cellar where Kate's just trying to fight her way out, and she's 
using wine bottles, which is just great. This is a very <laughs> like Jackie Chan kind of a thing that we were talking about in Shang Chi with like just using the things around you. She's using these bottles. She's doinking them on the head, and this made me feel a lot like that early Spider Man. You know that um, he's finding these criminals on the street, and he's or like I mentioned, kick ass. Like it's not smooth. She'll she'll kind of you know connect with one or two, and then one or two will. Will punch her and she'll kind of slip and fall And she'll try right. to do something and maybe Slip a little bit like y- You can see the potential that she has But she is not smooth And not polished at all here But it's it's raw in a really Fun yeah. fun kind of way Yeah the choreography is great And great choreography Doesn't have to involve like Super technical uh, advanced, uh, you know, martial arts or anything like that necessarily. It just really needs to tell the story within the action. And this does that uh, in a great way. And it's interesting to have, you know, uh, an imperfect uh, heroine here, you know, somebody who is still figuring it out and is going to take a few uh, lumps along the way. So Kate is able to fight her way out and. You know they're screaming at her I'm telling you it was the Ronin He disappeared bro keep looking bro Oh he's getting away bro And uh, and Kate gets out with the Ronin Suit on As uh, Eleanor and Jack Are now reunited Jack makes his way back over to Eleanor And Jack's kind of dusting off some of the debris Off of him She asks if he's okay Yeah I'm fine As they both you know try to figure out where Kate is As uh yeah, I thought that these were really fun scenes Kind of showing us what she can do We get a little bit of a look at some of her martial arts stuff Some of the gymnastics stuff here And uh, the tracksuits think that she is the Roman, the, the Ronin And she actually steps on a bottle And it pops up and hits a guy in the face That was another cool uh, spot here yeah. As uh, when she exits this cellar Right out front, one of these tracksuit guys Is loading up the back of a truck and he actually finds this watch that they're all looking for. I believe it was number 268 Avengers Compound uh, is what it was titled at. And as he's looking at this, the dog is back. And the dog's growling at him and he's kind of biting at this guy's leg. And uh, he actually, th- this guy is like really trying to hurt the dog. He's screaming, I'll kill you. And he goes to like kick the dog. And Kate just nails this guy. She kicks him. And she starts to chase the dog She she wants to save this dog The dog only has one eye also So yeah. this dog runs right into a busy street And Kate follows She gets like hit up onto the hood of a car Because she runs right out into traffic And she slides in front And kind of covers herself to try to save the dog's life So again we see that She's a really good person Like she's just trying to She's trying to mm-hmm. save this animal here And like sacrificing herself Running out into Oncoming traffic as uh, it, it in a weird way ends up Kind of saving her because this Is what being in such a public Place she's able To escape and and All that we really see is One of these tracksuit Mafia guys take off Their mask and the man Is referred to as Kazi yeah. uh, I think the clown he raises His mask we barely see his face In the distance as Kate runs off And um the, uh, really weird moment, by the way. Yeah. I, I that was one complaint that I had. Like, why are you I, taking your mask off, bro? It like, that, that, to me. the ski mask it didn't block your peripheral vision at all. Like, I could it was a 
super big holes for his eyes, so there's no reason for him to take his mask like, off are, there. Are we supposed to know who he he is? <laughs> that was that was what it looked like. Yeah. I thought I was like expecting to know who this guy was, and it was like, oh no, that was. I agree. That was something that I thought maybe we're gonna find out more to it, but it didn't seem like it added up for for him well, to want to do that. Um, yeah, they're definitely like. Using that as a moment to be like, here, this guy's important and he stands out from the rest of the tracksuit mafia. He's some, some leader guy. But yeah, it, there's no logical motivation for you to remove your mask at that at that point, unless yep. the idea is for him to show his face to her. So I don't know what why he would want to do that. Maybe you're, if you're a crazy person. You're like, now you've seen my face and now you have to die. Or so. I, I don't know like why you would do that, but it, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. So the cops come, uh, track tracksuit mafia guys run off, and Jack and Eleanor look on as we flash back to Clint and his kids. They're back in their hotel room now as uh, the kids were pumped. The tree was great. I want one that big. It wouldn't fit in our house, dummy. Dad, the tree was amazing. Please, please, please. So the kids turn on the TV and uh, he says, "Ah, it's a little late for TV, guys. I got to pack. And then in the background, we hear that. Of course the kids didn't listen they turned the tv on And there's the news Anchor who I believe this Is um new york Spectrum news One in real life Uh news host pat kiernan He was uh this What's cool about him tk Is that he was the First person that's Actually been in one of the marvel Netflix shows to be In one of these netflix shows he Was okay he was the commentator In daredevil and In some of some of the other shows So this is like the One of the first established Actual crossovers of that World even being so small As just a a a news Broadcaster i thought it was interesting that you know they're they're putting that little seed out there someone that we did see in Netflix mm-hmm. Marvel stuff before so uh keep an eye on that I love that you, right I I didn't I didn't know about that I'm so glad you mentioned it uh because you uh, you kind of uh tipped your hat at something uh, earlier uh and it was uh you mentioned a crime boss and I can't help but think and I know I'm not the only one it's on the internet but are they Gonna reveal Wilson Fisk The kingpin as you know The big bad of this series Tying together Daredevil I think that makes perfect sense So far Hawkeye Has the most um, I guess Congruity with uh, With the Netflix shows I think Mm -hmm. Uh, It it, it feels very much Cut from the same cloth Except maybe it's a little more funny I would say more funny and fun Yeah, Yeah they're a little darker but it, I know but what you mean, like that the, street level. You crime, feel like they're in the same like, world, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That would like be amazing. Where they are, like yeah. they're on the streets, kind of like you get that Batman sort of feel to them running around, you know. Um, yeah. So Kingpin, maybe it is him who uh, who they have been referencing as this big, you know, the uh, leader of the 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 crime underworld. And uh, the news anchor lets us know that we are followed by a breaking news story. A high society gala rocked by an explosion when it went off at Park Avenue and 68th Street tonight. The cause of the explosion is still under investigation, but witnesses captured cell phone footage of a masked assailant fleeing the scene. As uh, the kids are like, wow, check it out. And one of the kids says, a ninja saved a dog? <laughs> and we get, we get a look of Kate in the Ronin gear on the news. 
as Clint's like, what the hell is going on? Authorities believe the assailant could be the Ronin who terrorized organized crime in New York and elsewhere. This is the first potential sighting of the Ronin in years. And we get a flashback of Clint with some of his time as the Ronin, seeing him in a moment where he looked like he brutally killed somebody. Yeah. And um, wait that. Yeah, it was that moment from uh, from Endgame where we kind of reconnect with his character and see what he's been up to, right? Like, and he's he's just slicing dudes as the Ronin, just merc- mercilessly. Uh, and uh, I I want to see more of that. I want to know more about you know what what his time was like as the Ronin. I feel like that was kind of underdeveloped. So I'm really glad that we have this opportunity to kind of dip dip back into that story. As uh, we flash back now to Kate. And Kate is going walking into her apartment with the dog. In fact, she says, welcome to my apartment. And she's talking to the dog. Now, her place is basically above a pizza, a pizza place. And it looks like it was like used to be a part of the of of the restaurant. It almost looks like it was like an employee break room um, Mm. with the way it is. There's like a, a bulletin board in the back. And there are like tables still in there that she hasn't gotten out of. There's this like kitchen setup that almost looks like it would have been the kitchen in your like, employee break room at work. And she's talking yeah. to the dog. Oh, you're you're hungry. Um, and, and it's funny that she's just talking out loud. OK, we're safe. We're safe. What is going on with Armand threatening my mom buying black market sword? Is he connected to the break in somehow? She's asking the dog oh, food, food. <laughs> OK, you want food. So she gets some cold pizza out of the fridge. And she gives some cold pizza to uh, Pizza Dog here, which is uh, yeah. which is great. So uh, shout out from Lucky the, the Pizza, Lucky the Pizza Dog, I believe, was uh, the one-eyed dog yep. from the comics. As um, Kate gets on her phone, she's trying to figure out what's going on with Armand, and she gets on an app that says Bishop Security, and <laughs> she's able to locate him pretty quickly. Okay, so first of all, man, this is this is some shady stuff, huh? She just has got like trackers on everyone GPS wise. She can just pull anyone up here she wants all the time. What the hell are the bishops up to? Yeah, that that uh, actually kind of confused me. I'm like, well, what's the deal with that? Like, I, I need to know more information about how how that app works. But it seemed fishy for sure. Very much agree. And we we find a little bit more about it in episode two. We see her kind of use it again, but um, I'm that's probably something that leads to Eleanor being. Bad, you know what she's covering that she's hiding something. Uh, but Kate says to Lucky, uh, the pizza dog, uh, you know, don't destroy this apartment, and uh, she's gonna go figure out what's going on. So she leaves, and the next thing we see is she's climbing this building, and it's Armand's, and she comes in through the window and she sees him laying on the floor. She she walks in and she sees his dead body. And she's still in the Ronin suit at this point. And as she's looking down at his dead body behind her, a door slams. It's the maid who comes in the background and, and the maid's kind of talking, thinks that she's talking to Armand, says, uh, Mr. Dukens, I have your dry cleaning. I've brought dinner. Um, and Kate's kind of scared, kind of flustered. She immediately <laughs> runs and she gets out of there. So we don't, it doesn't seem like Anybody sees her but we're gonna Find out in a little bit that she Was in fact spotted they don't know it's Kate they don't know it's a girl they don't know anything About it but they do know that Someone is back out in the Ronin Suit and I believe it's the maid Who 
catches probably Kate just escaping out of here and uh and we'll see on the news in episode two that there is uh you know they're looking now for uh for the person in this Ronin suit. Yeah. And uh that's that's just gonna also bring Hawkeye uh to the to the surface here and, and attract her to or attract him to uh the, the whole Kate Bishop situation uh when that gets on the news. Uh, and uh yeah this is a great turn I think too because it has this like murder mystery kind of vibe uh and yes, tone to yes. it. And yes. we really haven't seen in the MCU except for that one uh episode of what if that we did and I, I thought that was really uh Kind of a refreshing thing. It, re- it reminded yeah. me a little bit of like Knives Out, that recent Ryan Johnson it's movie. It's funny. It's like Clue. Yeah. There is a little clue to this. You're right. Knives right. Out, very like a who a who done it as mm-hmm. you know. Kate drops out of of uh, of the the building here, and she basically runs right into the tracksuit mafia. So we get the sense that they were probably following her, and they've been looking for the person in the Ronin suit. And they said, "Where do you think you're going? We only want to talk." So they they surround her and she tries to fight out. Hey, we got a little surprise for you. We missed you, Ronan. We got you now, bro. Why are you making it so tough on us, bro? They're broing off like crazy. Right. Um, she she has a little bit of success. She fights a few of them off, and then she again kind of able to just use her surroundings. She tries to bust into a couple cars that are locked, and then finally she gets to one that is open. She gets she. She jumps in the car, she locks the doors just to buy herself a, a moment, get get herself a little bit of time to get away from from this barrage where it's just one on like ten here. And so the guys surround her car, the car that she's in, they start punching out the windows. And right at the moment where it looks as if they're about to to get her, it looks like she's in trouble. We see behind them somebody start taking them out one at a time, these tracksuit mafia guys. We can't see who it is. Uh, and then that same person grabs Kate right out of the car, kind of drags her back around into an alley, and takes off the Ronin mask. So all we see is Kate's face and the response that Kate has, seeing who it is, and she lights up like a Christmas tree. She's like beaming, she's <laughs> smiling. It's Clint. It's Hawkeye. It's her hero. She it, he goes, oh come on, when he realizes it's a young girl, yeah. <laughs> and she goes. She goes, you're Hawkeye, you're, you're Hawkeye <laughs> and He goes, who the hell are you? And that's how we end episode one Which yeah. I thought was really good it, yeah. It's don't like, don't come into it thinking it's going to be endgame and, 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 mm-hmm. and because, and I don't, and I like it because it's not trying to be endgame Right, yeah That's what's it aims, about it It aims small, you know what I mean And, 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 it, and it nails the target. It, it's a bullseye. Uh, oh man, that's such a. Uh, I, I hate myself for making that metaphor right now. Oh, that was great though. But, with uh, the archer, uh, with everything. Two, see, two on the nose. Was, two was on the nose. Very on the nose. Bad. <laughs> Boom. But um, you, you get the point I'm making. Uh, uh it, it it doesn't try to do too much. It just tries to tell this story, like you mentioned at the beginning. It's he's his motivation is is very. It's just his family getting back to them. He doesn't want to deal with all this stuff he just wants it to to all go away and for him to resolve it as quickly as possible and to kind of put it behind him and that's a great like dynamic to have uh opposite this kate bishop who's just starting uh and she wants 
to engage in this stuff. She wants to find the fight. Uh, and uh, that's that's a classic, you know, Shane Black buddy comedy kind of setup there, you know, back to Lethal Weapon, where you've got these, these, this odd couple kind of scenario where one of the per, one, one of the people just doesn't even really want to be there. They're kind of grumpy. And then the, the other person is this kind of live wire. That's your Kate, your Kate Bishop. Um, and uh, it, it just it nails the tone. What, what more can you say? It's it's a, it it set out to do something and it, it accomplished that. So I think uh, it's one of the stronger MCU things uh, in recent memory. Completely agree. It, it was that what it wants to be. It is. It has an identity. Yeah. This show, right off the bat, even in this first episode, and we'll talk about episode two. Um, you can you know hear that that episode uh, recap after. But the couple things that I wanted to mention before we uh, we we finish up with episode one that we didn't. Um, when she goes into Armand's house, there is a candy that she finds. It's a butterscotch candy that has the name Armand Duquesne the Third on it. It's like a monogram kind of candy that he has with his names on them in in the bowls. So that's something uh, just to keep an eye on because that's going to show up in in episode two. And oh, some of the the, the things about uh, Rogers the musical. So yeah. the 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 poster says captures the heart of a hero. And then <laughs> some of some of like the critic reviews that they had on the posters outside of it, uh, outside of the um. Uh, the theater, a timeless story of a timeless hero, um, a musical as triumphant as the hero it brings to life, which just oh those things made me laugh. They were so like eye roll and cringy. And yeah. then the song that we mentioned, uh, which was uh, Cap's catchphrase, I could do this all day. The like closing yeah. line of the song is, I could do this all night. <laughs> <laughs> get into it. It was just a. Uh, a ton of fun I really don't have that many critiques about this because it it just seemed very good and we'll get into episode two after but it's kind of cool when we have this because we don't very often when we do these recaps they're week to week we haven't gone back and recapped you know all the shows are new so it's not like we're going back and recapping an old tv show where we've watched every episode it is a little different because I think it's happened maybe two or three times throughout all of the stuff that we've recapped where we've known what we've already known what happens in the next episode before we recapped the first one. And this is only right, this is right. one of the few times that that's happened. And I don't think it was a coincidence that they dropped the first two episodes because in episode one, yeah. we don't we, we don't it's very separate stories. It's actually kind of very similar to the way the first few episodes of Falcon and the Winter Soldier are. I think at the very beginning, it was all we're telling Bucky's story a little bit. We're telling right. a Falcon story a little bit. And then I think it was at the end of episode one or two where they finally interact. And that's what mm-hmm. happened here with uh, with Kate and with uh, with Clint at the end of this episode. And even that little small scene, just like the Clint going, oh, my gosh. And yeah. her going, oh, my gosh. Like you just you're, it's all you're there. excited for what's next. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's a perfect setup right there. You don't need anything more than that uh, to to kind of figure out who these people are and who they are to each other and uh, what what it's kind of going to be like uh, when they interact together moving forward. Uh, and it's 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 that odd couple thing and it's it's entertaining and it it leaves you on a nice cliffhanger where it's like, oh, let's let's see what happens next. 
And yeah, it's it makes perfect sense that they drop both these episodes together because it's such a cliffhanger where they're picking up right where they left off uh, in the middle of this scene uh, in the in the next episode in episode two. Um, so it, it, it only makes sense that they would kind of have them together. And, uh, I will say, uh, just kind of foreshadowing a little bit into episode two, that th- this is where, I, that's the episode where I think maybe a little bit of criticisms came in, but, uh, to be fair, I'm, I'm going to put it out right now. I'm not going to criticize that episode too much. It was like one yeah. thing we'll get to it in the next podcast, but like so far, these first two episodes, very, very happy. I really think it's, uh, it's it's what I'm looking for in an MCU property. So if you want to hear about episode two, you can uh, on the next one. This one will uh, will be just an episode one recap uh, for you here. As uh, yeah, we we know that episode two is already out, and coming up next in just a few days will be episode three, and we will uh, we'll have all those weekly recaps right here for you on that's what G said with Tim Kelly. Give him a follow at Tim is not funny. On Twitter and on Instagram Check out all the uh, music stuff they have Ice Cream Fire anywhere You get your uh, your music anywhere you download Your music there And uh, TK will be along with us For a lot of this Marvel content Coming up with uh, all these shows And all these movies coming up Over the next few months Don't go anywhere folks Still plenty more on this episode of That's What G Said So you want to set the mood for something all natural, soy wax, non-toxic, baby. Scents for every season. Now don't be afraid, baby. Just spell it out. C E R A Candles. Dot com. And don't forget, promo code Gino gets you ten percent off. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Wrestling Rewatch with Andrew Champagne and Darren Zocali. <laughs> Old Wrestling Rewatch is back after a few weeks off. There's been so much happening in the world of sports, but we are back and we are jumping into one of the hottest times, maybe the hottest period in the history of pro wrestling. We're heading back to 2000. We're heading towards the end of the year 2000. And this is a show that is it's a one match show. And. The match is very, very good that we're going to talk about. We're talking about WWF Armageddon 2000. And it's uh, a show that, you know, is built around a six-man Hell in a Cell main event. Andrew Champagne, Darren Zocali joined me again to talk about this one. And DZ, you know, if you're going to be grading this on the main event, on the one match, it's a damn good match. It's it's a lot of fun. There are six uh Really big stars, five all-time greats, and then Rikishi, who was you know in a moment that they were trying to put over as a a big evil heel. And I mean, I have it in the above four, but probably four to four and a half star range. It's just the rest of the the show. There aren't very many things that feel pay-per-view worthy. Maybe the Jericho Kane match, it's which is not even the greatest match in the world, but at least it sort of feels like a pay-per-view match. The I think there's 90 minutes of wrestling on a show that's, you know, two hours and 40 minutes. So there's just a lot of filler. There's a lot of in-ring crap. Vince has like a six or seven minute promo. Undertaker has like a five, six minute promo in the ring. There's a lot of backstage stuff. They go over every Hell in a Cell match that has ever existed before this with some clips. So it's 
they, they do a good job of building that match and making that match seem like a big deal. But, you know, in a vacuum, there's just a lot of other filler in this show. There is. They're clearly trying to make the point what the showcase of the night is. And basically every wrestler involved in the uh, Hell in a Cell match is going to be, you know, cutting a promo that's certainly by no means short. Uh, the Vince stuff, the Foley stuff, There's there's just a lot going on that kind of requires them to go beyond what's just taking place in the ring. Uh, I agree generally from the standpoint that it's a one-match show. Uh, the Kane match, for me, was enjoyable. I actually enjoyed the tag match a little yeah, bit. Yeah, they're not, not bad. You yeah, know, but not they just don't it feel it was, like yeah. pay-per-view-y. You know, they're sort of like, a, that's like a, that tag match was on Raw one week. It wouldn't be that crazy. At least the Kane-Jericho feels like a match that was the end of a feud that, that yeah. they would have saved yeah. for a pay-per-view, you know? Yeah, exactly. It's not... You know, again, it, it, is it like a you know WrestleMania type show or are those WrestleMania type matches? No, uh, but but yeah, I mean they got a few laughs out of me. I enjoyed you know a few things, a couple of lines here and there that I thought were funny. Um, I actually have one big gripe with the main event, and I'll, and I'll hold it for when we get to the actual main event. Aside from it being a fun and enjoyable match, but yeah, I think I think you pretty much got this uh, down. You know, the, the showcase of this is one match. It's built that way. It's presented that way. And the result of it, you know, yields that as well. Yeah, not too much to add to what's already been said. It's not like it's a bad show. I don't think there's more than one match on this show that could be seen as actively bad. It's not like any of this stuff is is overly yeah, offensive. And that's a good point, too. It's There's nothing like, oh, gosh, I have to change. It's just a lot of stuff that feels like, okay, that was okay. You know, It was fine. You know, yeah. it was just, it was there. It seemed house showy to me, and that's not yeah. a bad thing because house shows are very enjoyable. Did it seem like a pay-per-view? No. And the thing most people who were active fans of the product back then associate the most with this pay-per-view is a promo that wasn't on the pay-per-view. We need to talk about The Rock's promo leading up to this match, which was on either Raw or SmackDown, where he just single-handedly buries each and every one of his <laughs> opponents in a fashion that if anyone even remotely tried to do it today, Twitter would be in a frenzy over, oh my God, how could WWE... We allow one of its people to do this and da, 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 da. They don't make them like The Rock anymore And this The the one thing I, I do Love watching this show and I take Out of it is the crowd And how hot the crowd was for even everything For everyone Austin And The Rock are just Crazy over The Undertaker Crazy over Angle And Triple H are just monster heels And they're trying with Rikishi So I mean, they got a pretty good six that they they put in that match is uh, from a, an all time great. I was thinking when I was watching the Jericho Kane match, like those guys are probably looking, you know, the Wolverine gif where he's like longingly looking at the picture. I wonder if Jericho and Kane are thinking about that that they're not involved in that tag that six man main event. Like, oh damn, we didn't we didn't make the cut of some of the all time greats. But um, yeah, it's you know nothing else absolutely spectacular, but. The main event is um, something we can pick some holes in, but from just a spectacle standpoint, it is cool. And there aren't very many Hell in a Cell matches like that. This is sort of like the 
kind of early template for the elimination chamber in yep, a way. Exactly. This you was, know? I believe, two and a half, three years prior to the first elimination chamber match. And if this mm-hmm. match took place a couple of years later, it would have been in the chamber, and I don't think it would have been nearly as good. No, you're right, because the there is a lot of fun with the stuff on top. It gets a little corny. We'll talk about the bump that Rokishi takes onto the mattress that we, you know, we we can see. But um, I like it. I, I enjoyed this match, uh, and I enjoyed the show because <laughs> of it. You, I'll tell you what. Before we before we crap all over that bump, let one of the three of us actually take that, take that bump right with a guy exactly. throwing us off of that onto any surface, Anything. and then we could crap all. Over I was gonna it. say it was oh <laughs> fall backwards on a. That's a three. That's a four hundred pound dude getting pushed off something, dead tired after climbing up a cage, and he has to mi- be very careful about the spot he falls in, how he it's does not, it. There's not a lot of room there. No, I mean, that's, <laughs> that's, that's what I mean. I see. If, I, I've seen a lot of people crap on that one too, but man, you're right. That's not that was not easy. And it, visually, it looked cool. You know, the way they were able to get the look of it from above the cage, and Undertaker just kind of choke pushing him off. You know, it was a. Uh, it's, it's something you remember, and th- and that's what we want in wrestling. So we'll you get know to what that. You, need, you know what that was? You know what it did? It made a difference. Yeah, uh, <laughs> making a difference uh, too. At a boy, thank you. This was actually um, because the time of the year that this pay per view was, December is genu- generally a downtime in the wrestling business. Uh, well. A downtime for TV in the wrestling business It actually used to be a very big time for Live wrestling shows you know in the Holidays that was when they would put on A lot of their biggest events because families would be In town they'd all have dinner and Then they'd go out to the big wrestling show afterwards In in the last you know 15-20 years it's been Sort of after Survivor Series Things will slow down a little bit there's kind of A lull for maybe a month and a half two months Until the Royal Rumble and then that's When everything starts heading to Wrestlemania this was actually the largest pay-per-view as far as buys are concerned in the, in the company's history. Um, they did a huge number here because the company was so hot and because of this match and the way they did, you know, push it, promote it. And the story heading into this match, which was a really great one, like, was that, oh my, there's no way in hell Kurt Angle is going to be able to survive this. You know, there's no way Kurt is going to be able to hold on to this title with all these big names, with with all these guys who are crazy, who don't care about hurting themselves. And Kurt is this guy who's just, you know, the wrestler's wrestler, kind of weaselly. And and that sort of went into the booking of the match too. Kurt was probably the one in that main event when we get there that felt like he did the least, like taking bumps wise or just you know inflicting pain. And uh, he sneaks in there uh, when it's all said and done. At the end, so um, I'm I'm yeah I'm I'm excited to get talking about this one as we jump to WWEF at the time Armageddon 2000, and uh, yeah we get this was the year of the block too a couple things I was reading and when I was reading through some other uh apps and like breakdowns the, the Rock in ten of the twelve pay per views in 2000 so. Uh, Every every big show, every show had uh, had the Rock in there somewhere. When the Triple H was uh, Triple H was in the main event eight times throughout the year. And remember, Austin is just coming back. Even though this was a crazy hot period of time, uh, Austin had been gone, and so he's back. He is just sort of finding his footing again, and so the crowd is really nuts for him. That's where that whole Rikishi storyline was weaved in. He was the guy who hit. I mean, we we'll get to that, you know. Some point, but yeah, that that was a little four storyline. Um, nonetheless, 
The crowd is nuts for this show And we get ready As uh, we have Armageddon 2000 And I think Is this still the only show that they've ever had In, in Alabama I think it was that I was reading too From Birmingham, Alabama The Jefferson Civic Center in Birmingham They generally don't have pay-per-views In, you know, in areas like that and They don't do a lot of stuff in Alabama No, not, not at all Nothing against the fine people of Alabama, but for anybody, you know, from Alabama decides to come at us with pitchforks and stuff. We do not condone the statements made by one William Regal prior to his match with Hardcore Holly. (laughs) Anybody who's from Alabama who's been stuck in the mud knows that you step on the gas, one tire spins, the other tire does nothing. (laughs) And uh, here we go. In late December 2000, we get the video package that... Is built really all about the uh, the six man hell in a cell match, and with all sorts of you know imagery of missiles and fighting and symbols of war and destruction. The song "The End Is Near" was the intro song. Big Pyro to kick things off, and uh, this crowd is crazy throughout the show. We do check back in with WWF New York with some people in WWF New York with fans there watching the show live. It's Jim Ross and Jerry the King Lawler welcoming us in. They do immediately set the tone saying that this is a night that could end somebody's career because this match is dangerous. Six men in a Hell in a Cell match. Vince McMahon is furious. He doesn't want this match to go on. Commissioner McFoley is the one that booked this match. He, uh, Jerry the King even says that, you know, Mick is angry, sort of a little jealous because his career ended in a Hell in a Cell. He wants one of these guys' career to end. In the hell in a cell So they're laying it on thick We get Vince McMahon showing up in the limo With the Stooges, Pat Patterson and Briscoe Vince is on a cane at this point He's uh, He's got an injury uh, on a, a leg injury that he's you know Selling all throughout the night So kind of setting up the tone here DZ for Not only what's going to happen in the main event But the major story around it Vince doesn't want this to happen In the weeks leading up to this He's been trying to find a way to cut this match off He's afraid that one of his top top tier Assets basically Is going to get injured And it's going to cost him money moving forward I, I have a question for you two fine gentlemen And anybody out there who's listening along Has anybody ever worked For a company or a business in which the owner doesn't have the final say as to what takes place in his own company. <laughs> I can't say I have. No. Uh, no, no. Is this so like succession I understand more than most people that this is a entertainment destination for us and not everything is always going to make the most sense. It's but still real to me, damn it. I'm fairly certain that it's really hard to get across the idea that the guy that owns the company doesn't have the power to stop something from happening. I know that's what's frustrating. This is one of those things where you do really sort of like roll your eyes a little bit or like, okay, come on. Especially Who comes when they, up with this shit when they lay it in so, so thick too. Right. It's not even yeah. just like a passing. Cause if it, if it wasn't passing, like the, the thought of it makes sense, right? Hey, I don't want my top tier like if somebody that was in charge of the talent did that and then the the president of the company or the the owner step were to step in and say hey I don't want that to happen it just wouldn't happen right the whole the whole idea of it is I'm fine with it's just of course he could 
nix the match if he wanted to. Of course he could. And then he's getting the the funny stuff when Vince was, you know, anytime this happened with with either Vince and Flair or Vince and Linda or whoever, the the battle with the ownership stuff, when people would come in and arrest Vince, that was always a funny thing too. It's like, oh yeah, now he's he's getting arrested. Now the the way around it would have been simple. You make Vince in on it. Like he's portraying the notion that he wants to stop it. But he really doesn't because he wants one of the people involved in the match to get hurt and not wrestle anymore. Maybe his son-in-law, maybe The Rock, maybe Austin, whatever. And he's, like, or he's got the one that he wants to win. Yeah, he's yeah, got a he's got yeah. a, a motivation. Yeah, you could have you could have done something like that where you went, okay, that I could deal with. Not this whole notion of getting escorted out by security. The owner of a company is getting escorted out of the building that his company is working in. It, it just makes no sense wonky yep. it is and and those are the things it's a little too much because we thought we talk about it a lot of times wrestling can be simple can be easy you've got these six dudes that's it Just throw the ball out on the court and let them play yep you know like exactly. what else what else do you need with you got the rockstone called the kurt angle you know you got triple h and the undertaker all in the ring at the same time you don't need to continue to you know manufacture additional storylines for those guys um as we get set for the opener, there was a dark match on this show. I think it was Scotty Too Hotty uh, beat D'Lo there. I'm sorry and, I missed that. Yeah. And keep in mind, there is a Benoit match on the show like we do whenever we uh, have Benoit matches. It's a 10-minute match against ben- Billy Gunn. We'll, we'll just skip over it because we like to talk about these matches and shows and pay-per-views for fun, for a good time. Once we start getting into the discussion of Benoit, it Goes down a road that's not all that fun So that that's a little later on the card But honestly as most of the cases With the Billy Gunn matches in this era When they would go single it was very underwhelming It's nothing special and it's nothing even You know to go right home about uh, that'll Oh come- dear god My <laughs> name's Billy And I have just one king of the ring But there's one problem Everyone still thinks that I absolutely, absolutely sucked. Suck. <laughs> <laughs> That's the rocks for you, ladies and gentlemen. Was, uh, we open up with the Radicals. This is an intergender elimination tag team match. The Radicals. A lot of intergender stuff on this show, too. Right? Yeah. Weird, uh, man. <laughs> it, it is weird in the, like from just where we are in this era. It's a little uncomfortable to watch yeah. too. The, the yeah. Lita, yeah. the Lita stuff in this match, I, I will, I will, man, I was, I completely forgot about it. As it's a Malenko, Eddie Guerrero, and Perry Saturn versus Team Extreme, Hardy, uh, Jeff Hardy, Matt Hardy, and Lita. Uh, By the way, forget with about the what in this match. The bump that she took in the the promo about the match, the power bomb off of the top rope from Malenko. I saw that. I I literally jumped out of the chair and went, oh. I forgot how yeah. she was getting thrown around in like this. Yep. And Malenko had the crush on Lita. He wanted Can't to. Blame him for that. No, no, not at all. And <laughs> in the storyline leading up, he wanted to get involved with Lita. They sort of Lita and the Hardys kind of set him up in a in a hotel to to come in and, and make fun of him. And imagine, sort of, imagine that scene going on in 2021. Um, can, can we just talk for a minute? About the horrible acting that was involved in that particular. That's segment. what you want to talk about. You want to talk about the acting? Yeah, I was gonna say that. <laughs> yeah, look, there's a number of things that we can talk about. Several of which reside on the chest of one of the people involved. Um, <laughs> but 
my goodness, the writing in that particular sketch would be it'd be embarrassing even from the standpoint of what they were trying to go for and people who write those kind of ahem, films. Uh, if you look at Dean Malenko trying to be a ladies' man, it is <laughs> it is some so of the most which, cringeworthy things that is, you will ever see in your life. It's really funny because you know this is how long are these guys in the company at this point? Months, right? Six months, a little yeah, less than a yeah. year, not even a year. And so it takes that long for them to realize that Dean Malenko, you know, is probably someone you, you let, let's get Dean Malenko into a bunch of skits. You know, yeah. the man of a thousand holds who doesn't ever really have much personality. Only a few times he's had some good angles and stuff in WCW, but that was like built playing off of Jericho and playing off of other people. He was never one who would have told you that he was interested in this kind of thing or would have been good at it. Yet let's get him in this steamy, soapy, Storyline right off the bat here And um, the Like the work in this match I don't have a problem with it It's an 8 minute match It's it's an elimination match The thing that kind of stood out to me too Eddie in a singlet You know it's kind of older older Eddie Sort of the transition from when he was coming from WCW over Because we didn't see that quite as much um, Later in, in WWE as, uh, It's uh, Eddie And Jeff um, Jeff hits the dive over on the floor Saturn and, and Matt go at it for a little bit uh, We get a back elbow onto Matt Then Eddie gets sent into the turnbuckle Belly to back Jeff tags in Punches for, for everyone Back body drop uh, Crowd's going crazy they, They're screaming for Lita already And uh, Eddie sets up Jeff on the top rope But we get a blocked Hurricane Rana And then Lita with a twist of fate onto Eddie and then Jeff with the Swanton bomb. So we get the first elimination. Eddie Guerrero is pinned. The only problem I had with this match is it it's so Survivor Series in that it's like, okay, so normally there are a strict set of like finishing moves that end matches. But you right. know, but now, now you have to take, yeah. Exactly. Now that it's a elimination match, just any old fashioned, you know, DDT or any old fashioned move that's just normally a transition move is gonna get a pin. So Eddie gets pinned. And eliminated real quick And then instantly right after We get Saturn uh, pinning Jeff With a uh, a Death Valley driver So Eddie and Jeff both out But uh, yeah I mean DZ This isn't like a, a bad match or anything at all We'll get to the, the kind of eye opening spot Toward the end with D- with uh, Dean and Lita These guys all worked hard They're still sort of like the Hardys In the next You know they 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 are a hot act right now and they would continue to get hotter they, They're kind of doing their job Here for the, the new radicals And, and the storyline but There's nothing really like wrong with the work in this match No it, it's just kind of A weird story like we talked about It's it's a little bit uh, Unsettling to see Some of the bumps that Lita is taking With men Yeah. Uh, but I will say this from a standpoint of Lita Working in a ring you want to talk about Somebody who was ahead of their time Nobody, um, nobody was doing stuff like her. I mean, no she, females. Like, this you, is like a luchador. No. You yes. wouldn't have seen this in this country at that time no. period. You would have no. only seen women working that way in Japan or maybe even in Mexico, and not many. No, exactly. And and, and seeing her doing it with men, like it, it, she put herself to a spot, and, and including in this match, where you, it made it 
believable that she could compete with Metten. Like she's that good in the ring. And, and it it's not something that we saw a great deal of. And, and just to go, you, you know, at this point in time, you know, there's a women's championship match later on in the card that lasts, what, six, seven minutes, uh, if that. So Lita was she, on She's on a level. different level than all on the women. a whole nother level. Exactly. It's not even whole close. Level. Um, yeah, I mean, look, parts of it are fun. The Lita stuff is is impressive as hell. I always enjoyed watching her wrestle. Serious, I mean that seriously, as a, as a performer and as a wrestler. Um, they have you believe at one point in the match that she's actually going to somehow find a way to win, uh, which is which is kind of cool because believe it, uh, I, I forgot the outcome of this match. And at one point, I thought, okay, Lita's going to go over here somehow. Um, and even after she's she's taken, she, you know, when she gets submitted and and the stuff that goes on after the match and stuff, you know. Th- th- it's pretty tough on her, and 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 parts of it I won't call it cringeworthy, but it's it's a bit bit unsettling to watch when it comes to you know a woman taking on a man like this. Yeah, unsettling is is a pretty good word. And look, there's a lot of promotions out there that are doing intergender stuff in 2021, and part of that is a reflection of how far women's wrestling has come to where it's treated as seriously as. When when men do it, I mean, Nia Jax came out in the Royal Rumble and took somebody's spot a couple of years ago. We saw it with like Darren was talking was kind of hitting a point because for a lot of these women too, um, and I don't know that that that's probably not the right particular case, but for some of the women, they're good enough. You know, in a lot of yes. the promotions, the women are good enough to be in a match in the ring to keep up oh, with the men because yeah, Ronda they, and Triple H at WrestleMania is a prime example. Oh my! Oh, exactly. Like yeah. th- someone like a Sasha or a Charlotte, they could keep up in the ring with any man. Yeah, yeah, like they, absolutely, and it wouldn't seem weird all, all that. Um, but it, this still, yeah, it it the the words that you said, it's just unsettling, like a little a little cringy, just like. Oh wow! Yeah, it's I, I kind of forgot that this was on here at, at this level. Yeah. Now this is a good match. I enjoyed it. I added it two and a half stars. I thought it was a fine opener. One of the things that I really want to point out here is there's a revisionist history that's out there with the Monday Night Wars, and it's not entirely correct. The narrative is that when the Radicals left WCW, the group of Voldemort. Perry Saturn, Dean Malenko, Eddie Guerrero, it was a death knell for WCW. It was a big step down and a big loss for that company, and it was. But it's not like WWE was in any huge rush to book any of them incredibly strong. Now, well, I think that's Vince. I think that's Vince's pride. Yes, yeah. but the thing is, the the narrative after that happened was, oh, these guys went to WWF and helped them put WCW out of business. That's not true. No. And you look at this match and you have three of the four radicals who are all excellent workers. Perry Saturn, A, thank goodness he's still alive. B, an underrated worker. That guy could flat go when he was in the right position with the right opponent. This was a good match. The crowd is hot for it. We get a very loud Eddie sucks chant. And you mentioned the singlet. He looks a little big for him. And this was around when he had some problems. He would wind up going to rehab about six months after this. Then what got in a very bad car accident or something to that effect. Mm -hmm. And wound up getting his walking papers and doing the indies for a little while before he got brought back. But 
This not a good time for Eddie, but still, he looks pretty good. Everybody in this match looks pretty good. They get Terry involved. She has a spot where Lita spears her and takes a really nice bump. Uh, I, I, I went love to Catholic that. school, Andrew. Um, can we get a ruler on the length of that skirt that Terry's wearing? You know, can can we get a ruler to check the skirt? Because you you know you you used to only have it be able to be like a to, an inch or two above the knee or whatever it was. That thing's hiked up a little bit short there, huh? Are you complaining, Gina? <laughs> I'm just I'm just kidding. She looks. I'm fantastic. just making sure. <laughs> She looks great. Uh, she does. She, she right looks around great. the time of Britney Spears, baby, one more time too. Right? Yeah, that's that that look that she's got going, and uh, Lita looks great. And yeah, everybody in this ring um, in the ring is working hard at this time. It's a good match, that's for Fine. sure. I it's, mean, it's a fun, good way to open the show because you know when the Hardys come out, people are going to be really hot for their for and pop for everything. And anytime Lita was involved in any way, shape, or form, the crowd was going nuts. Yep, because as we've mentioned, Lita's doing stuff that nobody is doing on a main level in either of the main companies. She was outstanding and still is when they bring her back for appearances to where she can still get in the ring and can still go. Um, the, the only thing from a storytelling perspective that's a little bit wonky is they get down to the end of the match. You're thinking Lita can win the match and Malenko just wipes the floor with her. Like, mm-hmm. I know you're trying to build something going forward, but with the crowd as hot as it was, you're telling me the faces couldn't have gone over here in some form or fashion. That I thought they got wrong. But still, this is a good eight-minute match. Everybody gets their stuff in. Nothing wrong with this at all. No, Eddie gets uh, Eddie gets eliminated, then Jeff, um, then it's Perry, then Matt. And so we have Lita and Dean left at the end. Um, D- what ends up happening is, um, Dean gets Dean does the uh, the roll up of death on uh, on Matt to get to eliminate him. So we're down to two, and everybody like like Andrew was mentioning, you sort of get the feeling like okay, they're gonna there's gonna be some way that Lita ends up getting the win here. You know, she they're gonna do something. The Hardys are gonna come back out. Someone's gonna enter. It was it was kind of weird that the Hardys just weren't there ringside too for a while. You know, it like. The there was decidedly a pause before they came out towards the end to to save quote unquote Lita. It wasn't really a save. It was just check on her post match. You know when when she's just laying there as uh, Dean. So Lita hits the moonsault onto Malenko for two. Then she goes up top, and when Dean Dean is able to stop her up on the top, he nails this superplex. Oh my gosh! Oh yeah, it's fast. Yeah, it's like a brutal bump too, and she just kind of like curls. You know, her body sort of was like, oh, like crunches in, and the fans are kind of like, whoa! And then he hits a couple pretty nasty clotheslines, and then an elbow, and he hits a backbreaker. And there were multiple times where he had the opportunity to pin her, but then he picks her up. He continues to hum- humiliate her and hurt her. He hits this Texas Cloverleaf where he's got her just like bent, and she taps out, and they get the win at over eight, uh, just around eight minutes, I think was the uh, when I when I saw, and yeah, it was. I mean, the crowd's hot. The match was fun. It was good. Just those last few minutes of it were like, whoa! I kind of had had forgot that that had happened, but it does show you that you know at this time period, DZ, this group of the Hardys and Team Extreme, and you know Matt was. Matt was sort of not he, he didn't get his due in WWE his a singles run as much as Jeff did and he was sort of the 
kind of like the I guess the weak link of the group. But this this act was really really over, and in a company that had a bunch of stars, this was one of the hotter acts on the show. Yeah, it's kind of funny too because at one point, uh, Jr. makes the comment about uh, Jeff Hardy may not have a long career. <laughs> I, yeah, those are funny. Based right? on like his style of wrestling, twenty one years later, here we are, huh? twenty one years later. <laughs> <laughs> so I got I got a kick out of that, but yeah, I mean the crowd's hot for them. They they obviously they go through, uh, you know, some of the greatest tag matches of all time. Uh, they you know they're trendsetters. They basically uh, you know create and solidify certain matches, uh, and when all is said and done. Uh, the Hardys are going to be known as uh, innovators uh, and and known for their ingenuity and known for their um, just lack of concern for their own bodies and how they go about uh, wrestling in the ring and the moves that they do. Uh, and people will be modeling their style off of them for decades, uh, which is probably the biggest compliment that you could you could pay to a wrestler. So they're not quite there yet, but you could see they've got something. The crowd loves them. Putting leader with them was probably a stroke of genius because it helped. Um, but yeah, they're they're right now, maybe not even at the doorstep of what they're going to be, but they're you know they're making their way, they're making their way up up the uh, the walkway, uh, and uh, you could see that they've got something, and it's not going to be before long until we see exactly what that is. That's for sure, um, and you can see a little bit of that in the post match promo, if you even want to call it that with Lita saying she knows she can beat Malenko and both of the Hardys helping her be the sympathetic baby face, carrying her to the back. That's a skill that not a lot of people have. And speaking of things, not a lot of people have, we need to talk about Michael Cole and the blonde tips. They make an appearance here and they are glorious. Yeah. After the match, uh, Dean throws Lita out of the ring. That's when the Hardys come down for the save. Uh, Dean runs out. And as they help Lita to the back, uh, Michael Cole, you know, talks talk, comes out. He asks Lita what happens, and she says that she could beat him. Michael Cole in this era with the frosted tips. There were times where he's got the uh, the earrings going. Wait, 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 wait! You're telling me neither of the two of you ever frosted your tips? Every I summer, never did every never summer did. from when I was 12 years old to 16 or 17. No, yeah. I just my senior picture. I even have my uh, my. Tips frosted. So like five or six years running, man. That was that was the thing that that was cool. I was the cool guy frosting my tips, man. I, I never did it ever. <laughs> Loved it. Loved I mean, it. I won't say I did it five, six summers in a row, but you know, I did it a couple of times, uh, you know, drunk on a bet. <laughs> yep, yep. I had some fun doing that all uh, always. As uh one of the years though, I messed up and I was just doing it with one of my buddies and you know, for some guys like DZ and I who have the really dark features, it's yeah. cool if you do it on the tops. You know, you get a little tips on the top so you can get the dark features going into the lighter. But you do not want to bleach your head. No. And that's what I did one year. And it was oh, slim, no. freaking shady. I was oh, slim, no. shady looking. The other, just... the other problem that you run into if you don't do it right, if you have our color hair. Why, why did we digress? Um, if you have our color hair, sometimes it comes out like orange. Yeah, you can you can get like an orange or even like a green. Yeah, you know because you get from the dark to like the bleach. You know, um, yeah, yeah. That that was a that was a fun time those early two thousands. As we move along to 
one of the many backstage promos that we'd have and it was Kurt Angle. He uh, was in his locker room. Lillian Garcia comes by. Kurt's doing some exercises. He's got the WWE title back there. He goes through all these different nationalities. He's like, "Hey, you know anybody that's Russian? Well, I do, cause I beat him." And he starts going through, like, "You know any Turks? I do." And he's just going through different nationalities, which I, th- I thought was pretty great. Kurt when is just so Bulgarian. I, I was I, for Rusev. Like, Rusev? <laughs> yeah, I wish Rusev and. Uh, He's great at this time period He says um, He's not worried about the guys inside Hell in a Cell And he knows that he shouldn't have to be such uh, put into such a Barbaric match in front of a bunch of Inbred hicks <laughs> The fans go go crazy And uh, he said I'm not worried about being made famous because I'm already famous I'm the Olympic gold medalist And the WWE champion <laughs> Just like So matter of fact He calls Foley a sadist and he says his career won't come to an end He said he's going to take a shower Drink 99% fat free milk And hop on a plane out of here Which is just, this was gold This was really good um, Kurt was, uh, yeah, Kurt I'm was so great drink a glass of milk <laughs> <laughs> This is good stuff from Kurt here As um, So we go from Kurt To um, a Replay showing uh, the Hell in a Cell from I think this one was No Way Out 2000 Triple H versus Mick Foley And we got the uh, the, the back body Drop off the Hell in a Cell And Cactus goes crashing through Good heel and One of the more underrated wrestlers We've we've had the time to revisit some of his Matches over the last couple of years on the old wrestling Rewatch but Regal Is Regal is great And, and you, what you get here from Regal Is he comes out Funny little you know Promo at the beginning where he He mentions Hardcore Holly And he says that since Hardcore Holly Is from um, he says I, I know that you people are going to cheer him Because he's from Alabama By the way which he said to try to get the guy reaction Because nobody knew the guy was from Alabama no, Right I was going to say <laughs> no, That's not like a thing right no, no. From, uh, from Birmingham Alabama yeah. Hardcore Holly Because like, no, if you're really from that. Birmingham Alabama You pretend to be from anywhere else I'm just kidding <laughs> Darren's going to heal. This is the show that Darren made his heel turn here. As yeah. uh, though this was this was funny. This is the total cheap heat that you'll get from a heel. But there's just something a little bit better about it from Regal when he does it. Uh, he even says that uh, maybe they should use a, a handkerchief. He said it's fine to wear overalls, but you need to wash them at least once a week. He starts making jokes about farm animals. The ch- the fans are calling him asshole, yeah. <laughs> doing the chant, and uh, he continues to like go on with insults. But he gets interrupted by Hardcore Holly, whose music hits, and uh, and he comes out for this European Championship match. And this is to me, this is one of the things that you would always get from Regal. He would maximize all of his TV time, as much time as you gave this guy. He was he was going to be one of those ones that I think they said that about Mick Foley actually early on when he was mankind or finding his footing. If you're going to give him 30 seconds or 60 seconds, he's going to do a really good job with it. So that way you never worry about the time that you give him. And that was Regal here. He comes out a little bit of a funny 30 second little clip to start. This whole match, his before and after and everything goes. I mean, six minutes maybe. The match is only five minutes, but it's it's fine. It's to me, it's a two-star-ish match. It just it feels like something you'd see on TV, but the guys work hard. There's no issues or flubs or really anything throughout the match. We get some of Regal's double underhook, hardcore Holly drop kick, 
uh, off the top rope, Alabama jam leg drop for two. Um, Regal counters uh, a move into a power bomb that was pretty cool. We get the STF submission, but Holly breaks out of it, and then. Uh, of course, you're going to get the spot with Regal, like always, you know, cheating as uh, the referees, you know, checking on uh, Regal and Raven shows up in the ring, hits a DDT on Holly. So Regal, like he does in most of his matches, gets that cheapish sort of victory. He covers Holly for the pin at just over five minutes. Nothing at all wrong with it. It just didn't really feel like a pay per view match, but yeah. it's, you know, it like, it was fine, totally. It, it's it's fine. It just felt like something you'd see on Monday Night Raw. Yeah, exactly. The, my my only gripe was like when uh, when Holly hits that move. Why is the ref checking on him? Why isn't Holly just going to cover the guy? Now, obviously, yeah. the answer is they they mistimed the spot or something. Yeah, right? yeah. The timing was a little down, off. Yeah, and Raven's going to come down him with the DDT. But it's like the minute you see like he hits the move on Regal and Regal's down, and Holly doesn't go to cover him, and instead like the ref is over there looking at him. You know something's coming. You know, it's it just doesn't make any sense. So, I mean, that's my only real gripe with the match. But like you said, this is a match that you would see, you know, the second or third match on a Monday Night Raw or a SmackDown or something. There's not a whole lot to it. There's nothing offensive. It just doesn't scream pay-per-view. Yeah. Um, William Regal embodies, I think, the utility player mindset. Every locker room needs to have a William Regal in it a guy that can do pretty much anything you ask him to do for as long as you ask him to do it. A while back, for instance, and this is going way, way, way back, we looked at the Great American Bash from 96. Watch the match he has with Sting. It's perfect as far as what he's able to bring to it during a time when Sting didn't have a lot going on and there was no reason for anybody to care about Sting's match with this mid-card guy. Regal did everything he possibly could to get you invested in what he was doing. The same can be said for the, all the stuff he did with Finley back before anybody was doing true stiff, hardcore stuff. He and Fit Finley were beating the hell out of each other on a nightly basis. Then you look at the stuff he did as commissioner. Then you look at the stuff he's doing with NXT. It's an exceptional body of work. And you wonder if it could have been even better if he had been clean and sober all of that time. Thankfully, he's beaten his demons and he's still with us. This match is fine. It's stiff, which is always fun. But it's not like there's a lot to it. There was one good line from Jerry Lawler talking about how Alabama had 4 million people and 15 last names. Um, <laughs> I, Jerry Lawler had a couple of lines that were cringeworthy on this show. We'll get to one of them in the next match that we do. That's but not that one was worthy. But no, no, I was going to say, but that wasn't. That was yeah. I was gonna say Jerry has some bad nights. This wasn't like a horrible night for him. No, it was just it was it was one line during the next match where I went, oh uh, god, that didn't age well. Oh god, uh, that didn't age well. Uh, but this match, as it turned out, it was fine. It was what it was. Raven comes out. DDT's hardcore Holly probably gets a payday for it. Good on you, Scott Levy. And Regal retains the title. And check the box and move on. And we do just that as we get a, a clip shown from a couple days earlier at SmackDown when Kurt Angle attacks Rikishi. He was just sort of letting Rikishi know that they're not uh, on the same side. And we get a backstage interview with uh, Rikishi. Kevin Kelly, New Japan Pro Wrestling announcer, who does a really good job for New Japan, did a lot of Ring of Honor stuff through the years. He uh, uh, talks to Rikishi a little bit. And, you know, Rikishi was never someone who. Was cutting crazy long or big promos. He 
would do the goofy stuff a lot of times with Too Cool and the dancing, as Andrew made a joking reference to earlier, making a difference fought too at one point. But he was this was fine. Like this was a fine promo from Makishi trying to play heel. It wasn't like you know, Dusty Rhodes hard times or anything, but it's not that's it's fine. Like it's it's very solid. It gets his point across trying to be, you know, an evil guy. Um it it it's just unfortunate because like you know, you look back at a match like this, and he does just feel a little bit out of place in there with them. You know, oh yeah, it, which which one of these is not like the other one, right? Yeah, and it's 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 not even that when you're watching the match, it he, he like the work is fine. He doesn't stand out in anything throughout that he misses a spot or he does this or this wrong. It's just these are like all time greats throughout, and then you've got Rikishi in the mix. Who they was, had to give him that spot off the thing, otherwise you wouldn't even remember he was in the match. You're right. No, you're right. And that and that's and, and that's the point. Um it uh yeah, Rikishi will will like Darren said be you know cutting a promo and, and kind of we hear his voice and we hear a little bit from everybody else as we continue on and get set for that big I did it for the rock. Yeah. I did I did it for the rock, man. For the rock. Yeah, it was Shut it your was, mouth, you big thong wearing fatty. So convoluted with how they had to get there. You could tell they changed multiple times on what they thought or who they thought. And uh, China, don't treat me like a woman. Don't treat me like a man. Don't treat me like anything. Just treat me forward who I am. China, here she comes. She's got the big pyro gun that she's blasting. Uh, and, uh, China is <laughs> China is over. But we were just talking from a sense like, you know, what we were talking about with Lita earlier And China was someone who Was getting into the intergender stuff here She basically The way that China had been booked and portrayed Forever She couldn't really f- wrestle women She was booked too strong She had already right. been dominant over men and, and would be you know Portrayed as a very Big tough figure uh, Against men That it was you couldn't really set her up with women And so this is the where she is right now Where she for a while she's in stuff with You know Val Venus You get stuff with Jericho You get some stuff with Jeff Jarrett at, at one point And um, some things where she's in, involved For the IC championship with Eddie Guerrero It You know it just never kind of connected And it was unfortunate because China was Unbelievably over And the story of China is so sad um, it, it You know she's so well liked by the fans at this point She's so popular But it just she wasn't able to Become what she wanted to be Like an actual main event wrestler In the men's division Even when it didn't work with WWE She ended up having small stints in New Japan Where she had a match or two And um, you know other other places And independent stuff Where she was trying and she wanted to be But just comparing the two of them Like Lita is just so much better in ring, you know, like when, like what she's doing here compared to China, who is a totally different style of wrestler, but she just was still like, you know, she got away with a lot of things in the ring because of the look and because of how big she was, right? She wasn't like some in ring technician. No, no, she wasn't. But I mean, that wasn't really supposed to be, no, it, you know, she no. was an Amazon, is what yeah, she was. Exactly. And, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and she played the part well. Obviously, Very. she looked the part. She, you know, looked much different at this point in time than she did when she first came into WWE for sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, you know, her life story is, is unfortunately a tragic one and a sad one for a lot of different reasons, but 
you know, her run in uh, in WWE was, uh, you know, paved the way for different things, showed that, you know, women could be at the center of attention and they can hold their own. And uh, not just from a wrestling standpoint, but from a character standpoint. I mean, it's not easy to put a female figure, if you think about it, in with guys like, you know, Shawn Michaels and, and Triple H in the middle of a faction and 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 have them basically feel like they are a major part of that faction and china was able to do yep. that and i think you know that speaks volumes about the type of uh, entertainer and performer that she was and, nobody uh, had seen anything like china before and we've only recently started seeing people like china in the past couple of years and without her we don't see a lot of what we're seeing in the women's divisions in WWE yep. and AEW right now. Mm-hmm. And I'm not even talking about the, the token quote unquote monsters in the division. Look at Rhea Ripley's offense. Yep. Charlotte. Just yeah. Like Charlotte, you know, she's like a dominant, dominant athletic looking woman who doesn't get treated, you know, like Charlotte can, can be awesome in the ring and attractive and like a lot of things that you wouldn't have been able to be years ago, right? It was one or the other. You're just you can't be uh like a sex symbol and g- good looking and also be tough and and badass in the ring, you know? Oh, I think Ray Ripley sure can. It, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and and that's what's great. I mean, even even someone like uh, over on AEW, she just she's got the look of like a Jade Cargill, you know, she's she's a, a ways away from being a the main event female, but she's got a look and a vibe to her that's very much China. It's the you same know? prototype, that's for sure. Yep. And and Val is someone who, you know, Val's a fine worker. Um, Val's got his thoughts in the hello, and, ladies. And the Val, the big Valboski character was one that I really enjoyed because they just had fun with it. You know, for a lot of it at the beginning, it was they're not. Dancing around what it was this dude's a porn star We're getting we're going you know All in with it and Val Played the character great yeah that Voice um but it was Just it's the problem When you are Someone who is Based a lot around your gimmick Is that there's there's kind of a shelf Life you know it You know if you're too goofy or too Corny or too much of a comedic type Character that that's gonna run out you know, at, at some point, every, and every character runs out, and, and if it's a, and the cornier it is, the quicker it runs out. Yep. And if you can't go more than just sort of basic in the ring, or you don't have a little bit more than whatever that character is, you're in trouble. And I think that's what Val ran into, Commissioner Morley, at some points when he didn't have that gimmick. He's just a guy. Yep. You know, he's and he's not bad in the ring at all. He's fine. He's very serviceable. He's someone who you could slot in. To the middle of the card somewhere Or as a nice tag team piece But he's not a main event Worker he didn't really have that It factor in the ring a lot Of him what made him popular was You know that cool fun You know that big Valboski Gimmick as uh, he's kind Of a lot like like the godfather I mean The godfather had right, like four 100%. or five Different gimmicks in the ring the problem Was Val Venus never just Was able to kind of transform his character I mean Godfather went from Shango to Kama, you know, to Godfather, all the different, you know, uh, different versions of himself and completely different characters. Val Venus was the Val Venus, and then he was in Right to Censor, and that that was pretty much it, you know. And if you can't, if you can't 
manipulate your character, change your character and roll with the flow and adapt, you're not going to have a long shelf life. Now you're going to be in trouble as uh, Val Venus with ivory versus China uh, gets set here. Uh, Val's the heel from right to censor. They weren't a fan of China pose, uh, posing in Playboy. So that's why we have the, uh, the feud here going on. And this match is five minutes ish, just in that five minute range. There's nothing overtly awful. Um, China goes after Val early. Ivory's trying to attack from outside. So she's playing the heel um, on the outside. And China tosses Val into the steel steps early. They get into the ring. China's pretty aggressive here early on. She's got a good sense of uh, of you know intensity to start. Val, uh, she hits a DDT for two. Side rush and leg sweep by Val. Uh, he throws her outside of the ring. So Ivory's kind of you know playing the heel outside. He's st- she's stomping on China. Val with a double underhook suplex. We get a China back body drop and a neck breaker for two. China with a, a big clothesline for two, followed by a China kicking Val in the ribs, and then. You get a JR calling Ivory Lilith Crane. I think I thought you'd like that one, Andrew, as someone who's uh, done the uh, the Cheers rewatch not long ago. And uh, is uh, China? She hits the ropes, but then Ivory grabs her leg at one point, tripping her up. And China gets frustrated, so she starts chasing China around uh, Ivory around the ring. And then Ivory gets into the ring to distract. And that's when Val is able to take advantage He kicks China, he hits the perfect plex Fisherman suplex for the win Just after 5 minutes Like nothing nothing offensive about it At all, just another one where like This was 5 minutes, the match before it was also 5 minutes, was probably worked A little bit better, the crowd More into this probably because they're Just more into China at the moment And then we end up moving forward to China and Ivory She does have, actually have a feud with Ivory And with uh, with some of the women And I think that ends up going from like going uh, Up to Wrestlemania So you know just another one where It didn't really feel Pay-per-view-y This kind of felt like something that we could have had on Monday Night Raw Yep which is kind of the theme of the show uh, I mean I think you hit all the notes uh, Andrew I'm assuming the line That bothered you here Was the Butterface line Yep, you got it right. And honestly, it's more of a hindsight thing, mm-hmm. knowing all of China's problems and just how that wound up spiraling downward. Yeah, right. It just, I'm not saying it sounded cringy in, in the year 2000 when it was made, but it does not age well. Not at all, especially knowing what we know now from that. And uh, this, is, this was fine. No, nothing didn't offend me. Anything, uh, I think with WrestleMania 17, we end up getting uh, China. Versus Ivory So um, now we get to talk about Andrew complain about the worst stipulation Match in history <laughs> You know I haven't even Talked about this match yet let's just yeah, Be go, go yeah, ahead. I, I mean I understand we're all trying to play Keep away from Andrew especially When it becomes <laughs> my turn to pick a show But my goodness um, I'm actually going to give Val Venus some Credit here because you can see he's leading the match and trying to put this together from start to finish because China, while she had that presence and the it factor, was never the best worker, and that was never her thing. It was on whoever she was with in the ring to be able to get a decent match out of her, and Val does that. He winds up uh, doing a lot to make some of China's offense look a little bit better than it is. China tries to do a back body drop and doesn't really get Val up in the air all that much. 
Val is still able to rotate, land on his back, and take the bump correctly. She does a swinging neck breaker, and Val sort of has to coach her through it on the fly. You got to look for it, but it's there. Uh, I thought he did a really nice job leading this match and getting the most out of China as possible. And it's just unfortunate that he's gone from Hello Ladies to Hello QAnon. Yeah, I was gonna say. Uh, as, yeah, I didn't even know that. I was gonna say, yeah, don't don't dip into Val's uh, Val's personal stuff nowadays. He was really big into the weed industry for a while, and then, um, yeah, now wow. he's now That's he. An interesting. Uh, I was gonna say it was such a pivot. Uh, it was like yeah. it didn't. It was like wow, this is this is a little inconsistent. That's some of the <laughs> problems that I have with some of the politics, but that's a different story for a different day. As uh, we get another clip of another big hell in a cell moment. Uh, when Cactus Jack lit the two by four on uh, wood on fire and hit Triple H with it when they're on top of the the hell of the cell, and uh, we get the backstage scene with Vince and Stephanie. V- Stephanie telling Vince about how she's worried about uh, you know Triple H. Vince says he's hurting physically and emotionally. Doesn't want to talk about the divorce, and so they're trying to get this match stopped because she's worried that uh, Triple H is is going to get hurt. Then we get to the Undertaker interview in the ring. And Speaking of guys that look bigger than I ever remember them. Right? He was Man, like from a wide him, standpoint, yeah. right? Like bloated? bloated yeah. Yep. Yeah. Man was hitting the creatine, my friend, hitting the creatine. Absolutely. And maybe it was different, you know, maybe for him with the uh not having to be the dead man, you know, he kind of leaned into this gimmick a little bit more. Maybe he didn't have to yeah. wear the Whatever his costume He didn't have to fit into something you know, Quite as uh, restricting here But you are right And it was a little bit rambly early It ended up finishing Kind of fine Like at the, the moment he starts talking about Shawn Michaels And he starts like having points it, It's okay But he's you know He's talking about how this is the time for reckoning He has visions of things he's done to men inside the cell he's, So he's in the ring He's kind of walking around in the cell you know, kind of reliving things that have happened. He mentioned Shawn Michaels and sending him through the cell, and he bled and he bled. They they show a replay, and then he mentions Shawn. You know, then he mentions Undertaker. He choke slam Mick Foley, and they show that. And then he talks about uh, the Shawn Michaels falling off the side and how he's made them famous. And it it ended up going five minutes and fifty seconds in Never the ring. The Undertaker could. Oh yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> like a promo like yeah. that, and there were, so we've at this point had two matches on the card that weren't that long, and we will <laughs> we will have three matches on the card that aren't that long. As the five fifty that he stood in the ring talking, this was after uh, a segment with Vince backstage, and then it led to Vince coming out in the ring for six and a half minutes. And cutting his own promo There were 26 minutes From the end of Val China To the start of Kane Jericho 26 minutes Of just like a bunch of Weird, not weird Like they're just different stuff That all felt like things that could have been done On a pre-show Or on a Monday Night Raw You know, on, on something like that So this was, like that's the problem I had with the show I like, I I specifically I, I don't hate the show at all. I don't think it's a bad show. It's if you're looking for something to throw on in the background while you're doing your work, it's a fine two and a half hours. But 
you know, if you're just grading this as we do all of these things individually, this one it just that's a lot. You know, Vince comes out and he walks out with uh, Patterson and Briscoe, and he talks about how he meant every word on SmackDown last week. He's given the fans his life. He told Linda he wants a divorce, and um, Linda's not good enough for him. And he is genuine concern for the six men in the Hell in a Cell. He said that the wealth, uh, his concern for their welfare, has been rebuked by Commissioner Foley. Get big ass. No sense. Doesn't make any sense. Um, it was like just trying to shoehorn in a fancy word and like you know say like sound smart. Asshole chance for Vince. Uh, he you know mentions that he's not a or he is a certified billionaire and he is Vince McMahon and what else do we get? Uh, Vince does a damn it I said stand up um, Oh that was so great That was, that a, was so great Really fun line there uh, But this just Yeah like little too much DZ for me just a little too long Oh it's a lot too long I mean this is just way too much time In between matches um, I don't understand why You know this had to happen back to back I just think it's Poorly booked I think it's poorly Scheduled uh, I'm not a big fan of in-ring promos and pay-per-views to begin with, let alone something like this. On top of it, it's just completely nonsensical. The Undertaker one kind of dragged on. It hit some cool notes, and you got to see some cool footage. But for the most part, these are you know 12, 13 minutes here where kind of just like waiting for the next thing to happen. And uh, yeah, I just I just thought it was uh, I don't know what the right terminology is, but I just thought it was uh, not. Not becoming of a pay-per-view, I guess is the best way I could put it. I agree with that. The one thing that I will say is all of these interviews and the packages that they did reinforced that Hell in a Cell is a really big deal. Yep. And I that much and I do agree. I, I do cool. agree. It, it was it, it had a purpose, right? At least, but it did just seem a little too much. Like I it was I did feel those mixed feelings and mixed kind of signals in that Um, yeah yeah that's for sure and it's one of those things where that could have been done in a far shorter amount of time but there are some hell in a cell matches now where they announce hell in a cell as the stipulation and it doesn't even get a reaction there are hell in a cell matches where the cell is almost a problem it is i.e when they painted the cell red (laughs) i.e Rollins and Wyatt, my God. Um, but they did a nice job of making the main event seem like a really big deal. And look, it's a one-match show, in all honesty. Let's just be real about that. They did what they wanted to do. I just wish it hadn't taken as long as it did. Now, Vince's promo, I have no problem with. And here's why. Vince is supposed to be the heel. He's supposed to be saying this stuff that nobody wants to hear. And it does at least get paid off at the end in the main event that we'll talk about in a little bit. But I loved, absolutely loved when you could see him turning colors and going, damn it. I said, stand up. That's what Vince is at his best. So funny. And that I loved, I loved that part. No problem at all with Vince's promo. Takers should have been two or three minutes as opposed to however long it was. 
Yeah, I think that's probably yeah. Vin, Vince Vince's stuff is didn't feel as rambly either because Vince knows knows about what he's doing out there with the heat segment. But um, yeah, all, and maybe even just the placings of these back to back where they were, it almost felt like you know in a show when they're trying to set something up, like it felt like they were trying to buy time here because they had to like build the cell or something, which is not the case. Like when they have a cage match, so that that just kind of felt a little bit weird to me as we get to. The last man standing match We have uh, the build for Kane and Jericho Which started off with a spilled cup of coffee And, and Jericho uh, Making a comment about not getting burned And So I have no problem with this Match you know to me it's It's fine it's solid it's an above Average match these two guys work really hard Throughout and It just it goes over 17 minutes in a and it's in a last man standing match and you know Andrew will I'm sure get to this too the the problem with the last man standing match is the like the stipulation itself calls for a match to be sort of long and drug out and yeah. slow because anytime there's a fast pace back and forth it's going to someone's down and the count starts and you got to get back up to 7 or eight. okay now you got to break the count and you start all over and you get back up to Five, six, seven, eight, and start all over. What I do like about this match and the way that WWE will do a, through the years a pretty good job of having matches like this with some of their monsters, with Kane or with the Big Show, or with guys like that, where they can lose this match, not really get pinned or have to tap out. And it, it makes sense when they get buried under the stuff. Jericho kind of outsmarts him and is able to win because he he dumps the stuff on him, even though we see the bump that it doesn't ever even come close to hitting Kane whatsoever. He's just kind of underneath it. Like nothing. This is everything you would expect from these two guys in this type of a match. Like they go all over. I thought it was funny when they both are backstage and they both just randomly punch Midian. It's like, oh, mm-hmm. what what did Midian do? You know, oh, man. At least he had some clothes on here um, And you know they're walking all over From backstage back to the front uh, Into the ring post um, Whip to the turnbuckle Jericho punching back and forth Shout out to referee Teddy Long here uh, Jericho's down for Seven count Climbs back up uh, Heel kick and, and, and uh, a slam Jericho gets out of the way of an elbow drop And we see Kane uh, with more punches here Big choke slam There was a couple punches in this that didn't connect All that well but they did, They do a good job Like these guys are pros they they play it off And they uh, you know they do their best of not Like letting a match Get completely off track if you have a One or two punches or a, a move That doesn't always connect um, You get the, the Chair in the mix so first Kane gets the big Choke slam Jericho gets up by uh, At nine Kane's starting to get mad Because he feels like He's doing everything and Jericho keeps coming back So he gets the chair He hits Jericho a few times with the chair And chair to the ribs, chair to the back We get a tombstone Attempt that uh, Jericho fights out of DDT from Jericho And Running forearm Then Jericho starts to fire up with a lot of his uh, His stuff, we get the bulldog We get the uh, the lion salt onto the chair which is always funny. It's like that hurts you just as much as him. You're jumping right on your stomach, you know. And uh, um, we get the there was a spot when they start to move. They they leave the ring and they go over because because it's Armageddon in the entrance way. There's a like a set of all these cars and uh, 
you know, the, I, I think that was made, we were mainly just like old beat up cars over there. And th- there was a spot that, that got edited on Peacock when I was watching because it was like they, they kind of messed up the, the, the spot. It was a choke slam that Jericho ends up countering with a bulldog. And, and then Jericho ends up going over to this big stack of barrels and he pushes him over on top of Kane. And so that ends up trapping Kane for the 10 count. Jericho gets the win. It's fine. Like, no, this is not a bad match. Both of these guys worked really hard. This is what you're going to get from Kane for about a 15 year stretch. Good above average matches. He will do, you know, work really safe, work really hard. It was just, you know, 17 when 12 probably would have done. Yeah, I would say that's accurate. Um, there was a good choke slam in the match. Uh, Jericho really posts for it. He's way up there, and it's kind of one of those one-handed jobs that looks, you know, simply fantastic. Um, you know, the the stuff outside the ring, you know, the little staged area is a little bit corny, and we'll talk about that later on again. Um, I don't know. Dumping radioactive waste you know, barrels onto Kane to stop him from getting up again is <laughs> what is yeah, this like? Call that call Ninja that Turtles Shredder or something? Is it the yeah. ooze? Yeah. <laughs> um, but it goes to speaking as to one of Andrew's biggest pet peeves of this match. And Andrew, I'll, I'll pivot to you here and where how many times can you see this match possibly end with the big monster getting pinned underneath some kind of crazy object? As you may or may not have heard, I do not like last man standing matches <laughs> for a variety of different reasons. Um, for one, the first time you see an ending like this one, where the big monster gets pinned under everything, it works you well. go, you go, oh, that's really creative. Yep. And then every other match steals it. Whatever happened to just knocking somebody cold? <laughs> I, I'm just saying, like, what they're literally afraid just... that it's going to weaken the guy is what yep. the answer is. And that's and it's yeah. not true at all. It's not true no. at all. But that's what they think. Yep. It's and, and look, I understand you're not going to have unprotected share shots anymore, and for good reason. I understand you're not going to have certain spots that would absolutely knock somebody out. I get that. Just give me brass knuckles or a roll of quarters, something. Like it's okay to sell a cheap shot. Nobody's going to be angry at that. And you can even wind up with a situation where a last man standing match doesn't blow off the feud. And mm-hmm. you can wind up going forward with the mindset that eventually the heel's going to get the comeuppance and the baby face is going to wind up doing what baby faces do in the end, which is win. I don't have any overwhelming problems with this match. It's not bad. Chris Jericho is Chris Jericho. Kane, maybe his ceiling isn't all that high. His floor is very high. Yep. You're not going to get an abstractly terrible match from Kane at this point in his career. It's fine. It's long. I hate the stipulation. It, it is what it is. It's just, it's another one of those matches that, for better or for worse, is just there for me. Yep, we didn't just cut a few minutes off as uh, the we go backstage and we get the Lieutenant Commissioner Deborah uh, telling Foley that everything's going to be fine. Jonathan Coachman shows up. Uh, Deborah says that Mick is upset, but uh, 
you know, she, I mean, this isn't anything much. Mick Foley says that Vince may have been right about a lot of things, but he's wrong because people want to see this match. Um, Mick Foley has said that if anyone does get hurt, he will retire and remove, or he will remove himself as the commissioner. He thinks everyone's going to be happy when this is all said and done. So we get all more right. highlights. Go ahead. I said, all right. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Whatever that JR, means. JR talks with Sean at uh, WWF New York. So Sean talks about the first Hell in a Cell match. Remember, at this time, Sean was retired. Sean was uh, injured, so he was not wrestling. His comeback is about less than two years uh, in the future, right? About 2002 SummerSlam, I think, was when uh, when Sean comes back. And yeah, highlights from King of the Ring 1998. That was uh, the Undertaker Mick Foley chokeslam onto the thumbtacks inside the Hell in the Cell. We have uh, recapped that one before for you if you want to deep dive on that show. Um, the the point that Andrew mentioned earlier in the show is one that I completely agree with. Is that they hit home how big a deal Hell in a Cell is. They really do. Um, and I think. It's just a little unfortunate that there isn't anything else really on the show that makes you get you know, really sink your teeth into because that's kind of all you remember is that match and then just the some of the filler throughout. So it's it's one of those weird things. Like I said mixed emotions because I think they did a good job making it seem bigger, but in that same sense, it was probably still a little too much. As we get to the tag match, uh, they did show some Birmingham bolts. XFL players there also well, by the uh, way, I to say Undertaker was wearing a New York, New Jersey Hitman hat during his interview I don't know if you noticed that <laughs> And uh, if, if I may say something Before Please. we go to the tag match Because HBK comes out At WWF New York Where DJ were, DZ used to DJ um, oh, 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 look at that uh, Here here, uh, you might need to bend over to pick up that fact you just dropped there, Darren. Um, <laughs> so he comes out. Darren, you would know better than I would about the availability of certain substances at WWF New York. Wait, he looks... Me? He looks... <laughs> what are you implying? <laughs> I, I'm just saying you've been there. You DJed there. You know, you, you know the scene there. I figured, yeah. you know. But HBK looks pilled out of his mind here. Um, and... He looks if like you, someone who's like picking up the paycheck for for like well, an appearance, you know. This is like an appearance here, and he's just, you're right. He looks starry eyed. He does. Yes, he does. I mean, look, WWF New York was a club. There are people at clubs that take certain substances in order to fit in and, in their eyes, have a good time. Look at Shawn Michaels in this segment, and then look at Shawn Michaels when he comes back eighteen months later. It's a completely different human being, and thank God for that. Um, it, it, you forget how far gone Shawn Michaels was because of that second run that he had in the 2000s. This is a guy that could have been dead, and if he was, there'd be a heck of a Dark Side of the Ring documentary on him. The fact that he was able to find religion, find a good woman, Raise a family and get his life back on the right track. Thank God that happened. We get to the fatal four way tag team championship match. Is uh, yeah, this is this is pretty entertaining. And the one thing that this you know stands out to me is just how over the tag teams were in this era, right? Think about right now in WWF who you've got Riddle and Arc, Arc- Arcade Bro is over, 
no doubt about it. Like Riddle and and Orton are over. The Street Profits get a good response. New uh, Day, got, New Day, New Day's good. These, the, yeah, Usos will still. You know what? So there are a couple teams that are still yeah. get pretty good responses. But these three, the Hardys, Edge and Christian, and the Dudleys. Oh, like the Hardys earlier on the show, and then the Dudleys in this match. Everything the Dudleys do, this crowd is going nuts for it when they do that. What's up? What's up? What's up? <laughs> going ballistic. There are times where you could tell that, like Devon and I think Bubba even, like Devon will sort of pop him. The crowd will pop Devon. You know, like yeah. he gets like, oh my gosh, the crowd goes so ha- much for his spot that he's laughing and smiling. What's up? So. I actually enjoyed this quite a bit. This was a lot of fun. It's nine minutes, uh, almost ten, like nine forty. This isn't, it isn't TLC, but and it doesn't try to be TLC. No, it you know, so it, nothing, nothing is, and nothing trying to do those th- that sack like a mimic of that wouldn't work. This was just a lot of fun. Um, we've got the right to censor, so it's the Good Father and Bull, Bull Buchanan, one of uh, John. Can C- we edit the music in post here? The <laughs> the alarm <laughs> that is great. <laughs> the Good Father. We've got Stephen Richards out there with them. We've got Edge and Christian. We've got the D O Double G and K Quick getting rowdy, 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 rowdy. We've got Road. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I forgot that our truth has been around for this long. And he looks great. He, is he looks not the aged. same. He looks exactly the same. It's, it's wild. Our freaking truth looks great. And the Dudley boys, uh, they are the final team here. Uh, this is a fatal four-way. Two legal guys in the ring while the others are on the apron. And this is one of those instances where, like Andrew will mention throughout, these guys knew what their time limit was. And so everything is just nonstop. It's just crazy. Everybody's working hard. Everybody's getting their stuff in right off the bat. Good father, boot to the face, corner splash. Devon gets a two. Devon's a legal man. Good father hits dog, road dog with a punch. Ed, Edge uh, checks in. He's the legal guy. Uh, we got Road Dog and Bubba doing the punches. And then Bubba does the dance punch routine, which was a mm-hmm. cool little spot there. Um, we get. Uh, Edge kicking K-Quick's shoulder Then uh, Christian goes into the turnbuckle Edge with the armbar takedown Goodfather tags in Bulls working on the arm of our truth here um, Edge heads back in Then he's off the turnbuckle K-Quick with a neck breaker um, The Dudleys are j- just going nuts at this point Then here comes Bubba with the hot tag And this is like the last half of the match Bubba and the Dudleys going ballistic Back body drops, sidewalk slam, clotheslines all over the place. And everybody's in the ring, all four teams, all eight guys for a few minutes going at it. Uh, Steven Richards comes in, he gets a super kick. Bubba um, and Devon set up Edge for the what's up headbutt. How uh, much fun is that? Right? It is. <laughs> it is just. It's so fun now, 21 years later. It is. It's so fun. <laughs> it is. It just makes me smile thinking about it and saying it as, you know, as 2000 like, was a simpler time, wasn't it? It, was. it, it, it really was. <laughs> Yankees it, were winning World Series. It was a nice time. Yeah. It was, <laughs> it was, uh, they, uh, they then get the, uh, they, they set up the doomsday device uh, on Christian for two. That was cool. 
then they set up the 3D on Bull Buchanan. They hit the 3D on Goodfather. They are going nuts on everyone. Another was up drop on Christian. And uh, then Steven Richards hits a DDT on Devon. Edge hits the spear on Bubba and Christian with the unprettier. Uh, this thing went, yeah, 940. And yeah, you know what? When I've said a few times, like, this isn't a match that you're going to go tell everybody to go watch, but this was a pretty fun match on a show. And the crowd is nuts for their, for like 10 minutes of this match from the moment the, the entrances start and all the way through. There's never a dull moment. You've got eight guys in the ring here and, and a, you know, a couple on the outside. And for the most part, you've of the 10 ish people, like seven of them are. Pretty solid to above average workers And they're going to do a good job And they know their roles really really well So yeah DZ I think every I might have enjoyed this Even more than the Kane Jericho just from a This was really fun this was a blast um, Kane Jericho was Probably a better match in And more of like a feud ending Pay per view style match but I actually had a, a good time with this like 10 minute ish segment Pro, uh, so I would say the second best match on the card easily, and I would say it probably had the moment of the card that I enjoyed the most. And I don't know if you mentioned, I don't think you mentioned it yet, um, but when when Bubba and Road Dog are doing that, they, they're kind of punching at the same time, and Bubba mocks Road Dog with the shake, and then Road Dog, dance off, yeah, like he like they end up doing it in perfect harmony. It's like it's like watching synchronized swimming. Like they do the exact same thing <laughs> is. at like the, the exact same time. And then it's like Road Dog realizes that Bubba's mocking him. And then instead of going for the final punch against who they've been hitting the whole time, they turn and hit each other. You, I thought that you, was a great sequence. And you know that those two guys worked on that for a couple hours. Oh, yeah. Like oh, looking yeah. in the mirror, you know, together doing it to make sure because Bubba was spot on there. Like that was really well done from him. And this goes to show you, you know, Bubba, if you're listening, uh, no. <laughs> right, exactly. But no, but it goes, but listen, it goes to show you how, you know, you talk about the amount of time that you put in to certain spots that literally last a matter of seconds. And here we are talking about the match 21 years later. And I'm telling you, one of the f- best parts for me of the entire show and the most fun I had was that spot, you know, 21 that, years that later. Is, that so, is wrestling. Like yep. That's wrestling, you know. Yep. That's what it's all about. I got a kick out of that, Andrew. I thought I thought it was a. Is it a four star match? No, but I thought it was a, it was a damn fun match and uh, one of the more enjoyable things on the card. Yeah, I, I think Gino nailed it. It's not TLC, but it doesn't try to be, and there's nothing wrong with that. I have this as an easy three stars, maybe three and a quarter. It's yeah. a fun ten minute tag match. It's a very good semi main event. Everyone goes out there and works hard. And you mentioned Road Dog. This was not a good time for him. He would be out the door the next month. And the story with Road Dog is he was in negotiations to join WCW. He goes to Nitro in March of 2001. And the first person he sees backstage is Shane McMahon. <laughs> yeah. That'll uh, that'll close the door on you in a hurry. But um, everything you know, worked out okay for him in the long run, though. Yeah, in the did. long run, yes, it's another case where you know, guy who had demons got clean, and thank God for that. Uh, this match, though, a lot of fun. It's not perfect. It doesn't have to be. These are eight guys that could work a good match in their sleep. 
And that's pretty much exactly what happened here because everybody was focused on the big main event coming up afterwards. And it was a case where these guys were going, okay, we have 10 minutes. Let's just have some fun out there. And that's precisely what happened. This was a good match. Uh, Probably the second best match on the show by a pretty considerable margin. Three, three and a quarter stars. It's good stuff. We... Uh, are now at the point where uh, Edge and Christian, four-time tag team champs, and they were they them and Angle, you know, in in particular, were were so good at making you hate when they would win these matches like that. Be like, oh, like the the young like me at this point, I'm I'm 14, 13 years old, like you know, in this era, it's like, oh god, really? You know, you're getting sick every time. It was it was great. Like they were such great heels in that sense. It was never go away heat. It was just wanting me to see them get their ass kicked heat. Exactly what you want in wrestling. And that's what Edge and Christian were doing uh, at this point. It was really good stuff as we head backstage. Triple H, he's warming up. Stephanie McMahon's back there with him. And uh I lo- I love this. Triple H is back there with his wife and he says the most important thing in my life is that championship. <laughs> She's just like, look, looks sitting there, like, uh, "Hey, honey, yeah, you know, uh, hello." But but that was great, just to to give you the sense of how important this was to Triple H. This is the point where Triple H is finally starting to feel like he's a main eventer now. You know, they had been tried for what had been you know almost two years to get him to that point. And he now feels like he belongs here. It was a little forced in spots, but he he's he's finding his footing quite a bit as like a main event level heel. He has this the awesome stuff come up with Austin right after this that leads into WrestleMania. And this was uh yeah, that, that was the thing that made me laugh, DZ is uh yeah. I would love to see the look on the our significant other's faces when you when you make a comment like that, huh? The most important thing in the world to me is this title belt. <laughs> my my wife would be like, "There's the door. Go I, ahead. Go ahead. Say, go ahead. Say, yeah, yeah, get ahead. Go ahead. If that's supposed to be, walk on through. Okay. See you later. I, I won't Bye. chase you. I yeah. am chasing you. <laughs> yeah. Leave the key. Bye. <laughs> yeah, that's how that would go. Not very well. Not very well at all. Yeah. So um, uh, that was uh, another one of the uh, the backstage segments that we had. They showed a highlight from No Way Out 2000, and then we uh, got Billy Gunn making his entrance. So he is the IC champ at this time. He faces Chris Benoit. Like I said, this thing goes ten minutes. It honestly is nothing special. And that was, you know, I guess the the talking point we can have coming out of this match and, and moving forward to the final two on the night. Andrew is that. You know, Billy Gunn has Billy Gunn, let's not pretend like he hasn't had an incredible career, right? Amazing career from what he's done. Think about where he was with the smoking guns, you know? That, that was actually a pretty good tag team in the mid-90s in a very down, dead time for the WWE. And then he transitions into uh, you know, the DX for his rockabilly with the with uh, the honky tonk of yeah. For a little bit and then he becomes You know he badass Bad gimmicks man yeah right <laughs> He had a couple bad ones and he, he Goes to the badass he starts to find his footing A little bit but he Never he is A good tag Team wrestler guy In a faction he just never Really ever connected at all On a singles level with me they tried 
Two or three times during this era In the 2000s we joked a little bit About his interactions with The Rock They they had him him and Road Dog Even have some single stuff But for whatever reason No matter how many times JR tells you That he's the most athletic freaking guy In the world It just still didn't connect Yeah um, I blame some of this on his music It's very tough To take someone 100% Seriously when the music is, I'm an ass man. I'm an ass man. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. Can't do it. It's a case where, for what Billy Gunn is, he's fine. There is nothing wrong with being an excellent tag team guy that you can put in a variety of situations and get him over that way. There's not a lot of guys. That could do what Billy Gunn has done, getting over as part of the smoking guns, getting over as part of the New Age Outlaws, getting over as part of Billy and Chuck, mm-hmm. oh, yes. and yeah. still being a guy that AEW can trot out every once in a while yeah. in 2021 and be over with his kids. Um, that's special. Now. Is was he ever going to be a main event singles guy? No, he had a decent look, and JR was right. Heck of an athlete. The thing that a lot of wrestlers will go on record as saying is you don't understand how tall Billy Gunn is until you meet him in person because he'd just spend his entire career getting overshadowed by bigger guys. But apparently he's a legit six three, six four, whatever. Guy can move. Cool. But they would try to do these things with him as a singles guy, and it just didn't work. But you know what? That's okay. He still had and is having a career that's better than 90, 96% of people. I was going to say 95% to 99%. Yeah. There's a lot of people that would have traded spots. It just – it was – that's what's funny is that I don't even – and I, I, you don't want to say like squandered potential or anything like that because the guy had a good career. It just you could sense that for some reason Jr. and Vince had an idea in their head that this guy was going to be a little bit bigger than he was, and that happened with different wrestlers throughout you know throughout time and a bunch of different companies. But uh, they just couldn't find a way to get him to that level. You know? No, and now the one thing I will say here. I don't know if this would have worked, but here's a fun hypothetical. Replace Rikishi with Billy Gunn in the Armageddon uh, six-man match. Replace him in the storyline as the guy that ran over Steve Austin. Doesn't that fit a little better? Yeah. Yeah, I guess so, yeah. Never really thought about it before, but... I never thought about it until just now, but if you're going to push the guy as a singles guy, you do that. And then if you want to say he did it because Triple H paid him, you have that pre-existing link already right there. Mm -hmm. And and he had been established on TV even more as a a D-bag kind of a character, right? Like someone someone that you wouldn't have been shocked to be like, oh, I I paid Billy Gunn to do it. You know, like if Triple H said that, just something along the line could have been like a one-liner. So, yeah, that's not a bad one, Andrew, when we go back in our DeLorean – you can book that one there And uh, maybe things would have changed for Billy Gunn Either way, you know, it just when we watch some of these And you hear the moments where you could tell that they're trying so hard You wonder, but it just 
he didn't honestly he didn't he wasn't the guy that could cut that great of a promo. No, that, that, no, that was what it. And it's and you don't have to be that right because you see someone like like a Finn Balor I look at nowadays and I don't think Finn's gonna go out there and cut a twenty five minute promo but Finn's got a very good connection with the crowd, you know that's right. like a Brett like a Bret Hart thing right Brett had a good connection with the crowd you know Ricky Steamboat had a good if connection. you have Bret Hart on your old wrestling rewatch bingo card mark that one down you knew, you know it's coming <laughs> I've, got, I've, got my ch- I've got like a little alarm set. When every time we start that if we get to like 90 minutes through and Brett hasn't been mentioned I got to do my Brett uh, my Brett ch- attacker there so uh, it's okay I've got a Hogan one I'm sitting on <laughs> as uh, we move along to the Steve Austin interview see I liked this I thought this was Steve and Jr had just had have such a great chemistry together because they were you know friends in real life. They respect the hell out of each other And you can tell they want the best Out of everything they do Austin, you know, you look at the Austin character And the character is funny Because he's he's this I don't give an F Badass, I'm a redneck I'm gonna drink a bunch of beer But Steve Austin Who he who he is and, and how he felt About the Stone Cold Wrestling character Couldn't be more opposite He He took great ownership Over everything he said Everything he did Every time he walked out to that ring, the way he walked, the way he talked, the who he was in the ring with, how they were presented towards him. Hell, he would didn't like it when freaking Jeff Jarrett wasn't running the ropes hard enough. <laughs> that bothered him. So I love when you, you know, sometimes you get a, the way that someone's presented, you think like, I think about it in baseball right now. We're seeing baseball and there are some guys that you look at and you think of them as kind of like a jock. Yeah, they're, you know, they're not smart or this, but then you hear them talk. It's like, wow, that guy is very cerebral. You don't make it to the big leagues really, or you don't get to the point if you're like, if you're stupid and you don't get it, very few do. Austin always got it. I like this interview. He's talking about how, you know, he's, he's a little bit scared. And that this is going to be flat out brutality, and he just wants to get the damn match started. That was great. Like my, the, I just want to get that damn match started, man. Let's get out there. Let's get this goddamn thing started, and we'll get underway, and then I'm gonna be fine. But I'm thinking about it so much right now, dad. Damn it, I'll make myself sick. Like that was just, you know, great, great Austin here setting himself up to win the WWE Championship. Um, he wants to whip some ass, and that's all he's got to say about that. Short. Sweet wasn't six seven minutes like the Undertakers or Vince's, but this one got as much across and had as much purpose as any of them. DZ, yeah, even more so. You know, the, I think the way that it that it, the setting of it, I think Jr. lends more credence to it. The fact that he's the guy that's opposite him. Once you put Jr. in, in a spot like that, you know, asking the questions, um, you know, Austin, the way he delivers. Um, the seriousness on his face, the way he's talking about it, you kind of pay attention. You know, here's a guy that takes no prisoners and uh, a guy that seems unfazed by just about anything, but he's talking about this particular particular stipulation and this particular match comes off a little bit differently. He sells it very well. Uh, this interview probably does the job, Andrew, I would say, more than any of the others on the night. Steve Austin cutting a good promo. Let me show you my big shocked face. Yeah. Um, everything Austin did in character is just, it's remarkable stuff. Even down to the story of how he got the character. His uh, then wife at the time, Jeannie, yep. was making tea and Austin was floundering. He was the ringmaster. It wasn't working. 
everyone knew it wasn't working and everyone was going, this guy is a tremendous talent. What are we going to do with him? And Jeannie goes, honey, you're going to need to drink your tea. You don't want it to become stone cold. And immediately the light bulb goes on. And when any creative type gets the light bulb to go on, Katie bar the door. It's a great out of the way. Yep. It was great. It's, I remember that you you've heard that that line when he when he says it, you know, and he mentions it, and she goes, "Your your your coffee's gonna get stone cold." And he goes, "What?" He kind of looks over. And he said, "That's that's it. That's the one." And and it worked. And a combination of things. You got the the line. You got the timing with the the curtain call incident where you know Triple H was set to be the king of the ring, and they end up giving it to Austin instead, and that m- ends up being one of the things that kind of lights a fire under him. And, and then gets some every- guy from Canada comes back and gets him over. Yeah, it's perfect. And yeah, exactly. Brett Brett and him have that awesome back and forth, and then he gets hurt, which ends up being one of the weirdest blessing in disguise of all time because Austin gets himself over. More than anyone from the post 97 SummerSlam till like early 98 when he's just cutting these crazy promos when Vince is trying not to let him wrestle. This was, uh, yeah, the if you want to say the biggest star in the history of wrestling for this little time period, you're not wrong. He was as hot as anyone from mid 97 through you know, 2002, I guess, when it was all said and done. But this period right here when he came back. He was just over like crazy As we get to the women's championship match And yeah, we talk about My how things have changed We Unfortunately people complained a little bit Because there was a Queen's a Queen of the Ring tournament recently Where a lot of the matches went shorter But when we have women's main event Title feuds and title matches nowadays We're talking 20 25 minute main events To where like right now Sasha Charlotte, Becky, Bianca are as as big of stars as anybody in the company other than Roman, and maybe even like like on that same level with with how they're presented inside and outside of the company, inside the ring, how good they are, how good out. In the last couple of months, those women have been closing how many shows, huge parts of everything, and it just is it's crazy to compare when you've got this women's match. Which is Ivory versus Molly Holly versus Trish Which is, you know, Trish is going to get a lot better In the coming years from here She's going to improve quite a bit From where she is at this point But you've got Lita and Shida Who were the two most over and more talented women At the point, you know, here And they're not in the women's title stuff at all They're in their other feuds That's what made this stuff hard Because you, you look around and you watch this show And it's like, oh yeah, there are some incredibly talented women on the show and and Molly Holly's great And Trish ends up being very good And Ivory, you know, given the time And an actual match is fine But they weren't ever presented Like serious characters They weren't given any time whatsoever In here, DZ, this thing goes Two minutes and twelve seconds It's just, it's it's hard to grade Or even, you know, like Gauge in that sense How, how much of a star rating can you give a two minute match Where there's like a really quick Ending that JR even says this is a short, abrupt ending to this matchup. Uh, Ivory throws Molly hits a running power bomb that looked good. Like Molly is very good. She has a, a school now where she trains wrestlers. She's excellent. She's always been one of the more underrated women in the ring. And cool move from her. Then yeah. Ivory throws her out, and 
Ivory covers Trish for the win The only other problem I had with that too is There are like three matches On the card tonight that have almost the identical finish Yeah Like the Edge and Christian match So the tag team championship match The women's championship match And the main event match Where you have heels all do the same kind of thing Where they slide in And sort of just steal the victory Yeah, yeah, that's true Um, Yeah, but I mean you know, with this match in particular, there's really not a whole lot you could say. You mentioned the one serious move that they do. The, the thing that I took away from this was you get a you get a, a big pop when the APA comes out. <laughs> right? You know, yeah. That was like, like, like the crowd was kind of like just shot. And then all of a sudden APA show up and the place went nuts. Um, they did. I forget. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that was kind of like, you know, that was kind of it. I mean, that's really what I took away from it. You, there was the one move, the finish. I mean, Andrew, I don't really have a whole lot to comment. The match is just kind of there. Yep, uh, exactly. It's start, finish, and it's a good thing that we've evolved in our perception of women's wrestling because, my goodness, can you imagine if workers like Charlotte, workers like Sasha, workers like Becky only got two minutes a night? Oh, dear. No, they it's it's great where we are now and this was a bummer and the one thing that i do you know when we watch some of these shows and pay-per-views that's one of the reasons why i kind of like the main event match in this show because coming out of it the next couple months were really good you still had all a lot of these guys feuding with each other you had the austin and um you know and and triple h stuff and then that this ends up leading to the rock and austin again having this awesome match at wrestlemania down the line the rock and angle have a couple more so i loved Moving forward, this match and everything happening from the main event was cool. I like looking at some of these matches and seeing someone like Trish because Trish is a. There are few people that have done what Trish did, honestly. Trish was someone who could have been completely content with what she was being a gorgeous woman who was like a valet that was going to be used in major. Major storylines and segments on the show But that she wanted to do a little bit more than that She thought you know what Let's train Let's become Let's do the best that we can in ring So that way there there are just other options right There are other ways that they can Put me on the show if they want And so she As she got better and better and better They gave her a little bit more and more time in the ring And she did absolutely Her and Lita were the early fingerprints of the women's evolution and, and what we lead to today You wonder if someone like a Trish Didn't take it so seriously herself And go and show them Hey look, I can do this I can be the good looking woman That everyone wants to look at But I can also get better in the ring You, you almost wonder like that was, that was a really big deal For women And I think for how Vince And how this company was going to portray the women's wrestlers moving forward So she's always going to be On that like Mount Rushmore of women Because of I think what she did And man when you look at Trish nowadays She showed off she likes to show off She showed off her abs did you see that picture Last week yeah, yeah. She show, She's showing off her six pack it's like Oh she is gorgeous Just absolutely gorgeous so Shout out to Trish who has come a long way In the uh, the 21 years From this match that we were watching she uh, also just got named one of the judges on Canada's Got Talent, apparently. Nice. Cool. Shout out to uh, to Trish there. She's doing just fine. 
as uh, yeah, Brian Garrett... Boitano, one of the judges too. <laughs> what would Brian Boitano do if he was here right now? My mind went to exactly the same <laughs> right? spot. Uh, <laughs> I bet he you can't ask her too. That's what, that's what Brian Boitano do. <laughs> I mean, to be honest with you, at this point, if somebody said, "Hey, Darren, can you name somebody from Canada?" Brian Boitano is the first name that comes. To mind. <laughs> Not Wayne Gretzky. You no, know, it's literally Justin Brian Boitano. Trudeau. Now, oh, the Canadian God. government has apologized for Brian Adams on several accounts, folks. So, you know. <laughs> Blame Canada. Blame Canada. <laughs> Seems like everything's gone wrong since Canada came along. So, All coming right, soon on That's What He Said, tracks. we've got the South Park the movie deep dive uh, recap. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have some I would fun. totally do that. We oh, I know. We would, we would have a tangent on those songs. That Just would be... the Kyle's mom song alone. Oh, my God. <laughs> so, much, so much fun. As um, yeah, te- uh, so after the match, Test and Albert come out and they try to you know, bully Molly and uh, Crash Holly shows up. He's gonna try to take them on two on one, and so he's ready. The crowd loves it. Crash was great. Like Crash was had a really cool role on the show too, and uh, on on the uh, the roster. And then as Darren mentioned, huge huge pop for the APA. Bradshaw and Farouk they come back. They had been out. From uh, injury for a little while Big clothesline from hell And uh, the APA celebrates And the fans go nuts And uh, JR said They just want to whoop somebody's ass Which <laughs> just kind of made me laugh As uh, we get another replay Of King of the Ring 98 Undertaker throwing mankind uh, off the cell And through the announce table And then The Rock And the with a great Backstage promo And this wasn't like one of those Kind of goofy rock epic promos where he goes on for ten minutes. This was a, a pretty tight one with a couple minutes, but it was so energetic and a little bit more intense than than goofy. You know, he he uh, Kelly's with the Rock. Rock does the finally mentions Birmingham. He says if he has to bleed from every pore in his body to become WWE champion, he'll do it. He doesn't know whose career will end or who will be made famous, but he's going to sweat, bleed, and he'll whoop all their candy asses. He's going to walk straight into hell and walk out as the WWE champion if you smell what The Rock is cooking. This is like um, early actor rock, you know, like trying to show off some of his range here. Like some of the things he's learning in acting classes or uh, on set at movies because it's not quite as showy. As some of the Rock's greater promos and or more well-known ones, but this was as like you would expect. This was very good. It reminded me of the Austin one from earlier in that it was tight, but it was impactful, and it was going to show you that the Rock is, you know, he's serious tonight. This is again, this is a serious situation with this cell. This couldn't. This could be a night where the Rock's career could end. Any one of them. In fact, I think the Rock is the only one of the six whose ass didn't get up on that cell in a few minutes. Uh, all of them end up climbing that cell. But that I wonder, mug. I wonder that, why that is. I've, that mug has got a lot of uh, future yep. movies to be made. You know, there's a lot of money to be made there with that Rock. And so, um, yeah, DZ again with, you know, you give a guy like the Rock, a guy like Austin. Three minutes, four minutes Where they have so much They could talk about, Austin's just coming back From an injury, The Rock's coming out of these Title matches, he got screwed He has blood feuds with Every one of these guys, even Rikishi, he's got the kind of like the most to talk About too, so you know this is Going to be really easy for The Rock and just Going to be able to knock it out of the park Here, and yeah, this is another one where 
really good stuff. Uh, the Rock and Austin of all the setup promos and everything to me felt the most impactful. Yeah, and I think that the way that they structured the uh, the order in which they do these promos was spot on. You know, Austin and Rock being the last two, I think made mm-hmm. the most sense. Yep. You know that they're going to cut the two best promos. They give you some serious tone to it. Even Triple H's promo, I thought was pretty good. I thought it kind of ramped up into these last two. I agree. You know, yeah, yeah you get you get what you expect from The Rock here. He sells everything very well. Um, you know, and and you know, going into these, one thing with these matches going in, it seems to me that when you have these kinds of crazy stipulations and five six guys in a match, maybe with the exception of like ladder intercontinental title ladder matches at WrestleMania. For the most part, I feel in matches like this, the, the champion always finds a way to win. Always, and, right? Always, always. right? <laughs> and, and you're, you know, like, you know, going into this, you're trying to find a way that he's not going to. And you're listening to these promos. And you're thinking maybe they're going to do something. But, you know, all the while in the back of your head, you're going, well, six guys, cage, all hell breaks loose. Something goofy They all kind of cancel each and, other yeah, out a little, exactly. you know. Exactly. And sure enough, you know, foreshadowing. There you go. Well, and if I may add to that, you get promos that are ascending a little bit and you get the crowd being whipped into a frenzy by Austin and The Rock. You also get the sense of, oh, one of them is totally walking out with the title. And that is what makes the finish of this match work as well as it does. Yeah, no, you're that's a that's a great point. That's a great point. Everybody, and it's not like where you come into a match either, where you have, you know, at the end of the Royal Rumble or whatever, there's one guy or gal that everybody wants to win. Here, everybody was completely content with two. You know, like anybody would have been fine with The Rock or Austin, you know, and where that would have gone. And then when it was the two of them and it looked like it was going to be one of them, and then here comes Kurt Angle just to ruin it. So, uh, yeah, really well done. Um, We talked about some of the things. You know, throughout that that I didn't love here, and that's what you see in some of the the video package to set this up. You know, all the the Vince stuff. Like, come on, we've got these six guys in this match. They could play into the seriousness of it, but just you just don't need the Vince not able to to you know have the power to shut this match down. Like Darren said, have him be aligned with someone. Have him be against someone. Austin came back from injury. I thought I was I thought I got rid of him, Rikishi. I thought you hit him with the car. I thought we did this. Now we're going to put him in this cell and make sure he can't walk anymore. Something, anything. Anything that makes a little more sense than Vince can't get the match stopped. That's my only problem with this whole thing. That's what to me makes this not a match of the year contender and more in the like Four to four and a half versus the four and a half to five. And I'm kind of probably in the, they're like a TLC match, and there are, you know, a couple money in the bank matches maybe here and there. But for me, I'm, I like a, like a real five star match to be like a good one on one kind of feud, you know, a good, like real, real wrestling match. That, that's to me what personally will kind of take it to the next level. This thing is great though. I mean, this really is. And, it would be just brutally impossible to try to go through everything, which uh, you know I'll, I'll hit on a lot of the stuff throughout. But this match goes you know, thirty plus minutes, thirty two, thirty three minutes, and you get 
Everybody making their entrances Now DZ I thought the entrances were interesting too Right just Kurt based Angle's on the fact out third. That he's third it, Not yeah, first or last yep. now, If you're going to be not last That's fine then have him come out first yeah. As you know he's defending his title And then all these here are all the guys coming out That he has to defend it against but Third was just such a weird placement Right very much so I, I don't get that uh, I always listen. I always think the champ should come out last, no matter what. Always, that's just me. Hundred percent. Defending but, champ is last. Yeah, but sticking him in the middle, especially when you know he's gonna win, <laughs> even makes less sense. I know. You know? Yeah. <laughs> well, again, I think it goes to how they're trying to set this up. They want this to be a surprise. People see Kurt Angle coming out third, and even though he's the champ, he's an afterthought. Yeah, you're right. That's that's the the. The angle they were the angle they were trying to play. Hey, we <laughs> see what hey. you did there. Ha, ha, yeah. ha, ha, ha. Uh, we are all set. So Kurt had just won the title um a couple months earlier from The Rock. He, um Kurt Kurt Triple H Rikishi are heels. The Rock, Austin are baby faces. Undertaker is pretty much a baby face. He's like a tweener, you know, he's not like white meat baby face or anything, but he's more on the, the good guy. Side I guess than the bad guy side But he's more he's in this I'm gonna make you famous I'll, I'll, He's as, as much Of a good guy as you could be by pushing People off cages you know I guess we <laughs> I guess we can say that As um right off the bat They get started and everybody kind of pairs Off we've got Undertaker and Kurt going at it Austin and Triple H Rock and Rikishi And the intensity th- From the beginning Awesome quick These guys work at a pace Non-stop and is what is the case when you have a big match like this with you know four, five, six different people? There's always going to be at least one cool sequence happening in the ring or somewhere. And with the even numbers, most times there are just literally pairs of two all over the place. We got Rock and Rikishi going at it. Early on, Triple H is just getting Rung up into the cage Like they're just grinding Triple H's Face against the cage Austin sending Him face first in there we get the Austin Fez press um, And uh, Austin And Angles choking Rock In the ring Hunter and Triple H are going at it For a while Austin Very early on just a shit When, they, when he's working on his, his leg Samoan drop here Big elbow elbow from an angle And then Undertaker pulls him out of the ring And we get uh, Rikishi uh, sliding into the cage off of a drop kick, and now we're into the steel steps. Stone Cold keeps grinding Triple H's face against the cage. Now uh, we get to The Rock hitting a DDT on Triple H for two. Kurt Angle with the save. Then this sequence I thought was awesome. You get everybody getting their their finishers in. Rock DDT Angle save. Angle hits the Olympic Slam on Rock for two. Then. Stone Cold makes the save He comes in and he hits a stunner on Angle Undertaker breaks it up Then Undertaker hits the choke slam for two He and Triple uh, um, Triple H breaks that up So it was You know the we, we know these now DZ Because we've seen matches like this for 20 years But at this point We hadn't this, There weren't like Five, six years of these kind of matches This was still a pretty relatively new Like the triple threats and fatal four ways and stuff Weren't that That was like an ECW thing That kind of caught on with other companies And then they they went with it So nowadays we know that in 
in an elimination chamber match or in a spot in a match, you're going to get a spot like this where everybody kind of trades their finishers. But at this point, and even watching it back now with how big, how much of a big deal these finishers are and these wrestlers are, that's a it was a really cool sequence. It was, and and this is one of those uh, trend setting type moments. This is one of those, you know, uh, establish a uh, a series of moves that is going to be used for the next two decades in similar circumstances. Um, so it's interesting to look at it, you know, from that standpoint, but yeah, I mean, you know, everybody getting their work in, you, you got six guys, so you know, you're kind of going to get paired off here. They're doing their best to not have anybody kind of get left out in the cold, uh, which is really difficult given some of the star quality that's obviously in this match. Uh, you know, Rikishi obviously being the guy whose name is not up at the same level as everybody else. But they're all getting their work in. It's off to a good start. Uh, and then things are going to start to get a little bit of wonkiness involved once uh, the boss shows up. Wonkiness involved in an Attitude Era main event? <laughs> Perish the thought, Darren. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, here comes Vince, Pat, and Jared, uh, Gerald Briscoe. They, they come out on a construction truck that's got a bunch of hay in the back. They drive this thing right up to the side of the the cell, and then Vince locks lock like hooks uh hooks it up to the door, and they pull the door off the cell. Vince is like, oh, "Come on, I'm gonna pull this whole thing down. Come on, we're just gonna take it down." And he's just trying to pull the cell, which is so to reiterate work. to reiterate, the owner of a billion dollar company is trying to sabotage his own main event. Yep. The cell that I'm sure he had to pay to have built, and the the funniest thing about this this that I laughed is, it wasn't like Vince was at the, okay, so if Vince is at the top of the arena, and he's and he just has the cell pulled up, that would at least make sense. Yeah, because at least the cell is gone. These guys can have their match, but the cell would raise. He's trying to pull it from the side. The cell is gonna is not gonna work. It's around the ring. Like just from a pure logistic standpoint, he hooked it, and if they back the car up and try to tow it away, the ring's not gonna fit down the entrance way, the aisle way. It's like this wouldn't make any sense. It doesn't work at all, Vince. No. One no. of this is one of the problems that I have with the match. And that's what it and that's like it's not a five for me or a four and a five, and it's closer to the four, four and a quarter because of Okay, we want to have a big spot, and I'm the spot is great, like we said, like awesome to Rikishi. There's a, it's a memorable spot, yep. but they had to have a reason to get this truck out there, you know, just in order to have that to be the to you know for the spot, and that's that's where it gets a little bit convoluted, and you know, Vince, uh, here comes uh, Mick Foley uh, to get in Vince's face. Um, Foley's punching Patterson and Briscoe. Vince is trying to attack with the cane. Then here come the cops. You know, the the cops arresting Vince. Yeah. Uh, so that's just in in a match where somebody's hurt, you know, and it's like it's late and you need to overbook something to take attention away from from the in what's going on in ring. Austin's hurt. He's in this main event. We don't know what to do. Let's find a way to take some of the focus off of him for a few minutes so he doesn't have to do like uh, then I'm fine with all this stuff. But like we said, you've got five of the all-time greatest wrestlers in the history of wrestling. 
and and a very very good worker in Rikishi. You've got six people in the ring that you really trust. You trust them to do pushing each other off the cell spots, but you feel the need to go just a little too far with with the extra Vince involvement in this. It just Little too much we get back to the match The cage door is off So then they start leaving the the ring Hunter leaves Stone Cold Follows him running clothesline There's a there's a moment where um, They're standing by the entranceway by Those old cars and right where Jericho And Kane were in, in, in their last man Standing finish and Austin gets the Boom camera and uses it to Nail Triple H as a Three guys who have been in television production I thought we all probably got a kick out of that one Just nailing <laughs> nailing him with the camera Right there um, and, and they're just all brawling out there The Rock, Rikishi, Undertaker um, So at this point We've got Austin, Triple H And The Rock all bleeding In about two minutes The Undertaker is going to be bleeding And then in, in like two more minutes Kurt Angle is going to be bleeding So Five of the six guys in this match are busted open by the end of it, and the only one who isn't takes the biggest bump of all, Rikishi. So everybody's got their working boots strapped on here, no doubt about it. Uh, Triple H and Rock are battling on the roof of the car. Um, Austin's head gets thrown through uh, one of the windows. Triple H with the pedigree on top of a car, um, you know, and and you know the Rock. Like somebody had mentioned in one of the recaps I was doing, the Rock. Doesn't do a lot of blade jobs You know there aren't many times where you see The Rock completely busted open There are a few and he bleeds pretty bad When he has but this wasn't like a regular Occurrence for him throughout And wasn't really a regular occurrence To have five guys out of Six in a match all just Busted open but It did like normally the the Too much blood I can go eh, But it did make This match feel like oh wow Everybody in here is just torn up We have no idea what's going on Austin grabs one of these barrels And basically tries to murder Triple H But he gets he gets out of the way um, Undertaker and Angle are going at it Rock and Rikishi are going at it And now Triple H climbs the Hell in a Cell As um, Undertaker throws Angle into the crowd Austin starts climbing up also And uh, Triple H gets to the top Kind of looking around he doesn't see where Austin is Austin comes up the other side So the two of them are on top of the cage uh, On top of the cell they're going at it And then Angle Starts climbing up the cage Undertaker climbs up so now We've got all four we've got four of the Six that are up there uh, Stunner on Triple H on top of, On top of the cell uh, at this point, when there are four people up there, the crowd is going nuts, and Jr. is too. Oh my God! There's four of them up. The Jr. is just going absolutely ballistic. Triple H tries to climb down. Um, he actually is able to do so. Austin sort of follows after him. So now Rikishi and Rock look like they're going to start to climb up, but the Rock never does. Uh, Rikishi ends up climbing up. There's a funny, funny moment. Where the Undertaker standing on the cell And he's trying to get the timekeeper To throw him a chair On the top of the cell And the, the timekeeper keeps trying to throw this thing up And it's not It, it doesn't go you know. And he's like trying to throw a ball over the fence To your friend It just misses It misses again And you gotta keep throwing it up It's the uh, opening montage of heavyweights yes. Right yeah exactly And um, th- this, was, this was really funny I love the fact that they even re- Like Undertaker 
is standing down on the cell, like pointing down, and J- JR's like, Undertaker's over here threatening the timekeeper. Oh my God, he's threatening him. He's yeah. telling him if he doesn't throw him a chair, he's going to go out. Just, there's so much chaos. The energy is what I loved about this match. It's just literally what they were wanting from it, like a demolition derby. There's so much happening. Um, we get uh, at this point, Undertaker hits Angle hard with the chair shot up top. Now Rikishi's up on the cell. He's got the chair going after the Undertaker. He hits Kurt Angle in the head with the chair. Now he's choking Undertaker. Uh, Rikishi's choking Undertaker. Rock is the only one that never ends up getting on top of the cell. And Kurt Angle's able to kind of ru- like squirm away and run down. So now it's just Rikishi and Undertaker up there. They get close to the side of the cell, and Undertaker. Choke slam pushes Rikishi backwards Rikishi falls huge bump Right onto the bed of that truck That they had uh, driven right out Into the aisle way into the entrance way And uh, like Darren mentioned Earlier I mean that bump Gets made fun of sometimes because Yeah maybe there's a mattress or maybe there's a A nice crash pad for him to fall onto That's one of those don't try This at home that's a small window with a big, big man that's been out there already at this point for 25 plus minutes. One slip, one little bit of sweat where you're just, you don't get your footing or you don't get this and you're in trouble. This dude hit it. And, you know, it is like, this is the biggest moment of Rikishi's career. Can I, can I also say the other part of that bump that gets no credit because people like to make fun of it. You see a lot of crazy bumps. From a lot of different scenarios and a lot of different things. The thing that nobody brings up about this bump because he lands on a mattress or whatever it is. It's one thing to take a bump when you get thrown off something. It's another thing to take a bump where you fall completely backwards and you can't see where you're going. That is a very yes, weird. Scary. Feeling. It's a trust fall. It right? is. Yep. And, and you know, I mean, if you've ever done like group stuff with friends where they do this this trust exercise where you literally have like your friends behind you and you just you just fall backwards from a standing position to have them you know catch you and it's about trusting the people behind you okay you know doing that where you're the worst thing that could happen is you're going to land on the floor you know from a standing position is one thing and even then it's hard for you not to take that step and stop yourself from falling Try doing it 30 feet in the air coming off a cage where you have to land on a in a, through a window that you can't see. It's not easy. I know. I get it. You know, he, he lands on a mattress. If he misses and catches the side of that, that truck that seems to have metal poles on the side of it or some kind of poles, that's a disaster. And, you know, people like to make fun of it, but that's that's not an easy bump to take by any stretch. Not at all whatsoever. And uh Credit to Rikishi for taking that bump. Uh, a lot is made of his 2000 run and how he was put in an absolutely horrible position based on the need for somebody to be the guy that ran over Steve Austin. But you can't say he didn't bring it in this match because nope. he did. He's never been a joke in the ring either, right? He was no. He was always very capable, very competent all the way from his head shrinker days. Big um, guy that could move. Everybody, everybody drink. drink. Club, 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 club. There's a place for a guy like Rikishi in every company around the world, everywhere. This guy is like a mid Carter to uh, a higher mid Carter. He's someone who um, had runs. Like, he was a good, like, IC level was fine for him. You know, he was a good, like, IC kind of 
contender against a, a, a an up and coming heel to you have Rikishi as sort of like a, a boss they have to get by. You know that was a good level for him here, and uh, this was the biggest moment of his career, no doubt about it. And yeah. uh, shout out to him because you you know it like we said it eh, okay one of these things is not like the other. You're a hundred percent right. We are, and we've joked about it, but he he pulled his weight here. It wasn't he he didn't feel like a like uh. He was a he stood out like a store thumb here for what he did in the ring. It was just Rikishi isn't as big of a star as the other guys here. As we look back at the ring and we've got Austin and Rock with this showdown, and the crowd is just going ballistic as these guys go at it. Which kind of as Andrew had said, they were building it to the point where now it looks like, uh oh, everyone's down. Are we gonna get Rock Austin? Is it one of these guys? One of these guys is winning it, right? So they're going at it. Austin goes for the stunner. Rock kind of counters. Uh, he gets a spine buster, and Undertaker's still up on top of the cage. Rock sets up for the people's elbow, but here comes Triple H with a forearm to knock him down. And uh, Angle comes back in, and Rock hits him with a rock bottom just for two. Austin with punches. So it's basically these four now in the ring because Undertaker's on top, and Rikishi's out of the picture now in the back of the truck. Is uh, Austin and Rock are going at it Austin jumps in to stop a count here Then uh, Austin with a, a stunner on the Rock And Rock does one of those epic Stone Cold stunner cells Where he falls over and flips And his like feet are hanging off the ropes Just so over the top Shawn Michaels selling uh, Hulk Hogan at SummerSlam stuff We and, got uh, the Hogan reference in Drink, drink, drink <laughs> 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 And we finish up this match as it looks like Austin's going to get the win. He's crawling over to pin the rock, but here comes Triple H. Triple H hits a neck breaker on Austin. And while Triple H is focused on Stone Cold, Kurt Angle just crawls over. You you completely forget that he's even in the ring. He just crawls over. And I don't know anybody that does the just drape their arm over for the pin better or the like. Two and nine tenths I'm going to shoot my arm up When I'm being pinned than Kurt There are a couple things that Kurt does That have nothing to do with like Olympic wrestling or anything This is like sports entertainment stuff That's why he was so incredible The way that he just kind of Flopped his arm over the rock For the pin It was like he has no energy whatsoever And that's the only thing he can do Is just kind of weaselly Just crawl over and just flop it You know it's was what really well done for for a lot of the the Vince stuff that I didn't like about this. Um, almost everything in the ring was great. I have it at four and a quarter. If you wanted it to be a little higher or a little lower, I completely understand. Um, and this is one match that I really like. DZ, it's a it's just a lot of fun. You'd imagine with these guys, and if you you're gonna go back and watch this show. There's probably a lot of things throughout it that you could kind of fast forward and skip around, but I would definitely recommend um, watching that uh, that tag match. That's a, a fun ten, and you could throw this thing on. And for 45 minutes, like those are pretty. Those are two pretty entertaining matches on this show. And this is a good. This is a good main event. Like you could stack this up there with a lot of main events through a lot of different years at a lot of shows. This was a WrestleMania level main event. You know yeah, uh, that yeah. they end up throwing on on a December pay per view. Yeah, it, it is. It's a very good match. Highly enjoyable. Um, my one gripe with it, other than the Vince McMahon thing, it's a Hell in a Cell match. 
Why am I getting 12 minutes outside in a in a glorified parking lot? I know. That's they, that's my one yep. gripe. And and maybe you could say I'm nitpicking, but if the if the the feature of this match and if the the whole crux of this and the core of this match is the the intimidation and the sheer terror and horror of the cell. Why is getting out of the cell and into this fake, you know, stockpile junkyard of cars part of hell in a cell? I, I, I understand that people get thrown off the cell, thrown through the cell, stuff like that. That's fine because the cell's a part of it. The Part of the fear is getting thrown off the cell, getting thrown into the cell, getting thrown through the cell. It's all about the cell. Why why are we making the part where they're beating the hell out of each other the, the part of the match where they're not even around the cell? That to I me know. that made no sense. And we had already been in that area earlier too, too, right? It wasn't like it wasn't it was you know, you want to explore sometimes some of the areas throughout, but Jericho and Kane had been all over there earlier, fighting on top of the cars, fighting on top of the the barrels and all that stuff. It, like you said, it just there they tried to do a little bit too much with the match And that's yeah. my only concern Like that's my only gripe That And that's what I think stopped it From maybe even being a five star match and, and I think the reason Andrew Is because I think A little bit they booked themselves Into a corner with six guys in the ring And they said okay Six guys in a cell How much can you possibly do With six guys How, how can you keep six guys In, in a cell Invested for 30 minutes You gotta do other stuff And I think that's what led to the other stuff Yeah that's pretty much exactly right Uh, Darren this should scare you Because when we agree it's usually a sign Of the apocalypse but Uh I've got this about four and a quarter or so For a lot of the same reasons This is a one match show The one match absolutely delivers And it's a lot of fun You get five of the biggest names In WWF history And you get the guy that they were trying to push in the main event level, and it just didn't work out. And you get those guys busting their butts and doing what they can with just a little bit too much in the way of silliness for me. I mean, the stuff with Vince was one thing. I agree with you. The outside of the ring stuff in a cage match sort of defeats the purpose. I know they're going to be doing some stuff, and that's fine, but... At the same time, it was a little bit too much for me. When you've got six guys, some of the action's going to spill out, I suppose. And they did do a really good job of making this feel like a big deal. And I've said that a couple of times. It absolutely delivered. If you haven't seen this match, it is well worth your time. It's just not perfect. And I wouldn't expect it to be if you're diving in for the first time. So that was... WWF at the time Now WWE Armageddon 2000 Yeah it's fun go go check it out Especially that main event match and uh, if you're looking For another match or two on the show to, to check out Throw on the uh, the tag That's a lot of fun and uh, you can you can Kind of get through a couple of the, uh, the highlights On this show in about 45 minutes Darren I do It's funny because this is a time period that gets talked about so often and, and with such a, re- a reverence Right the attitude era the attitude era And I love Watching it back for multiple oh, shows in this couple of years for multiple reasons. One, because a lot of the in ring work, you know, most of the matches aren't very good or anything to write home about. You'll generally have good main events, and then a lot of the undercard stuff is just kind of there. But the crowds, the crowds are what made this time period 
Everybody on the show is over For one reason or the next Bottom of the card all the way up And the crowd is is able to make shows I think we, we just saw this with you know, you we're all recording this on October the 26th So this is just a few days out from a show that happened at WWE Saudi Arabia last week And when we compare some of the first couple of Crown Jewel shows Where you could see people in the audience that were actually part of the royal family And, and like political figures and, and then in this show, there were families There were people that were wrestling fans They were wearing wrestling t-shirts They were doing wrestling chants Like American wrestling chants It was such a different show Such a different feel because of the crowd That's what's so great about the the Attitude Era Is going back and seeing the passion That all these people had for wrestling How crazy people were in every arena The signs all over the place The responses for the mid-carters All the way through That I, I still get a, a real kick out of you know, seeing how big a deal wrestling was at this time period. Yeah, huge. Yeah. Um, you know, it was the, the things that they did were edgy. Uh, they did more than push the envelope quite a few times. They crossed lines. They crossed boundaries. Uh, they crossed lines that you can't cross any longer in 2021. Um, wrestling has certainly uh, changed and transformed. Uh, and for most parts in, in a very good way. But when you go back and you watch a show like this, you do miss some of the elements of what that era brought, especially in a main event situation where you had these just gigantic stars all in the ring at one time. And that's not to say that, you know, similar things can't happen now. I mean, you could certainly have, you know, Brock Lesnar versus Roman Reigns versus Seth Rollins. I mean, you know, you you could you could put gigantic stars in the ring, but it's one thing to put gigantic stars in a ring. It's another thing to have Steve Austin, The Rock, Triple H, yeah. Undertaker. I mean, you're talking about, you know, I just named four guys that some people would say are the top four in WWE history. You know, it's it just, you know, it's that. And, and that's, and I'm, you know, you're not even getting to Kurt Angle, Angle in that conversation. So, mm-hmm. you know, you just, as good as wrestling can be, and my hat's off to, um, WWE for the most part I thought they put forth a very good show with Crown Jewel I thought it was by far Out of all of the pay-per-views that they've done Between Saudi and Arabia and Australia By far the best one that they've done um, But You look back at this main event And who's in it and what's going on WWE is going to have a really Hard time recreating That kind of moment, that kind of atmosphere In there modern are, day wrestling There are only a few matches that Throughout history that have this kind of star power, honestly, like this only, much, this only many people. people. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, there's one match that I, I that I love I love personally. It's a big favorite of mine, and because it was something that was very unique, and they never did another one of them that I can think of was that final four match in 1997. That once, um, when Sean, oh yeah, yeah, you know, right Brett after Arden, the Royal uh, Rumble, yeah, yeah. it was Brett, Austin, Undertaker, and Vader. Yeah, and it was the four of them. They did it at the pay-per-view following the Rumble Because of the, the the finish to the 97 Royal Rumble And how Austin got eliminated Then he came back and he threw Brett out So they had the final four guys all have a match And in that match, it was a four It was a fatal four-way elimination match Where you could also be thrown over the top rope So you could be eliminated by pinfall submission Or thrown over the top Which was just kind of bizarre And the match was great It's at no, 97 before WrestleMania, and 
It is it just unique And it's one of those where it's like wow you got Brett, Austin, and Taker And you know Vader is another one who's You know on that so that those are Like just anytime you get a grouping Of guys like this or gals That are so good in the ring So such big stars There's there's that extra Feel to it and that's that's what I got From uh from this one Andrew As uh I'm a little nervous because I know Andrew's Got the next pick for our uh, our next Show um, as uh, we transition over there Give us some final thoughts on this show Andrew and uh, let us know where we're heading next So I'm going to piggyback off of something Darren said with regard to the atmosphere All you have to do In order to see the atmosphere At a WWF show During the Attitude Era Just watch the first minute The shots around the arena All of the signs That's how The roster used to know what was getting over, who was getting over, and that's how a lot of the booking team made a lot of their decisions. Look around an arena now, and you see more signs getting taken away than you see on WWE television. It's Mm -hmm. sad. It's a different time. It's a different era. There are reasons for that. But at the same time, you can't say that the atmosphere didn't lose anything when that happened. Because it absolutely did. You can't tell fans what signs to make and not make. They show up and they tell you what they like. And that used to be an asset. Now it's seen as a hindrance. And I can't spin that as a good thing, no matter how much anybody would want to. Nope. Nope. So uh, we are recording this, like I said, on uh, October the 26th. Most of you will probably hear this um, a few days after that. And then next week, when the week from when we record, I will probably be having Andrew and Darren talk about Breeders' Cup races with not me, the so. Philly and Mare Sprint. Not tonight. Don't worry. I won't. I won't. <laughs> assign- Thank actually, you. Actually, I think, <laughs> I think what I'll do with the two of you is I will have you guys each kind of be my like my uh, my finishers, and we'll give we'll give out two or three just best bets throughout the day. Oh, good, so that okay. way each of you guys can go through like Friday card, Saturday card, pick out your two or three best. And we'll just talk those out and one share those instead of going one particular race. I'll have other people do individual races. You guys can share your uh, your best plays throughout the day, and we'll uh, we'll bounce around and uh, and talk those out so we can really uh, we can really uh, share some of your uh, your best opinions on uh, on those days. So we will have our next old wrestling rewatch uh, coming up just the the week after that. And now as uh, October is like the busiest. Time of the year when it comes to sports Like everything is happening Things will start to slow down a little bit And we'll uh, we'll get back into our groove And where are we going to be heading when we do that, Andrew? Well, you oh, know, no. here we go oh, We have successfully <laughs> dodged Andrew Champagne Picking a wrestling show For my goodness, what, a month, six weeks now? Uh as Gino has been in Dodger land, we, we tried. Dodger blue. We tried, DZ. Uh, we did our yeah. best, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, all right. We're going to do something completely different. Oh, God. We are going off the WWE network for this one. Now. Is that, is that against the rules? There are no rules. <laughs> I don't know. Gino's show. He, he, okay. you know, this is, this, this is not WWE, okay? Gonna... You're not the commissioner, and you don't get to tell the owner what he can and say, cannot do. This is, this is not that's what Andrew said. This is <laughs> that's what Gino <laughs> 
have, but I'll, I'll make an executive decision in a moment, Andrew, because I think I know where we're headed, and I actually think I'm excited about this one. Uh, give us a little more. Okay. For background, I was going to head to what is universally considered the worst show in the history of professional wrestling. I'm not talking about anything under the WWE or WCW banner. I would have been referring to Heroes of Wrestling, which is, of course, the show with Jake Roberts talking about having 22 at a blackjack table, among other things. I'm not going to do that. My small heart grew three sizes today. It's getting holiday time, right? It's like no, getting- it's not, Gino. Andrew holiday Christmas season starts the day oh, after wait. Thanksgiving. Wait, 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 wait. Time out. You you want you want me to send Andrew off the rails? Please. Okay. At nine ten this evening, I received an email. Hi, Darren. This is just a quick reminder that we have scheduled your appointment for tomorrow. You do not need to be home. We will only be installing your Christmas lights and not oh. turning them on unless you ask us to. <laughs> on Wednesday, October the 27th, the Christmas lights are being installed on the Zocali house. Now, there you see, go. here's the thing. Jeez, I love it. I, I think that's early, but it is you've early. got but you have gotten out of doing it yourself. No. That's, that's huge. Yeah. That's huge. But, and by the way, they're not listen, they're not getting turned on. They're just getting put on the house. Yes. Well, yes, you have an electric bill to pay, for goodness sake. Well, yeah. And you're just ready whenever you want to flip them on. Who knows what the weather is like? If you want to put them on for a few extra days, you got the kids there. You can have some fun with, you know, that kind of a thing. So uh, it's okay, Miser Andrew. We've got a reasoning for a DZ. But I think we are headed to uh, some some warfare. Is that where you know where we're headed, guys? We're headed underground oh okay gonna be we're fun. going to lucha underground season two aztec warfare now for the uninitiated i'm going to give a very quick background here lucha underground was a promotion that was televised on a very small network called el rey for four seasons now it wasn't everybody's cup of tea and a couple of the storylines they ran were just deeply bizarre. However, if you look at their roster, it's all WWE and AEW guys, including some gigantic names that anyone is going to recognize. And when Lucha Underground had all of its pistons firing, it was some of the most fun wrestling on television. Aztec Warfare is their version of the Royal Rumble. 20 guys come in in sequential order, except you can be eliminated by pinfall or submission. So it's an interesting little quirk on that. It's one match. It's less than an hour. The reason I picked this is for my money. It is the most effective launch of a main event heel since the undertaker at survivor series. If you have not seen this show, you are in for a treat. For me, this has everything. It has a shock entrant at number two overall that just blew the roof off the place. And it has some tremendous writing and some tremendous segments with guys that can really work. For my money, this is a five-star match. 
And I'm looking forward to diving into this. We'll talk a little bit more about some of the storylines and backgrounds that went into all of this as we go through the match, because this is going to be a little bit different than a lot of the ones that we've done before. Mm -hmm. It's going to be a lot of fun. I'm yeah, really, me too. really looking forward to this one. And if you're a fan of Lucha Underground or you vaguely remember the product, you're going to enjoy this one, folks. Man, that's going to do it for this loaded episode of That's What G Said podcast. A big thank you to Andrew and to Darren for helping us out with that old wrestling rewatch. Big thank you to TK, Tim Kelly for Hawkeye episode one. Deep dive. We'll be right back the next tomorrow, the next day with uh, an episode two recap. And then every week for the next four weeks, it'll just be one episode. They just dropped the first two episodes this week. So hopefully you enjoyed this one. Hopefully we led you in a direction of a few winners and we will be back with plenty more. That's what G said this week.